Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hulger. And I'm Will Laporte. Yay! Welcome <laughs> back! All right. What's up? It's been a while. It has been a long time. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah. Uh, Will was on our Mother 3 episode, which we recorded. How many years ago was that now? Two. Over two years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That that was a that was a wild episode. That was <laughs> I think there are a couple bonus episodes that we've recorded that have gone down in history on the show. I, I think famously there was uh, the one where Alana came on to talk about Fire Emblem Awakening and uh, I had to take off work the next day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was also the Mother 3 episode where we woke up, like rolled out of bed, recorded the episode, and it was so late when we were done that I rolled right back into bed and fell yeah. asleep. Yeah, it was like a persona day where just like I did one you thing can do one task. and that yeah. took the whole day. And the cat is like, go to sleep! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, and I remember saying like with a, with a doomed grin, this won't take all day right before we started. <laughs> yeah. My favorite part was that you two both came hot off the... You, Steven, you had literally just finished the game right before we started recording. Yeah. And Brendan, you were like trapped in an evil boss battle and like came in An infamously difficult fight. Yeah. Yeah. And um, immediately after that recording, I went and shaved my head. That was the <laughs> kind of evening it was. <laughs> there are some episodes that just do psychic damage once we're done. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that was one of the uh, Truly, that's one of my favorite bonuses we've done. Uh, and I, I've been really excited to have you back on for a while. This is also a game that's been on our backlog for forever because we've been kind of like dancing around it for the entire history of our show. Like yeah. pretty early on, I think around the Game Boy Advance era for us, we got really into the Mario and Luigi games. Um, Superstar Saga, I think, was kind of the the door for us. The thousand year door. <laughs> and then last summer, we did a bonus about Paper Mario for the N64 with our producer, AJ, which is a lot of fun. But I remember like as much as great as that game is and as fun as that episode was, all three of us at the end were like, we got to play thousand year door, don't we? Like, yeah. But that was like <laughs> the lesson from from doing a bonus on on the first Paper Mario. And you did. You you played it a little bit and brought it to the show one episode. I remember. Uh, yeah. And, and I remember even after that being like, man, I really got to play that game, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I I got basically to chapter two. I actually so I, I have a copy right here that was gifted <laughs> to me by a very generous person. Thank you. And uh, I remember playing and getting to like the end of chapter one and being like, this is clearly the best one. Like I love of all of them but like there's just something about this one that i feel like is the platonic ideal of mario rpgs and it's kind of why whenever there's a new paper mario everyone's heart breaks at the same time because they go in <laughs> expecting a version of this and it's just definitely not it is amazing <laughs> that you know in chapter one just, I, yeah. I, that was the exact same experience I had was like as soon as I was about halfway into chapter one I was like man I'm having a way better time in this first chapter than I did in any chapter in 64 yeah I think so Paper Mario 64 like and actually I would love to hear I guess this might be a good time for us to all talk about our history with this series and with this with this game specifically like as a kid the guy had played my, my first mario rpg was paper mario for the n64 at that point i had already played ff7 
So I think even as like an actual child, I was like, this is for babies. You're like, I only like doing a thousand and fifty four damage. The (laughs) damage numbers are way too low here. Um, I I like uh, calculating. I like calculating defense into my attacks. But I I really liked it as a kid. There's definitely a strong atmosphere in that first game. And I think revisiting it for our bonus, it really, really feels more like Dragon Quest in some ways. It really feels like we have directly filtered the Mario Kingdom through like a very classic RPG formula. And that really works as like a proof of concept. But I think this game just feels like one of the greats on its own merits. Like, I feel like it just feels like one of the RPGs you should play, regardless of any knowledge you have of Mario or of other Mario RPGs. Mm, Yeah. Every good RPG starts with you showing up in a town and the guy says, you sure you want to stop at this town? And you walk in and everyone hates you right off the bat. (laughs) It's kind of like a Morrowind starts. Why is it going to be so long to play that one too? Uh, But Will, you're a guest. I'd love to hear like what like your experience with this game is and also just RPGs and Mario RPGs in general. Of course. So uh, a really, really long time ago, there uh, were these things called video stores where you could rent (laughs) N64 cartridges and... Uh, I really loved the box art of Paper Mario. I was a big Mario head already. It's a great cover, honestly. It's really like cute and cozy. Um, We can get into the coziness of the original later. But I would always rent it, play up to Dry Dry Desert, which is like maybe one of the worst levels in the original game. Yeah. Get like stuck there because like I would never know how to find that one guy and then have to return it and then rent it again and then end up in like it was a terrible cycle. That And I never got to see the original to completion until literally about a month ago. Wow. Um, Mm. Yeah. And then for Christmas in 2004, I got a Nintendo GameCube and my own fresh copy of Thousand Year Door, which I still have with the manual inside and everything. That is the copy that I played for this episode. Aside from, like, I love Thousand Year Door. I play it, I think, every five years or so. Like, I replay through the whole thing. The time before this one, I literally 100%ed it. Like, all the badges, recipes, tattles, everything. It sucks. Would not recommend it. Um, (laughs) And... Since then, I've played Bowser's Inside Story, which is another like favorite Mario RPG of mine, and a little bit of Dream Team and Origami King, uh, pa- Mario and Luigi Dream Team, and Paper Mario Origami King. Mm. And I like enjoyed both, but they kind of like choose to bog you down in really particular ways in both games with tutorials and strange mechanics and the absence of Goombas wearing hats, which was a weird decision Nintendo made. But yeah, in general... Thousand Year Door is one of my favorite games of all time, and Bowser's Inside Story is great. I'm sure the rest of the Mario and Luigi games are great. I'm sure Square Enix's Super Mario RPG is great, but Thousand Year Door like really stacks up with against like Majora's Mask and Fallout New Vegas, as in like my, one of my favorite games ever. And yeah. this playthrough only like reinforced that. Mm. That's awesome, uh, Brendan. I'd love to hear your journey into this world. I know we kind of shared it together on the show, but just as a kind of a, a reminder while we're talking about this. Yeah, sure. Uh, I hadn't played Paper Mario until we did our bonus about it. Um, and interestingly, I'll give a shout out to some of my cousins because I've talked about their N64 at their beach house a lot on the show. Um, after we recorded that episode, I saw them at a family event and they were like, how did we never make you play Paper Mario? <laughs> they, they were like upset with themselves for only playing Mario Party with me uh, whenever I was there or Kirby 64 in the Crystal Shards. But they were like, oh, 
are you ever going to play Thousand Year Door? And I was like, yeah, I think actually we're doing it for bonus, you know, relatively soon. And they were like, we've never beaten it. These these <laughs> cousins of mine who uh, would would make all of my other cousins play Paper Mario 64 over and over and over again, have never been able to beat Thousand Year Door, which was a really interesting kernel of information to go into this one with. And that having been said, uh, in the interim between, I guess, 64 and now on the show i've played a bunch of the other ones the other ones that have come out i haven't played super paper mario yet but i played all the ones on the 3ds um and then we've also played a bunch of the mario and luigi stuff as well so i think with the exception maybe of mario rpg and super paper mario i have played at least like chunks of the whole series which is wild to think about to have like that that holistic of a view on this franchise at this point um, and super weird to save this one for almost the last one, <laughs> but maybe yeah. honestly the move in retrospect. That, that might have been the move because I, I mean, again, like we really loved Inside Story. That was like one of our favorite DS games, Superstar Saga as well. Of the three of us, I'm the only one who's played Super Mario RPG. Similar to you, Will, that was a game that I rented all the time. Uh, it felt like a fake game. Like what? Is, like what is this? It's <laughs> I personally like Paper Mario and Thousand Year Door a little bit more. Um, but I, if you're a fan of these types of games, you should definitely check that one out because it has a really distinct atmosphere and like it is the proof of concept. It almost reminds me of the first Kingdom Hearts where the whole game is led by this feeling of like, how on earth is this working? Like, how on earth yeah. did this mashup make any sense and lead to such a great game? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I had started Thousand Year Door and I'm I'm just so grateful to have to have played most of it i didn't get to finish it unfortunately this has been this has maybe been like i was kind of nervous how this would affect our view of the game because like we usually try to give ourselves enough time to finish a game before a bonus and for this one we're like just about to start our hiatus zelda just came out of nowhere and like all three of us have been very busy in our personal lives so i'm like i don't want this to feel like homework like i don't want this to become like a homework bonus and even through all that, like every time I got a chance to play this game, it's all I wanted to do. Um, mm. I got to the the penultimate chapter. So we're going to speak to the whole game. Everyone else here has finished it and uh, I will finish it on my own time. But um, there's a lot that I think makes it stand out amongst even like the best of the other Mario RPGs. And I think we'll explore that in our next section which will be spoilers, um, which we could probably just get to now if we want. But I, I just wanted to see if there's anything else you guys want to talk about before we move on to like the game itself. Yeah, I think I think there's more than enough stuff to talk about, at, at yeah. least outside of the spoiler section, uh, just to give somebody uh, out there who maybe hasn't played it a crumb of something to listen to. <laughs> um, you you get nothing and you go home. I, yeah. will, I will say uh, it's important to bring up Super Mario RPG in the context of this, because my, my feeling about it about like the franchise of Paper Mario now having played Thousand Year Door is that, okay, so Nintendo makes Mario RPG with Squaresoft and then they're like, okay, we're going to break away because they were working on a Super Mario RPG 2 and then their relationship with Squaresoft fell apart because Square was starting to move over to PlayStation, starting to release some stuff with Sony, I believe it was that era. Yeah, Final Fantasy VII, uh, I yes. think was the split. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that left Nintendo with like the crumbs again of of some kind of Mario RPG, but they didn't really know what to do with it. And we actually talked about this on the Paper Mario bonus, the Paper Mario 64 bonus, that there is footage and like screenshots that you can go see online of Super Mario RPG 2. And it looks a whole lot like Paper Mario already. Like they already kind of had the paper aesthetic down for that game, which is really interesting 
to have done such a huge shift. But now in retrospect, having played Thousand Year Door, it feels so much like Paper Mario was just Nintendo proving to themselves that they could make another Mario RPG. Even down to the way the story is structured, it feels really kind of like exactly the beats that you would expect. It is taking a lot of chances, I think, and and we talked about this a lot, but it's taking a lot of chances with like humor and characterization and kind of, you know, the swerves of what you know about Mario and and where they take it, which, you know, becomes kind of a staple of this franchise and the Mario and Luigi franchise. But I think Thousand Year Door is just the perfect example of a sequel in like every way, shape and form, because while Paper Mario 64 was them proving to themselves that they could make another Mario RPG without the input of the people who make the best RPG that exists in the world, um, (laughs) Thousand Year Door becomes okay, what worked about this? What didn't? Let's take all the things that worked, double down on them. Like, I think, I think, um, oh man, I'm not going to be able to remember the one, the one specific partner's name in Mario 64, but there's, there's one chapter where there's like a, a boo that you help. Oh, Lady Bo. Lady Bo, yes. Yeah. Uh, th- there's the Lady Bo chapter, which I think everybody points to is like, man, they should do more of that. That's like easily the most interesting party member, the most interesting chapter. Like she has her own arc where she starts as a villain, ends as your, as your companion. Like it's, It's great. It's a great thing. And then this game is just let's do that for every single chapter. Like they really took, I think, maybe not feedback from players, but they at least were (laughs) able to have uh, because I just don't think Nintendo does that. Um, But (laughs) I think they were able to get a little bit introspective about what actually worked about the game and what to carry forward and what to expound upon in the future. But it just makes we we joked about this in our group chat that we had when we were prepping for this episode. But it, it just like is the Assassin's Creed thing like years before the first Assassin's Creed even came out, you know, where where Paper Mario just set the foundation for what became like the ultimate sequel and in some ways just kind of retroactively makes the first one a proof of concept i think because because this game to me like is the mario rpg now having played it absolutely yeah i I think you're right to really single out the the focus on characters and that's something that i i think you know I, I look for in a lot of games, especially RPGs, like I love a good ensemble. And a lot of the party members in the first game, like Lady Bo was the standout. We even like talked about how each character works like in and out of combat and narratively on that episode. Everyone in this game feels like Lady Bo. Like everyone yeah. has that same level of attention. And even Mario, like you know, he's he's very much like almost a satire of like the silent protagonist. But like there's a little bit more going on with Mario in this game and kind of like a Wind Waker link way. I feel mm. like I just feel like the the choices Mario makes without your input, like when he nods or when he like sticks up for people. Yeah. Like it's very small. Like it's not a lot, but it does enough to be like, I like this guy. He's Even nice some guy. of the dialogue options, you know, when they, when they give yeah. you the, the, the seldom chances where they give you options to actually like choose your response to people when he's like, <laughs> shut it nerd. Like as one yeah, of the options, right. <laughs> like even just, even just the, the courage that Nintendo had to decide that that was going to be one of the viable responses is so funny <laughs> and adds so much to who paper Mario is independent from Mario, which is, I think when I, th- when I consider the fan response to the way this franchise has gone and a lot of the a lot of the ire specifically pointed at the fact that it's very clear that they are just becoming more and more precious about Mario as intellectual property yeah. and not allowing more characterizations and not allowing swerves out of those characterizations, I would say, um, you know, things like Will brought up like, oh, yeah, now a bob can't wear a hat you know, for some (laughs) stupid reason, because that's like breaking away from what makes the IP strong in somebody's eyes in their brand department. When I consider all of that, the thing that frustrates me the most about it is that I consider Paper Mario to be a completely different character than Mario at this point. And I think 
Thousand Year Door really cemented that for me. Um, and and weirdly enough, there's the one on the 3DS, Paper Jam, where it's the mix of the Mario and Luigi franchise and the Paper Mario franchise. And they get it there, too. We joked about it on our episode where I brought that game to the show. But there's a whole bit where they reveal that the Paper Mario universe is just an old fucking dusty book in Peach's <laughs> attic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I think we said that's how Nintendo views this whole property. It's Mario like this dusty book. Yeah, exactly. Extreme is and luigi just knocks into it and and it falls and opens up and everything comes spilling out and you know it's a it's a fun silly game but even when paper mario eventually joins the party he's like a completely different dude than mario and that's like part of the comedy of that game is how different those two characters are and it makes it all the more frustrating that nintendo won't allow paper mario as a franchise to take on the like actual lore and canon that they've established in their own game it's so weird it's so weird to me it's hard to really like I, I try to do a little bit of research into like why there was this, you know, veering away from the RPG mechanics. So for context, like there was Super Mario RPG, then Paper Mario, then Thousand Year Door and then Super Paper Mario, which was on the Wii. Actually, that was the first Mario game on the Wii, believe it or not. And I wonder if that almost doomed it, because I imagine there were a lot of people that got a Wii and just got the game that had Mario that on the title Mario, and had yeah. no idea it was this like Hitchhiker's Guide-esque experience. <laughs> um, but that was the first game that like it was built around this almost Fez-esque mechanic of like going from 2D to 3D. And honestly, it's it looks pretty cool. And it's interesting to see the discourse around that game specifically because at the time everyone was like oh man like they're they're giving up on on the rpg side of the series but now people kind of judge that game more by its own merits like you know what it's like pretty fun and the story and all the stuff you like want from a paper mario game is actually excellent it's also worth noting the same director uh Ryoto Kawade worked on all the first three Paper Mario games and I truly cannot find any information around <laughs> him it actually like scares me a little bit like all we know it's uh, another thing um Intelligent Systems is is the team that kind of works on Paper Mario as well or at least did for these first three uh, and they make Fire Emblem so there is a little bit of like uh I I wonder how many people from Fire Emblem were like giving insight or advice into the construction of this game mm. but regardless like he made these three games and just like disappeared and worked on a a Fire Emblem card game uh ever since that's only in Japan uh, and I just wow. like I'm I'm not trying to create any drama around this game, but I I really do think reading between the lines and the few interviews that exist, it does just feel like a preciousness around the IP. If this wasn't Mario, if this is like any other character, I don't think there would have been, you know, veering away from the RPG and kind of sanding off the edges of this franchise. At the same time, I'm amazed they allowed this to happen because <laughs> this game is not yeah. inappropriate, but it does have a very noticeable bite to it like it is very satirical i would argue it does get pretty inappropriate at times yeah, yeah in ways absolutely. that i was like floored by <laughs> if if the first paper mario is like the tone of pokemon red and blue this is rocco's modern life like this is like kind of pushing <laughs> the boundary of pg into maybe pg-13 yes like it is rated e and like i think it's about as close to t as you can get yeah it would be e10 now because like there's a like one of the I was telling you two uh, earlier today I think is like one of the core foundations of so many characters' relationships with Mario in this game is that every character 
who is a woman in this game, like is attracted to Mario. Yes. And, and a like, very classic like Dragon Quest or like everyone loves Cloud and FF7. Like it feels it, it feels like I don't even know if it's a satire about that or if they just like did that again by accident yeah. or not. I, th- I think yeah. it's a satire that gets pushed so hard that it becomes just like falling into the thing it's making fun of. Yeah, it, it was, it was at least my feeling on it. Like, at first I was like, oh, this is funny. This mouse thinks Mario is hot. And then the further <laughs> into the game we got, the more I was like, OK. I, I get it. I get the bit. Man. Everyone thinks Mario's hot. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants to have sex with Mario. We get it. There are seven party members and there are 21 moves in total. Five of them are about kissing Mario. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a small percentage of the the moves you can just do every turn can i talk a little bit about the super mario brothers movie so i wanted to jump scare both of you with having watched it before this episode no way i need to finish the game before i do that oh you didn't watch oh my god i didn't know but i was i kind of wanted to like i was gonna fall i also i but please i want to hear what you have to say (laughs) um so there um first of all let me just check that steven you're good with very light spoilers for the yeah, movie. Yeah, totally. Because we were talking a lot earlier about how Nintendo kind of refuses to let Mario be a character and how I feel like that bled a lot into the way like Chris Pratt is directed in the film. Like I think he does a completely fine job as Mario, regardless of how you may feel about Chris Pratt. Like it's just it's like a perfect like C plus. Like it's yeah. it's whatever. It's, it's like you can't even comment on anything outside of, oh yeah, that was Mario. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there is one single moment in the Super Mario Brothers movie where Peach and Mario are driving carts next to each other. And then Pe- like Mario's like, yeah, I do this all the time in Brooklyn. And then Peach is like, Brooklyn, what's that? And Mario's like, come to Brooklyn sometime. I'll buy you a turtle. Like, I don't remember like the exact quote, but he's like Mario's like flirting with Peach, basically. And yeah. it's like four seconds of Mario being a character. And I feel like that's what this entire game is. Like we were speaking about <laughs> Paper Mario's characterization as like this this dude who this old Italian man with uh, some beautiful lip fuzz who like makes decisions and like jokes around and says, guess again, nerd and all that. Like it's <laughs> they let Mario be a little shit sometimes, which I really love. And they fully vilify Luigi. Like Luigi is like basically Gollum in this game. Like if you if you want the better Gollum game, play Thousand Years Old. Because Luigi is waiting for you in between every chapter and will give you like updates on the adventure he's having. And he's always accompanied by someone who he's wronged. Like there'll be someone next to Luigi being like, don't trust this guy. Or like this dude owes me a lot of money. I'm not leaving until he pays up. And what's so funny, the running gag is like, you ask Luigi what he's up to. And then Mario will yawn and, and he and his partner will start like falling asleep while Luigi is talking. What's so funny, though, is like if you I have every time I really try to read and give Luigi the benefit of the doubt. And whoever wrote those lines of dialogue did such a great job of making it boring. Like <laughs> everything that's happening is so exciting. But like he'll like interrupt his own thoughts and be like, oh, anyway, sorry. Anyway. And like it, like, it doesn't really <laughs> flow well. So like you also start yawning. Like it's just they they captured boring writing like tremendously. And, and the music is like triumphant too. Yes, it's so good. It's so funny. It it it, it gets it gets me every time. That is maybe my favorite bit in the whole game. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I saw Luigi again standing next to somebody who looked upset, I was thrilled. I was like <laughs> so so pumped to find. You can out. also buy like in the market in Rogueport, which is like the town. You it's sort of like the main hub of the game. You go back to Rogueport between every chapter, and there's a 
shop that just sells like the printed volume of Luigi's Adventure. <laughs> yes. And it's like really expensive and I always try to get it. I don't have no idea what it does. I just like need to. You can it. read it and it's like written as a book. <laughs> like you you buy the book and like someone wrote Luigi's story in a way that is less, oh, I will man. say less boring and way more like braggadocious. So it's like a Skyrim book basically. Yeah. My favorite one is definitely when Luigi's like, I played grass in a play. Yeah. <laughs> cast me as grass. I, I knocked him dead. Ugh. <laughs> What's fun is that I, throughout the game, you can find uh, emblems that allow you to to look like a, uh, like uh, Mario's outfit will change color. And I got the, there's a whole mission where someone is calling you Luigi. Yes. And then at the very end, you can find the Luigi emblem. Uh, and yeah. for the rest of the game, I was Luigi. Fun fact. Uh, so I, I, th- I think I sent you to a picture of this, but you can get the Luigi emblem. And from that big dude with a mustache in Rogueport, you can buy a Wario emblem, which yeah, turns you into Wario's Yeah, I saw it for clothes. sale. I just couldn't, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> and if you combine them, you turn into Waluigi. Oh my God. You can play That's as great. Waluigi in this game, Brendan. <laughs> I didn't know that until I was done, which is upsetting. <laughs> but I think that actually goes into a, a thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into the spoiler section, which is I think just the replayability of this game is like really off the charts. Uh, oh yeah. Will, you have played this game many times throughout your life and you specifically played in a way that i had only seen people allude to in like game facts forums from <laughs> like 2009 uh, when i was first doing research before we started playing but i just think this game has so many ways in which you're able to express yourself or like ask yourself cool questions about how to interact with its mechanics that it just means that anytime you go back and play this game you could have a completely different experience than usual if you wanted to like in this one i went mostly towards badges i would say mostly towards badges and health and i didn't really use fp as much which that was a little bit in the weeds so every time you level up you get to choose between upgrading your health upgrading your fp which are your your friendship points uh which allow you it's basically magic it's like mana it's like allows you to use uh yeah special attacks with with yourself and your party members uh or bp which is badge points which if you upgrade them, it allows you to equip more badges, which affect your stats and give you new moves and things like that. And the badges, I think, are the thing I'm always most interested in in this game, just because on top of that layer of customizability and choosing one of those three things every time you level up, the badges add a whole second layer and also becomes even more rewarding as you continue to make your way around the world and like find things like the Luigi badge and the Wario badge and combine them to make the Waluigi, but things like that. I think it's, at least for me, this time around, investing more in the badge points made for a more interesting playthrough. But I think next time I would want to probably invest more in FP specifically just because I didn't really utilize that as well as I probably could have because I was so focused on the badge stuff. The fact that I... Having finished this game, I'm already thinking to myself, like, man, I can't wait to go back and play it again, I think is a great sign for how wonderful this game is. Oh, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. It's fun too. like uh, FP being friend. Is it flower points? Or whatever? It's, it's flower points. Is it? Oh, I always yeah. just called them friend points. Friendship points is cute, though. It kind of works, though, thematically, because if you focus on FP, what you're really doing is focusing on your party member. Exactly. Uh, and focusing on friendship points. <laughs> in addition to being just more interesting characters the abilities your party has in this game it made me like like in paper mario i kind of just stuck to like lady bow and perry carry for most of the game once i had them yeah but in this game i'm like constantly switching out like not only for combat purposes like oh this is the perfect match for bobbery uh right. but like 
also like if I want to see what their unique dialogue is going to be on a mission like akin to Mass Effect like who's the best to bring to this part of the game yeah um, and there is payoff for that like there uh, there's a person in town who you can use um, every party member has you can tell it's gonna be a good episode and we're excited and we're losing track of the details but anyway <laughs> uh, all your party members have like unique fighting styles but also have an ability you can use outside of combat most of them kind of help you solve puzzles or get around different things it's almost kind of metroid zelda e in some ways but basically your first party member goombella she has an ability called tattle where in combat she can basically tell you how much health an enemy has and also like their stats and a little bit of a description about them but she also has a unique tattle for every npc in the game (laughs) and just that alone is so impressive i always wanted just to see what Gumbella had to say about everybody because not only are you getting like shockingly intricate information it reminded me a lot of uh, Octopath Traveler 2 which does a similar thing but there was anyway there was one NPC that Gumbella was like this person's like a huge Madame Fleury fan which is another one of your party members who's this famous actor and if you bring Fleury out there's like a unique moment there so just it's stuff like that goes a really long way because I think the thing that kind of got to me and the thing that I think is kind of a failing of the first game is how forgotten every party member is the minute they're no longer introduced like as soon as you get them they just sort of become a tool and they're not really like thought about by the game's story and in this game it's the total opposite and i think that just goes such a long way to the point of making the world feel alive which kind of lends goes back to the replay value in addition to just like the tattle giving you information about every npc in the game and the party being so richly written and fun you also get emails throughout the whole adventure of like updates on people's lives that you've people you've helped throughout the journey. And I loved that so much. That also is a weirdly Mass Effect thing. Same exact <laughs> thing. You get emails from people you've helped. <laughs> on and your Game Boy SP in Mass yeah, Effect. Just, just like get, I mean, you're not far off. It's like getting, <laughs> getting those updates made me feel like this world is a living, breathing thing that is responding to my actions. And it's a place that I want to save. You know, uh, the the world is going to end is the constant MacGuffin, but I genuinely want to help this place because I've I've like seen it for for the place it is and the people that live there. So I, I, I love I love emails is really what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think what you're trying to say is that Mass Effect is a paper like. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think it is. I think Mass Effect is a paper game. Paper space. Um, <laughs> anyway, paper craft like yeah. Starcraft. Anyway, um. <laughs> Anything anything else about the game you want to chat about before moving on? Uh, speaking to replay value, just like in general, um, every single playthrough, I try and approach different cutscenes with different characters because yeah. everyone has something complete. like you most of the time. Anyway, everyone has something completely unique to say, like a character will write your name on you and like Mario doesn't react because he like maybe he goes, oh, like that, that's about it. But <laughs> yeah, that um good. I've always had like, I think one of the partners out and like most of them say that tickles. And then a Madame Flurry will say a little to the left with a squiggly text and a heart. And I never picked <laughs> up on that before. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you're not supposed to have her out for this one. Um, and <laughs> one thing I've so been good. debating for years, there is one badge that you can get from the same big mustache man in Rogueport called Double Pain. All it does, it costs zero BP and you turn it on and every hit does double damage to Mario. And (laughs) I've always wondered about like just upping the difficulty on myself in this game, like putting it on hard mode. 
Yeah, I wonder if there's like a secret ending if you have all the, the wrong badges on. I can think of so few instances where one of the like top tier first party Nintendo games has had the option to make the game harder if you wanted to. Like that seems like it goes so against the grain of what Nintendo is all about. The only other one I can think of off the top of my head, and maybe there are more, and it specifically you needed to make a purchase, uh, which is if you got the Ganondorf Amiibo when <laughs> Twilight Princess HD came out, it did the same thing where every hit you you took would be double damage. Um, and then I guess they added Hero's Path, not Hero's Path, uh, whatever it's called, like champion oh, the master quest master quest yeah. mode or something to, to breath of the wild uh eventually but i mean it happens so infrequently and never in mario i feel like the the way that mario scales difficulty is just like oh yeah they just have harder levels uh, eventually yeah they sometimes will have like the end game content like odyssey has like yeah, you know true. once you finish the core game but There's that is so video game optional yeah. yeah right it's like <laughs> it's so hard there's one level in odyssey where you ha- like in odyssey you can roll as mario and you have to roll through the entire level at like mock speed without <laughs> Cappy to actually get through it. And I like it's it is wild. The things Nintendo will do to you in Endgame. Yeah, I uh, I just as like incredible as it was playing this game, it does kind of it does turn you into a bitter fan. That's like the tragedy <laughs> of playing this game. where You're like, man, I feel like with where Paper Mario is gone. Like, I think Origami King is a solid game. Like, we played it and brought it to the show. And, like, that game, in some ways, feels like a return to form. Uh, And in other ways, it feels like they might have missed the mark a little bit. But it almost feels like the progression of this series is, like, the opposite of the usual Nintendo mantra, where it's, like, find the thing to build the game around. And I don't necessarily think that, that uh, that this Paper Mario series dropping the RPG stuff is necessarily a bad thing, but it just kind of feels that they never really knew what to replace it with. And it's like, they took the thing that the game was designed around out. And now we're just left with like, cool. Like the, the charm of the experience is still there, but like the central meat of it has been replaced with like a mechanic that maybe isn't that interesting. Yeah. I actually think this is maybe the one instance where Nintendo's whole strategy of only make the game. If you have a really interesting hook for it is actually maybe the problem like if you read up on the development of this game Miyamoto was actually weirdly enough the blocker for Thousand Year Door even getting made for a long time like he didn't want uh, a Paper Mario 2 for a long time because everything they they came to the table with didn't really like excite him enough like it wasn't like flashy enough and a big enough sequel Um, and it wasn't until they were able to show like what if you had like a hundred characters on screen at the same time that he was like now you got something green light (laughs) and then they started making (laughs) thousand year door which is weird it's wild and i wonder if okay so you come back and you're like okay we're we're gonna do a third one because everyone loved the second one what comes next you know again you're gonna have that situation where it's like well there has to be a hook there's got to be something cool even though what most people seem to want is just like kind of more of the same instead you get super paper mario which has the ability to kind of like fez turn the world uh if you want to um and then when you're going and making another one after that is when they really start going off the rails and they're like okay take out the rpg stuff we're gonna make this like more kid friendly in some ways then they start to kind of as as you were mentioning like pair back on you know allowing the brand to kind of take on some new life and be a little bit more interesting um and it takes you down this path and honestly weirdly my experience playing this game has only energized me more and will you and i were out at lunch yesterday we were talking about this a little bit but it has only energized me more to go back and play origami king and like finish it weirdly something about that game has been pulling me for a long time and what i'm starting to come to terms with is like i i still don't think it's like 
maybe totally the future of this franchise, but it is at least the closest they've gotten since these ones. It is yeah, like it, it is. The, it's the best of the new era for yeah. sure. I was actually planning on uh, finishing Origami King before this episode. I played like a lot more of it in advance and then Tears of the Kingdom came out. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's going to fuck yeah. anybody up. <laughs> I, did, I went back and played the, like finished the original for the first time. I have yeah. a whole bunch of thoughts on that. And then I went forward and like I realized like I got past the, the first hump in the uh, Origami King that I had hit. And mm. I realized that they're actually trying to do a lot of the same things. But so like via skirting around Nintendo's new guidelines, for example, um, Stephen, you and I were talking about this a little bit. There's a new like bob who like his name is bob bob and he keeps being like, hey, I'm bob I have amnesia. And like your partner uh, in the game keeps referring to like, is it Bobby Bobbert? Oh, yeah. Bobrin like it keeps calling him like different cute names. And I think that's like an allusion to the fact that like Nintendo refused to, they refuses can't actually to call him named. Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so I, exactly. And he's a great character too. Like I remember him from my playthrough yeah. of that game. Yeah. I really appreciate the way an intent, like the, like the new showrunners of the origami King are like trying to like weave a good story and characterization in there without actually breaking any rules. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way for like, and this is sort of uh, thinking about like the impact of this game and the influence it's had. Cause like, this isn't a case where like it was a sleeper hit. Like this game sold well. I'm looking at my player's choice copy uh, <laughs> right here. Um, it, I believe it sold 2 million units. The best selling one though was super paper Mario, which I would credit to just the Wii being. Yeah wildly popular Huge, yeah. and that was also one of the earliest games on it so if you got a wii you probably had like wii sports and super paper mario and like red steel or something <laughs> or um, twilight princess and red steel or in my case <laughs> that's, that's right <laughs> where they um, made link a righty and flipped the entire world to do it yeah that was, wild. that was a wild choice but yeah i i i think about like like we've seen games classically when nintendo stops making a certain style of game a lot of indie developers will try to pick up where they left off yeah. so like i i was thinking about um bug fables which came out a couple years ago and that like very very clearly is trying to be like a spiritual follow-up to this and that's it's a good game i do think it's a little bit surface level in some ways like it doesn't have to be paper <laughs> like it doesn't have to be like a cutout set but it is a it is really cool to see like can this style of rpg exist without the mario part of it i think my favorite example of that is Iconfell. Iconfell is like yeah maybe the best paper like that i've played uh <laughs> ever i don't know i think it's it's fantastic but I think you can see this game's influence just like everywhere, even for the games that are not directly going for this. Like, I don't think you would have Undertale without this. Like, I, I've been oh, thinking, yeah. like, I think there's inherently, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, but there's definitely like a huge Venn diagram middle of like Mother and Thousand Year Door and the many, many indie RPGs that have sort of followed those games. So it, I think regardless of like what happens to Paper Mario, I'm glad that this game has like a very active fandom and, and it's clearly inspiring a lot of people because it's, it's the kind of thing where like outside of just being, you know, a great game and, and a really fun and satirical spin on Mario, I think games like this and games like Mother remind us that fantasy can be anything that you can have an RPG that isn't traditionally like steampunk medieval or you know like we see a lot of the same types of settings in certain genres of games 
And I think that's one of the reasons why this game is so fresh to play even 20 years later. It just feels so wholly unique. And even like, you know, the first game was largely like a reinterpretation of a lot of classic Mario locations like Yoshi's Island and like uh, the Koopa Castle. Mm -hmm. This game has some locations like, where did this come from? There's (laughs) there's no like reference to this in fiction or reality. Like, where did you get this woods from? Uh, Or, you know, Twilight Town, all these really interesting locations that are that just add to the the like magical feeling of this game yeah absolutely i also love the way that there are a lot of i i don't believe this was the case in the previous game but there are a lot of uh types of characters like that aren't just like a goomba or koopa in this game that are just something completely different like the twilighters in twilight town they're all like broken stuffed dolls and you never see them before or since this is the thing that kills me about about the the swerve in the franchise away from like allowing for more interesting characters from the existing ip but also i think one of the weakest points of the future games is they also don't allow the paper mario games to invent new characters you have to pull from the stable of things that already exist in other mario games and that to me is just like for a a company so obsessed with brand and and intellectual property management it actually feels like the opposite of what you would want to do like you would want to have a series like Paper Mario constantly like planting a flag in the ground and saying like, here's a whole new stable of ideas and characters and worlds and locations that if people like them enough, we can start to incorporate them into things like a Super Mario Brothers movie or a Super Mario Brothers game and things like that. It's weirdly like the antithesis of what they want by by managing the brand too heavily and having too much of an iron grip on it. They're not allowing it to expand outwards in a way that it would need to to like continue to thrive and continue to be the thing that they want for the next like 50 to 100 years, which is I'm sure the goal, you know, it's just very short sighted thinking, I think. Yeah, Um, Uh, it's ironic. We talked about this a bit, Brendan, but it's ironic that like sega is doing the opposite with sonic right now yeah exactly like the murder of sonic the hedgehog feels so much like paper sonic you know it's like (laughs) this is i it sure if there's any other like direct comparison it is the murder of sonic the hedgehog that game is like i would love to see a whole series like a, a murder mystery sonic visual novel i never thought i would ask for that on mic but here i am because that game is just so good and so fun and charming and gives a whole other lens to these characters that are kind of just mascots you know that yeah. that's the thing like these games are taking advantage of like with mario and sonic i know sonic is a little bit more of a narrative focus in some games but mario games before super mario rpg are are these like really intriguing fantasy worlds that that are given no reason to exist so it's it's almost like begging for someone to be like play D in here i don't care yeah. like whatever you want to do it's 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 a shame i mean who knows what will happen you know uh it's it's hard to say and i think origami king existing is is reassuring i think the fact that like the most recent entry is like closer than than the past few have been to like the greatness of thousand year door it's it's closer to getting a new version of it right. You know, like I, right, I, th- I right. think of, of all of the things that have existed since Thousand Year Door, they've taken a lot of chances with with Paper Mario specifically, ignoring Mario and Luigi here. But like with Paper Mario specifically, they've taken a lot of chances. They've stumbled a lot. I think there are some that are OK, some that are like actively hostile towards players. <laughs> and then there's Origami <laughs> King, which is like it's like it's like fine. It's getting there. I think the thing about Origami King, not to relitigate our feelings about Origami King, but I think the thing about that game that is really striking to me and one of the things I brought up on our 
Paper Mario 64 episode also. And I would even levy the same complaint at this game is I, I think the game is called Paper Mario and there's not that much like paper stuff going on. I think like the <laughs> worlds really aren't really aren't made of paper that often, except for like specific instances where you can like, you know, tear away a sheet of paper um or or like you have the origami like thing you like fill in gaps with well yeah yeah I, i'm talking about um thousand year door specifically oh sorry, Th- sorry thousand yeah. year door just like doesn't have that much stuff where you're like actually utilizing the fact that mario was made of paper outside of the couple specific powers that he gets where you can like turn yourself sideways and go through things but like the world itself isn't crafted out of paper usually it, it feels very much just like kind of a flat very cartoonish very beautiful and vibrant set that was built, but it doesn't feel like it was made of paper. And the thing that Origami King to me really got right was like everything looks like it was bought at Kmart in the in the like <laughs> school supply section. Like the whole world is so vibrant and so beautiful. It's the first time I feel like and may, maybe it's just, you know, the technology catching up with their idea or whatever. But like Origami King just looks amazing. And if that's the future of the franchise, like if they can keep that aesthetic going forward, I'm happy about it. And you just kind of need to like figure out the right mechanics to go in there which is i know easier said than done um but i feel like they're they're finally getting to the place with this franchise that i wanted aesthetically and vibe wise and everything else needs to kind of raise up to match it on the other side of of this spectrum is like two weeks ago or or three weeks ago i don't know recently there are now rumors that there's going to be a remake of this game for the switch which is like if that's happening also, then to me, it raises questions about how Nintendo feels about the direction of Paper Mario as a franchise, right? Like if Origami King didn't do very well critically or commercially, I don't know if that's true. I know it didn't do very well critically. I don't know about commercially, but like if it didn't do very well critically or commercially, or at least like there was a very vocal group of people online who were like, hey, this game sucks. I think that would probably hypothetically rattle the the cage a little bit at Nintendo in terms of what they're going to do next. And greenlighting a remake of Thousand Year Door to me implies that they would want to see how that performs, see how much of an appetite for that style of game there is again, and hypothetically go back and do something like that. I mean, I would love that. I I definitely hear you. Like, I think the... I like the sort of singular vision of Oregon making like one of the bosses being like a case of pencils. That's Amazing. a lot of fun. Yeah. I think the the focus of Thousand Year Door is is more like this is a like pop-up book. You yeah. have like the audience in all the battles, and it feels much more like this is a story, mm-hmm. which is also cool. It's interesting to see that the series has like pursued the sort of uh, adventure platformer side of things, but still hasn't like fully figured out like what works there yeah. <laughs> um but uh i would be very pleasantly surprised if they remade this because this sort of feels like a few notches above localized mother three in some ways <laughs> yeah in terms of like being a valid request to to wish for i'm sorry to throw salt in the wound yeah Bill. absolutely roast me alive um <laughs> you know what brenton i actually got a text from a friend about you roasting me about eating wings in the movie theater on a previous episode <laughs> <laughs> Did I roast you? To, I also ate some John. of those wings. Uh, it's like it's uh, I like I got a text like I I noticed you got lightly roasted for eating wings at the That's movies. True. I um, think to be fair, I think Brendan just said what happened, and I and I, then I went. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I roasted you. I was with gonna a few say vowels. knowing you two. Like the day this episode <laughs> drops, like there's gonna be a direct, and it's like we're remaking Thousand Year Door. Like it's so I'm a little nervous. We'll now. see. We did we we'll did get see. a lot of comp when we did a call for questions. A lot of people reached out and they were like, "Well, hopefully there'll just be a remake." <laughs> Which yeah, maybe. 
it's not even a bit anymore. People are just like, I'm expecting this next week, like yeah. in my mailbox. Let's make it happen. Yeah. The other um, rumor like, is that they're remaking F Zero GX, which is the GameCube version of F Zero. And a lot of people are speculating that if both of these rumors are true, then it kind of implies that Nintendo is looking at the GameCube era as like the next one to start to port forward. Yeah, right. And with new Pikmin coming out, too, that just feels like yeah. I know they've made a couple, but like that feels like so GameCube in spirit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I love when Nintendo puts their own stamp on a genre they haven't really done yet. Like, I think that w- that's what makes Splatoon so special yeah. is like, here's the Nintendo version of a competitive online shooting game. Yeah. There is a huge place for like a kid friendly RPG just in general. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of like a like I would say most RPGs are are like a, a young adult audience. If I had to guess, like the marketing behind it is like more teenage. But I think Paper Mario is a really great example of like, here's an RPG like a five-year-old could play. Yeah. And like have a great time with That's it. That's what's you know. so upsetting about the Origami King combat is it's like the brain teasers you'd get in it's like, like Uncle John's chefs. bathroom reader <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> it's like the game is so colorful and vibrant and beautiful and fun and like clearly made for kids. And then, and then the combat is like, Okay, have you ever seen a beautiful mind? It's going to be just like that, but every time, even when you're fighting one Goomba. It's, it gets so much harder in, like, the second chapter or however that game's broken mm-hmm. out of that game too like it like i was like huh is it really going to be this easy for the entire game and then i got the chapter two yeah. and there's like four guys on one side and two guys staggered three different ways and, the, and i'm like how am i supposed to it's I'm, so I'm 29 and i can't do this i'm a structural <laughs> engineer and i cannot solve this problem like it's, it's nonsense yeah the difficulty curve in that game is wild it's either like zero or a hundred basically yeah um it's easier to build they, a mech in tears of the kingdom all i to say i think there like genuinely is a place for paper mario and nintendo's library like as much as i would love mother to come back in some way i don't know if like that commercially makes sense for them and i know that's largely how they operate as a business i do think paper mario has historically sold well enough to like have the right to exist (laughs) in in nintendo's kind of corporate mindset yeah so uh we'll see what happens but i mean i i I hope there's just a way that because this is yet another example of a game that's like very hard to find yeah so you know i think if we even just get a port of this like if there's eventually a gamecube online library for switch i would hope this would be on it like at the very least have that you know because this is also i mean it's it's so beloved and it's it's interesting too because this is an example i think of a game that is kind of only like it kind of feels like dragon's dogma where like the admiration has only really grown over time yeah because like i remember when this came out it was 2004 so i was a freshman in high school i don't know why i didn't get it because i loved the first one and like i was actively playing my gamecube i wasn't like too cool for games in my freshman year but i just like remember i remember paper mario being like a moment and people were like what is like really intrigued by this idea and i just heard i didn't even know this game existed until college when my roommate was a who like started playing my copy of paper mario without asking was like did you know did you ever play the gamecube one and i was like what are you talking about that exists <laughs> so i just feel like i as someone who like followed games as a kid i didn't really know about this game until much much later and by then it was already hard to find yeah so i just feel like that there are really passionate fans that have stuck around and there are so many people like you and me brendan that would like love to play this for the first time now yeah and as much as this is like kind of on the cusp of like the more inappropriate spongebob episodes it is like a general audience like anyone could play it at a variety of ages yeah totally uh, for the most part yeah um so yeah 
Uh, just port it forward, Nintendo. Yeah. Please and thank you. It also uh, is not the easiest game to emulate uh, out there, unless you have like a pretty good computer. I, I I tried it to varying effects, very degrees of success across a bunch of different platforms before I was able to find one where it was like, okay, I can play the game specifically because of how timing based everything is. I think that's the, yeah. that's the biggest thing is like if your emulator is not powerful enough to play this game at exactly full speed, then you will fuck up the timing and the game will be maybe impossible for you to beat, especially towards the end. There's a jump scare where they ask you to press Y and you're like, what button is that on this controller? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a test. Um, so I, I played through it on the GameCube, like with my original copy from Christmas 2004. Thank you, Grandma. And I noticed that how like I I'm starting to understand why people still love Melee so much, like Super Smash Brothers Melee, mm. because when you press A on the GameCube, you like you pr- it, it happens immediately in a way that it happens on in no switch game like there's like such an infinitesimal lag on switch when you're playing with a pro controller or any sort of like wireless device that just like is not present like simply not present in the gamecube like i could not for the life of me do the action commands in the original paper mario which i was emulating via the n64 switch catalog yeah and in this game i was like okay i'm gonna struggle with the action commands because they're hard no like i nailed them every single time because it's so responsive yeah when we played paper mario 64 i specifically i think played almost all of it in handheld mode for that reason uh because because playing it with a with a wireless controller just like fucked me up a little bit having said all of that even though i did have to play this game emulated because i don't have a gamecube um if they release this on switch i would buy it and replay it like in a heartbeat like if absolutely if they release this yeah. on switch like tomorrow i would start a new save file on the switch tomorrow me too <laughs> yeah. i uh i had started it on because my gamecube stopped working tragically but i have my wii still and uh, I, it's backwards compatible <laughs> with GameCube. Hell yeah, dude! <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that called for applause. <laughs> hey, hey, are you awake? Yeah. Steven the Wii walks Wii. into the room yeah. in the sitcom. <laughs> hey, you want to play sports? Um, you want to play I, Red I, Steel, baby? Yeah. Uh, I plugged in my Wii, which is backwards compatible, and uh, I played... I, it was kind of weird, like putting Thousand Year Door into a Wii and plugging in my like 2018 uh, GameCube remote made specifically for Smash. <laughs> um, but I started it there, and then I, I I ended up playing mostly on my Steam Deck with a a docked Steam Deck with a PS4 controller. And I have to say, it worked pretty well. Uh, once you know what what button is what, the PS4 remote's not a bad substitute if you can't get an original GameCube copy. But I just in addition to the immediate responsiveness of the GameCube remote, like I just love that controller. We, we recently talked about our favorite controllers yeah. and my potentially hot take is I think the GameCube and the Dreamcast are my favorite controllers because they just feel like pushing the, the trigger on a GameCube feels like scooping up gold. In the <laughs> it's like this, like such a cathartic yeah, feeling the, and the, the big A button triggers are so yeah. good on that thing. I actually, yeah. I have behind me, an in-box GameCube controller that I still have yet to open just in case I get a GameCube again one day. Like I, I'm just like, I have it there as prep. I've had it for like five years in case I ever buy another GameCube. Uh, Hey, we've been talking for almost an hour already and we haven't even started talking about what happens in the video game. (laughs) Does she want to hear more about my Wii? (laughs) Should we, should we take a break and come back and talk about the video game? 
you can make a me that looks like you and play sports with your friends. <laughs> also, it should be mentioned, uh, we're recording this like during our quote unquote hiatus. And we sure did like have a full 30 to 45 minute conversation that could have just been an episode of Into the Aether before we even started recording. <laughs> you uh, guys can't be stopped. We can't be stopped. We, ta- we talked you about Diablo. It. We talked about Street Fighter. We talked about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like, get some rest. You deserve it. I'm like, you don't. I, Literally I'm the second two we joined playing Skype a thousand year yeah. door. Like I. <laughs> I don't want, I, I didn't start my summer yet. <laughs> the solstice also hasn't happened, so we still have a chance. That's true. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm very excited to talk about this game. Let's take a break and we'll be back. Full spoilers ahead. So if you're if you're leaving now, thanks for listening. Hopefully you're playing the newly released remake that we built into existence. <laughs> that you too uh, did. Otherwise, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. back i've moved from standing at my desk to sitting at my desk hell yeah i've folded myself into a little paper boat and yeah. just sailed away i'm becoming origami by the end of this episode <laughs> i will be paper oh we didn't we haven't talked about this on the show i threw out my back so i can't be in one position for too long at the moment and i feel like i will end this episode lying in a bed uh which is going to be i think the best vibe we've ever had on the show i will just say i love the i i, I always like love hearing whatever in rpgs you're going to sleep now jingle is it's like one of my favorite things about the mm. genre for some reason and i love the jingle and i love the animation of just mario slipping under yes. the sheets oh it's man so it's so fun. satisfying yeah yeah, yeah. it's great so and the partner goes into his pocket it's a whole yeah. cute little thing it's okay, awesome. so we should talk about what happens in the game. We we said that we were going to uh, be full spoilers, so spoilerful section. If you haven't played the game and you want to, I would recommend it because this game actually does have a story. Yeah, to good it. one. Uh, yeah, and and I, what I love about the story in general, I think, is that the way it starts out makes you feel like it's going to be just the most classic ass Nintendo Mario story possible, and that is all a red herring for the big swerve of the game, which I think is fucking brilliant that by itself is like one of the reasons that this franchise needs to continue existing because it is like an actually risky fun thing for them to do because it opens almost exactly the same as mario 64 in a way where like where mario receives a letter that's just like hey i baked a cake for you come to the castle and like that's that's how the game starts in this case mario receives a letter that's like hey i found this cool map with a bunch of treasure don't you want to go on an adventure wouldn't that be fun and then mario shows up at a place with a noose in the middle of the town (laughs) (laughs) not only that but the first chapter is almost beat for beat the same as the first chapter in Mm -hmm. uh, Paper Mario 64. Yeah, down to Goombella having like the same uh tact uh, the same tattle thing uh as goombario and coops and cooper as well yeah, you you yeah. get a coop a koopa with a bandage from a koopa town i, I think that all feels really intentional because like yeah. i think uh I, I i can't stop with the mass effect parallels but it reminds me a lot of like citadel versus omega i feel like the first game having the hub town be like this you know the the castle town like right by where princess peach lives and everything this game having this like very you know pirate city port town as like the hub is so cool like it's it is such an an immediately intriguing setting full of signposted secrets something that really helps 
the loop of coming back here between chapters is like one one thing that we'll we'll get to a little bit later but like underneath the whole like story is that underneath this city is like this ancient city that's underground that it's rumored there's this thousand year door and past that door is this like treasure of of you know unimaginable quality and wealth and everything so like a lot of people move there like based on that rumor and now it's kind of a fairy tale yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) or almost like one piece a little bit and Mm -hmm. uh so like throughout the game you go into the sewers basically and that's like sort of a hybrid of like the ruins of this ancient city and also just like people hanging out and like making a new life there and I, i love that vibe of rogueport the fact that it's like this place genuinely built on rumors where people are like well while we're here we might as well like make a shop you know, or like yeah. make a cool bar for people to hang out in. Um, and as you get like more and more abilities and you get different party members that that kind of help you navigate certain areas, I feel like the game does a great job, like showing you places you can't go yet. So when you come back, you're like, I, I know distinctly where in the sewers there is this type of block. And now I'm so excited to see what's past that. Right. And usually it's like a, a secret item or, or a fancy thing that will help you like one of the shines that helps you power up your party but Mm. that that loop really worked for me like i was always excited to come back to rogueport and like spend all the coins i got and upgrade my party and then find whatever on earth was in the sewers i I loved that i'll be honest i was not my feeling about rogueport at first i i felt about rogueport the same way i felt about fallout 3 for a while where i was like (laughs) or just fallout in general where i was like okay this place is like i just don't want to hang out here that much like it's kind of sad it's kind of like beat up and then the further into the game i got i would say like chapter three and four once you start going back to rogueport and it starts to open up specifically it's like not only can you explore more of the stuff underground in the sewers but also the town itself gets bigger more expansive and it's like you can start jumping on rooftops and stuff and and there's just more to do and more to see that's when i started to really click with it and was like oh no i love this place and i love every time i come back here and then specifically i love when luigi is here with a angry (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think um i mean rogueport and also the the personification of goombella and coops i think does a good job like the game is kind of telling the player like this is not the paper mario you know and love like we're taking a a dramatically different spin on things and you know the sense of character from goombella and from coops is so much stronger and so much more like atypical of those characters in the first game you know goombario is like very much like Hey, I'm the first party member. And Gumbella has like her her writing is full of personality. And even when she uses Tattle, it's always like you're getting Gumbella's opinion, you know, on this mm-hmm. on this character, on this thing, which is a lot of fun. Gumbella's very interesting opinions. <laughs> yeah. um, I was taught. So, yeah, Gumbella is the first party member you get, as they said, Tattle, Headbonk, all that same thing as the first game. But if you use that Tattle ability on a person like in really anywhere Goombella will just roast them alive for the most part <laughs> like absolutely distra- like oh this person like gambles all his money away and like isn't worth a die this person's a bum this person sucks like left and right and even outside of Rogueport where everyone is like generally unsavory characters she'll just like generally destroy anyone in her path with dialogue especially like a little later on you'll meet a guy with an, a blue guy with an afro and she just like despises him yeah, like I think the so... title is just ew in like all capitals, like with <laughs> yeah. wavy font. Yeah, she's she's really uh, interesting. Um, <laughs> when I 
Steven, do you mind if I get into what we discussed about Goombella? Sure. Yeah, let's get the the Goombella okay. takes out there. We're on. We're on, there's not really a lot going on in the prologue other than like you you get the MacGuffin, like you you come looking for Peach. She's gone, and you find the map that then tells you like, oh, now you have to find all the crystal shards. And Goombella is also an archaeology student. And like she is interested in this as well. And you meet Professor Frankly, who's like, you got to find the crystal shards. And that's like kind of it. That's like the kickoff event that frames the whole story. Oh, and, and the villains, the X-Nots also you meet. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, the X-Nots. Which we can um, talk about when they who I love. Have, have more screen time. Anyway. But let's yeah. let's hear your, your Gumbella thoughts. I love the way Mario gets immediately roped into something he was like not here for at all. <laughs> like unwittingly. To, like usually Mario as a character will jump in to like help someone out but this time he like is like walking through town and immediately someone hides behind him and someone else is threatening to kick his ass (laughs) (laughs) like this like very mild inklings throughout this game of like mario almost almost being a coward sometimes which is like really really funny but um goombella when i was a kid and like the first few times i played through this game i always like loved her as a character it's like a cute little goomba girl with an archaeology helmet just like really like precious and like uh but like as an adult now especially living here in new york city hearing goombella's takes on everyone in rogueport gives me a really disgusting taste in my mouth because it is this like blonde college student showing up in a new town that is like really working class like everyone's like really scraping by as hard as they can and just like making the most vile comments about the way these people live their lives it's like it's basically she's basically a fox news anchor yeah gentrification (laughs) chic right yeah like actually and it i won't say gubella is like my least favorite character in the rest of the game i love her like dialogue and titles i think she's like really well written like steven over the course of the game i kind of like Tone, like like my take got a little more mild in terms of her being like a straight up like Fox News anchor, but it was really rough over the past like having experienced the past five years or so hearing all these takes about people like clearly struggling to get by and her being like this person's like never going to get out of here and they have no ambition, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> like straight up like Brutal. bootstraps takes yeah. about people who live in Rogueport. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I mean, it's hard to know. I don't think it was conscious, but I remember like you saying that and then I couldn't stop seeing it like there's a line she has where she's like, no one here is made out for the suit and tie life. And I'm like, this <laughs> th- that was probably said on Fox News by somebody. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is like, a, I mean, and that's like, I, I think what they're trying to do with Rogue Port and what they're trying to do with a lot of the party members, because a lot of the, I mean, even in the original game, like all your companions are Mario villains. They're all enemies that are now friends. Um, and I feel like a lot of this game is like, you meet a character or you find a place that that reads as one thing, but actually is another. And I think what the game is trying to do is show you like how Rogueport is actually this great place to be. And like it gets, you know, uh, it opens up and you see more people there. So I think like it starts to stand out less when like that's clearly not what the game is like trying to tell the player. But exactly. I agree. It, it is like a little rough in some parts. <laughs> it for opens sure. a little like the game opens. Mario gets jumped and then a few moments later, he gets robbed, like immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, and like, I, I do, you make a really great point about how over the course of the game, Rogueport really develops 
um and like characters seem to like respect you more over the course of the game as well as they learn things you do uh the game like in like pushes you like via the plot towards like meeting like the bosses of each side of town and like their underlings and like and the trouble center opens up and you get to like help people out yeah i love the trouble center yeah yeah the trouble center was really a big turnaround point for me and also uh weirdly enough um the the chef oh i just forgot her name Oh, uh, who drops her contact Zesty. lens? Zesty. Zesty. I was going to say Tasty, <laughs> but that's her sister from the first game, right? <laughs> yeah. Are they related? Yeah, they're, they're, they're canonic- in- canonically they are related, yeah. Wow. There is a bit of like a Majora's Mask thing here where I feel like a lot of people have like counter points yeah. in the first game. Like they have sort of like other selves. But anyway, yeah, the 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 trouble board or the trouble center and uh, and and Zesty, I, I think uh, Zesty turning around and becoming like a person that you want to talk to every time you're in report <laughs> really was great for me because uh, I, I was just like I thought it was so funny at the beginning of the game that the way that they specifically prevent you from seeing the rest of Rogueport is by having you step on somebody's contact lens and, and, and messing it up. <laughs> but I was kind of. Like, I just want to see what's over there because what I'm what I'm being given is just like a bunch of people who hate me and the sewers. <laughs> it's like I just like I need to see a little bit more of this place to start to understand why this is going to be my hub world. Um, and once I once I got that, I really turned around. But uh, yeah, the the opening of the game, I think if, if I'll be totally honest, I think the first like the prologue, of the first two chapters of the game, I think are maybe the weakest part of the game for me. Um, it took me the longest, weirdly enough, of the like. I don't know, 30, 35 hours it took me to do the whole thing. It was like maybe 10 of that was the first three chapters. And then the rest of it like kind of flew by um, just because I found my motivation to be a little bit lacking towards the beginning because something that I also started not liking and really came around on was they don't tell you what the thousand year door is really even for a while. They just like allude to the fact that there's treasure behind it, but you're just kind of like, you know, running wild with really no direction. Just like, yeah, I'm just going to get all these stars and uh, I'm going to open it up and see what's behind there. But you don't really know like why or what you, what's going on there or how, you know, the, the underground sewer area, uh, you know, was a city and then isn't anymore. And they built a whole city on top of that. And it's like, maybe we should think about this a little bit. Like none of that really uh, materializes until like halfway into the game. And for the beginning of the game, I was like, okay, I need a little bit more direction. Like I just have this MacGuffin. It's just a map. I feel like I'm just playing Paper Mario 64 again, even though the vibe is better. Like they've clearly... improved on everything in terms of like the the storylines of your partners even just the art i think is better the music i think is better i was still having a better time playing it than i was paper mario 64 but it wasn't until like chapter i would say three where i was like oh shit this is like masterpiece level good shit uh and that's also when rogue port opens up so yeah yeah believe it or not you can actually get to the west side of town at the end of chapter one Oh, really? If you order the contact immediately. Oh, like you have to like you walk into the town right after you get off the boat and then go step on her contact and then order a new one immediately. Oh, and it's, you can it's get really timing based. It's not just like progress based. Yeah, well, it, it will like I believe if you like get to somehow get to like the start of chapter three and haven't opened that up yet. If you step on her contact and order it, if you like leave and come back, it'll be there. Oh, interesting. But like okay. it takes like a chapter or yeah. so if you don't do that. Wow. And then you can see meet the mafia. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> um, I I honestly really liked the hooktail chapter, which is chapter one. Um, it is like uh, more it's one of the more grounded chapters and it's very like familiar stuff. But I think that's kind of where 
you can see the improvements most clearly because it does feel so similar to the beginning of Paper Mario 64 that like even just meeting Koops and seeing he's he's this like really anxious kind of uh you know underdog who like his whole family is like no you're great and he's like no i suck like that was immediately more interesting than like most of paper mario um and i think also hooktail castle is just one of the better designed like dungeons like i think a lot of the chapters are sort of like they're they're all kind of divided into like road town and dungeon and varying degrees of the three I, I mean some are a little bit different like i think chapter three is is notably different in structure but um hooktail castle would i you know one one of the things about this game is as much as i love the creative approach at like navigation it's a little bit finicky sometimes with like um like eventually there's a party member who can kind of fly you across short gaps and i like it's always like by the skin of my teeth that i do it stuff like that where once you have to start doing that over and over again because you're often backtracking in this game it starts to get to you but i think hotel Mm -hmm. castle because it's all just about hitting switches and like just genuine curiosity it's like pretty easy to navigate it's pretty easy to parse and the builds up to hooktail is really like well done like once you get hooktail you are genuinely nervous to meet that dragon even though he's so goofy um like i think they do a good job setting up the villain and also like having it be this like mission about coops like needing to prove to himself that he is brave and also to save his father like yeah that all really worked for me i think that's the most brilliant thing about the game in general is the ability to take these side characters and imbue them with enough character to kind of sidestep the fact that mario is a little bit of a blank slate like yes you know we were talking earlier about the fact that that mario has more characterization here than usual in mario stuff but at the end of the day like he still for the most part is kind of a silent protagonist he kind of is a stand-in for the player so creating a story that has stakes specifically for the partner characters that you're bringing on to your party, I think was a really smart decision and uh, really just plays out over and over again. I think, I think you're right in saying that that first chapter really just kind of highlights that because you're helping Coops, but you're also helping the town, right? Like when you first walk into that town, everyone is just kind of terrified of Hooktail. Um, so the idea that, okay, I, I can be a hero and I can save all these people, but then adding the more personal story of Coops alongside that, I think just kind of is a one, two punch of, actually making you feel something about paper mario in a real way i think that dungeon is also a good tutorial on the importance of badges because they kind of strongly imply that like that hooktail has a weakness and in in that dungeon you'll find one of the badges changes the sound effect of your weapon yeah and that is the thing that makes that fight from if you don't have that that fight is one of the hardest bosses in the game like (laughs) truly I, i actually beat it when i when i first played on my wii um, I didn't know I didn't like register that I had to get that badge to make it easier and I somehow still won but it, it, it is significantly easier if you do so I think it's a good way of like showing like hey like badges can really help and they can be the thing that will make a difference in in a boss fight like this I'm um, sorry well you were about to say something oh, um, I think like we were talking about Coop specifically and like the reason he's doing this I think the choice to have Coops acknowledge that his father's gone and not like really planning on rescuing him, but purely proving that he can like avenge his father mm. is like a really like bold choice for a children's RPG as opposed to like Coops being like, oh yeah, my dad's up there and he sent me a letter and I need to go save him straight up being like my dad's gone and I need to prove that I'm like, I can be a man and do this thing, yeah. which is such an interesting like thematic choice. Uh, I also really loved the fake out in the beginning of the dungeon 
where Coops thinks he found his dad's bones. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it <laughs> turns out to be the bones of Colorado's father from the first game, yeah. who is canonically dead, which is <laughs> was canonically killed by Hooktail, which is really insane to think about. Yeah, uh, Colorado yeah. was one of my favorite recurring characters in the first game. <laughs> uh, there were some good bits with him. But yeah, I, I and that also like I think I think this mission, even though it is like I think it benefits from being more familiar because they're showing you what this game is doing differently with the same piece. Yeah, uh, we were talking about the like how good the GameCube controller is earlier. And with Coop specifically, his ability is that you shoot him out with the X button. And his shell like flies out and can like get something or hit a switch. But if you hold it, unlike uh, Cooper, what's his, what's his name of the Cooper, first game? Cooper, yeah. yeah. Unlike they Cooper in the first Cooper, game, you yeah. just shoot him out and he comes right back. With Coops, you can hold him out there. And the way the GameCube controller is designed is the X and A buttons are directly adjacent to each other. So you can hold the X and hit A when you need to without really moving your finger much at all. Which I think is Yeah, like, it's awesome. It's, it's excellent. It's his ability is one of the more like fun puzzle solving partner abilities to like use specifically because you have to always think about like what angle do I have to hit this switch with? And I think the game is at its best when it's when it's thinking about like and it kind of leans into the paper side of things where you have to think about like what's on the same level as the other thing. Like I, I think overall they could have done a better job like visually signposting like where certain abilities could be used. Um, like especially with with Yoshi, who we'll get to later, like it always took me a little bit too long to realize I could fly across certain gaps. Yeah. Whereas I think with with Cooper and with like, you know, Admiral Bobbery, it's like always pretty clear. Yeah. Um, it's just Zelda. It just, it just <laughs> Zelda, crack yeah. in the wall. You blow it up. Yeah. Um, bada bing, bada boom. Do you want to move on to the next chapter? Anything else on, on Hooktail? I think uh, just oh, uh, sorry. go for it. Uh, one more thing is I knew that Steven, I knew you were going to be hooked on this game. The moment you meet the moment you meet the little toad in uh, Petalburg <laughs> who says, I've been playing this new game called Fire Emblem. It rocks oh, my yeah. socks. Like, yeah. I, I like I, I every time I see that, I think of you immediately. It's even funnier knowing intelligence systems made this game. They're just like <laughs> putting in a brag like they're like, yeah, there's another game we made. It fucking rules. Yeah. Uh, um <laughs> But I think that like once I got to Pedalberg and once I I had met like because again I think um you know there are a few standouts but like there's so much confidence with just the first two party members that I just knew I was in good hands. It's like yeah. you get Gumbella and you get Coops and you're like I cannot wait to see what else this game has to throw at me party wise. You know, Absolutely. Uh, it's awesome. And um, another fun fact is that if you go back to that kid in the middle of the game, he'll say he's playing Paper Mario on the Thousand Year Door. And if you go back to him at the end of the game, he'll say he's playing Paper Luigi, which is a game that never happened. We were robbed. Even during the year of Luigi, we never got that. (laughs) Add it to the pile. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Paper Luigi? Paper Luigi. (laughs) Being bored to death. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just the the most boring game possible. It's a paper losing $15 million. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's no paper. That's the game. Um... (laughs) The, the one thing that I feel like we should mention is in between all of the chapters, there's little interludes that you get to experience. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time where we get to play as Peach for a little bit, who is uh, has been kidnapped by the x uh, and is just in a room with a computer uh, that is becoming sentient or is sentient. 
that is one of the weirder aspects of this game, I would say. <laughs> um, but another thing that you get to experience is uh, what's going on with Bowser. And you get to play as Bowser every once in a while as well, which I don't think you do in between chapters one and two, but I think it's worth mentioning anyway, yeah. um, is that you also get to see what Bowser is doing throughout the course of this game, which uh, generally speaking, I, I just think I love that his impetus for going on a journey at all is he's just so mad that somebody else kidnapped Peach. He's like, <laughs> he is like, I have a whole plan. I'm going to kidnap Peach, but she's already missing. And I'm so pissed at whoever did this. Uh, and and essentially is like three chapters behind what Mario is doing at any given time. <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels like they wrote a whole story and then someone was like, well, what is Bowser up to during this? And like, let's have fun with that. Like, what yeah. what is Bowser doing when he knows he's being left out of a story? Right. Yeah. Um, and he's essentially comic relief, which it kind of feels like this game is also setting up what inside story like is entirely about where like there's sort of yeah like, there isn't a, a redemption to bowser here but they're setting up his character in a way that is like more directly explored in inside story which which i love i love that side of bowser so much yeah i remember when i was a kid and playing through those bowser levels and really like all i was thinking was i want more of this like i i want and need like there are certain levels where you can like play through a little like super mario segment i love that they're like the that story actually does pay off at the end of the game which is like in a really terrible way <laughs> which is uh really awesome but yeah i remember thinking i want more of these levels i want more of like bowser as a character and then a few years later bowser's inside story came out and i was like like i couldn't believe it and that that remains like my second favorite <laughs> mario rpg because it's really they, good they like like you two said they followed up in the best way on what like they were doing with his character in the first game. Yeah. I think treating Bowser like a misguided monarch that like is, is capable of doing good, even if he doesn't realize it is like the, it's the best thing you can do. That's why when they cast, I still haven't seen it of course, but when they cast Jack Black, I'm like, that is perfect. Cause Jack Black to me is the voice of like the paper Mario, Mario and Luigi Bowser, like 1000%. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess to touch on the Peach stuff, I'm curious like what you guys overall thought. Cause I think one of the highlights of the original Paper Mario for me were the Peach sequences. I loved like sneaking around the castle and kind of like helping from behind the scenes. I think the Peach story uh, in this game is like a little bit more hit or miss for me. I, I love I love where it kind of ends up. Like I think it does stick the landing overall, at least based on what I played. Uh, but <laughs> um the idea that the whole inciting event for like her relationship with this AI is that they saw her naked in the shower just like kind of like puts a bad taste in my mouth for the whole thing. Yeah, like I, too. I love the idea that it's this AI who is in love with Peach and like it's confusing all of their programming and, and they have to figure out like they need to have Peach tell them the meaning of love and that's why she can send emails. So that's, that is a funny idea. Yes. But it's like so much of that it's like this isn't a bit anymore this is just like unsettling yeah um so i didn't i didn't really love it to be and then there's the whole thing where she has to get naked to become invisible later that just like doubling down on it it just it just feels weird yeah th that's I, I that's agree. exactly my take yeah i um, yeah there's like not no only, excusing it uh, not only do i fully agree with you steven i actually when i played through the original it was my first time really experiencing the peach segments in the original like a few months ago and they do such a like i have a lot of complaints about the original paper mario even though i really liked my time with that game but they do such a better job with peach in that game in every way yeah. like the way 
like Peach gets to interact with more characters. I really loved the way, and I guess spoilers for the original, soft spoilers for the original Paper Mario 64. Um, but I really love the way that Peach like interacts with like, for example, the large shy guy from uh, Shy Guy's Toy Box. Or yeah. like when she walks into the Hammer Brothers room and the Hammer Brothers are like, wait, Peach, you're not supposed to be here. Ah, what the heck? Let's play a fun game. And it's like all all those little moments felt fun and not creepy. They do so much with Peach in the original. I, I like half expected her to be playable at some points, like in like combat or something. Like yeah. I, I kind of wish they went a little bit further with it. But yeah, it feels like a step back for this game. Like I still love how she's like her sense of character is still strong. I think she's like the same Peach that was in the first game. But the situation she's kind of thrust in, it, it, I don't really get tonal. Am I supposed to think this is funny? Like it does, it's not clear what the like writer intended you to feel with this AI is in love with Peach for like pretty shallow reasons. Yeah, it's just yeah. a weird level of horniness for a Paper Mario game. <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, I was just like, yeah. it was so strange uh, and, so and not in the place. cool way, like the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't pick up on the fact that Tech sees Peach in the shower and like opens the door until this playthrough, and I was like, oh, ew. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah did not occur to me until this time that's the, that's the that's the inciting event that's peach finding the map for her story yeah. is that yeah which is a bummer but uh the bowser stuff is great and i love i love the names that cami koopa and bowser call each other <laughs> your silliness um, yeah it, they're <laughs> so good i i wrote some of them down uh just to for future use for my life i guess anyway um <laughs> <laughs> Chapter two, uh, if we jump ahead a bit, um, I think this is kind of like commonly the most disliked chapter. I, I love the setting. The thing about this game is even the weaker chapters have something going for them. So I'm never like pissed I'm playing Thousand Year Door. Yeah. Um, this game, I think really, if, if the prologue and chapter one are like, here is our take on Paper Mario, this is where it kind of feels like fully, I don't even know what fictional world I'm in. Um, is it Boggly Woods? Is that what, yes. what it's called? Yes, right. Boggly Woods are, is, is, I think, actually my favorite place just visually in this game. The fact that it's this like weird, like technicolor forest, but everything is black and white. I just immediately intrigued. And they also set up that uh, this is where you get uh, Madame Flurry. Um, and I love her introduction. Like, I love her setup as a character. I, I sadly don't think they really use her that well in the chapter. Like, whereas like, with Coops, I feel like there's like, this direct one-to-one of like the setup with hooktail and like coop's reason for joining the party i feel like they kind of fumbled it a bit with madame flurry because then all the attention goes to the punies which are these creatures in the forest that you help i didn't like hate this chapter it, it, it sort of becomes like weirdly pikmin puzzly where you have to like have a certain number of punies following you at all times uh, and then you have to use madame flurry's power to like blow wind to get them to certain places i thought it was like clever i just think it wasn't it felt a little bit half-baked um, and it, it overstayed its well. I think like most of my playthrough is this chapter. In my head, I was calling it bad Pikmin. 
it's, it's, it's just it's picture, but worse. It's, it's, it's They're basically think, designed yeah. like them too. The yeah. Peonies. Yeah. Exactly. They it's just like, like antennas. In, cute in almost guys. every way, except the the Pikmin aren't talking to me. <laughs> uh, I, one so like I I mostly agree with everything you've said. I I absolutely am in love with the way. Madame Fleury gets introduced. This is also the chapter where we meet the Shadow Sirens. Yes. Which are yeah. like really huge characters throughout the rest of the game. I One thing that really struck me this playthrough that like hit me from the beginning, but like mostly in this chapter, is how good the music in this game is. Yeah. yeah. I was going to bring up the music in this section. The, fir- the intro music, like when the book opens, when you start the game, like makes me tear up almost every time. It's so good. Because of like the, the choices they make and how it like builds and like pulls back. The loads like the load your save file screen music is one of the hardest bops i've ever heard in my life i don't know why nintendo always fucking nails it with the load screen music yeah it's like they did not have to go that hard on the load screen most of my youtube history is like file select theme from x game <laughs> yeah. and i feel like this is this <laughs> is no maybe i'll make a playlist of just the best <laughs> absolutely no data screens me. yeah but i it's um i'm a big fan of uh, ambient music. I know you are too, Brendan, sure. and I- I'm sure you are too, Steven. <laughs> Not to exclude you. <laughs> I'll never uh, tell. <laughs> but, um, Dude, what's your favorite music for airports track? Is it one one two one or two two? <laughs> Yo, which Tim Hecker album do you vibe with the most? Um, but like when you get out of the pipe into the Bogley Woods, and like the whole world's like cast in black and white, as you said, Stephen, and you hear this like really minimal like ambient piece like like swelling and pulling back throughout the like the yeah. whole your whole time there it's almost insulting the way when you get into the great tree and like the puny start following you there's like this really annoying bam, 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 bam. it's like i yeah. cannot stand That's what that killed song it. yeah and it's like yeah, it's like it, a slap in the face <laughs> compared to the music you hear walking through Bogley Woods. It's as if like a clown car pulled up at your favorite concert and just like started <laughs> blaring whatever they were doing. Uh, and that's like, mo- like most of the temple is like, <laughs> and like it's puny's like falling off. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's not like, it's not a deal breaker. I, I think this, this chapter is effective at making the world feel much more mysterious and much larger. Cause I think a running gag of like every, like, that started in Super Mario RPG is that like Mario is kind of a celebrity and everyone's like, oh yeah, you're Mario, like do the thing. Uh, again, in, in uh, the first Mario RPG, uh, characters will stop you in the middle of dialogue and ask you to jump and then you just hit <laughs> A and they're like, wow, that was even better in person. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love it. Which is hilarious, but it's also really effective for this game to have an area where like no one knows who Mario is. You know, this is like an area of this, of the Mushroom Kingdom, I guess, where like, people don't usually go. It's like this kind of magical forest. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I loved it just for that. And it, it, it made me kind of forgive the weaker parts of it. I, I do think it's a really, to your point, Stephen, it's a really interesting choice in this game as a whole that uh, some people are like, it's Mario, he's famous. And some people are like, who's this weird old guy? Like, yeah. I, I really <laughs> love like that bouncing back the whiplash you get from like how people like, I think uh, like, yeah, like you said, the punies don't know you at all. Uh, Flurry doesn't know you at all when you meet her. But like, even though she's a stage actress, like you'd think she would. But then you like walk around Rogueport and some people or like, whoa, you're here. Yeah. There's even one person in the game who feels that way, but about Luigi. <laughs> There's one <laughs> single hardcore Luigi fan in this game. I love that. It's me. Okay. I'll admit it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Paper Brendan. Um, this chapter in particular, uh, 
it didn't work for me super well. Um, it's I think the weirdly enough, we, we talked about this a bit off the show, but I feel like the the criticism that gets levied at this game more frequently than any other is the amount of backtracking that happens, which I honestly kind of disagree with for the most part. Um, weirdly enough, this is the chapter that I got upset about the backtracking. And then I was like, fine with it for the rest of the game. Um, there's just a lot of like, why did the characters need to be standing here? Like, why couldn't they be like outside this, this room or something? Um, specifically thinking like, the, I, I guess we're in spoilers. I can talk about it. The, the shadow sisters, you know, you, have them all the way back at the beginning of the level and you need to talk like you walk by them right when the level begins you go all the way to the end of the boggly woods meet up with madame flurry who's like uh who's you know locked in her room she's like i need my necklace and then you need to go all the way back to the beginning of the level again and during that period and and will you told me off the show about a, a badge i could have gotten that would have made this a lot better but uh <laughs> At that point in the game, there are enemies that you can't beat unless you have a specific badge, which drove me up a wall because that meant that I needed to run away from every combat encounter, despite wanting to get into more combat encounters because I was enjoying the combat so much. I had to run from everything. And if I missed that one of these enemies was coming at me, then I needed to run away, which means you're also losing all your coins because anytime you run away, you just spill coins out of your pockets. Um, so it was just like miserable. <laughs> like I'll be honest, like that bit of the game was just like miserable um yeah but alongside all of that is the great music the incredible art direction and every character that gets introduced fucking rules um yeah i love the shadow sisters i think they're fascinating we, we there's oh, a lot yeah. we could say about vivian later but i just think the shadow sisters as characters are really great i love the stuff that they do with him at the end which we'll get to when we get to that chapter um but generally speaking i just i just think this is like the the desert level from the first game again for me yeah it's it's dry dry desert all over and it's just again. so unfortunate that it's in the same exact spot like it doesn't like <laughs> yes. put it later in the game like let me be more on board with the game before you put in the level what is that the requires curse this. of the second chapter yeah I, um, I don't know what's up with that that's the that's the next Super mario game uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing the thing that really what it is, is like the dungeon is built around a mechanic the game wasn't really built to do and that's kind of like it just sort of feels like unfinished in that way like it, it feels like not really as precise as you want it to be yeah um and yeah i i remember that stretch leading up to that fight because there's also no save point it, it's eerily similar there's a similar part of mother three i think it's before the jealous base fight where like the save point <laughs> is like eight rooms from the boss is so you have yep. to just like <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry we only bring you on for games that have this very specific <laughs> problem um but uh yeah Do you want to come on the, the show and talk about lost odyssey will sometimes <laughs> <laughs> overall like i think i think this game's combat is fantastic truthfully i think like 90 yeah. percent of the systems it's that amazing exist here is, we haven't really talked about it that much but it's amazing how good the it's combat amazing is. do you want to get into it the combat like, sure we, why not yeah. i mean we can we can filibuster the chapter two <laughs> section so, here with, with yeah we need a little because it's so so sparse and ugh. Um, yeah so first off brendan to your point about the the unbeatable uh, iron cleft or the spike cleft or whatever it's yeah. called i when I got the piercing blow badge and I like went through and like was hitting them with it without a problem. Or I think the game gives you a few pow blocks to use against them. Like if you can find them. You can also get the quake hammer, which that's what I used early yeah. on. Although that that kind of becomes shitty fairly soon after that. Absolutely. Uh, which There's also the flying way. enemies in the same area that you wouldn't be able to hit with the quake <laughs> hammer. Yeah. This was one of the many moments in this game this game that I love a lot and I know you you both do too that I was like ooh Brendan and Steve are gonna hate this <laughs> there, there are a couple moments that just feel like 
unintentionally punishing. Yeah. That's where I think it stands out. Like, I don't, I don't mind the difficult, like the moments that are intentionally difficult, I think actually do pay off. There are just a handful of moments where it's like, it, this doesn't feel like it was accounted for. Like, yeah, there's a, a, a road later on where you can find piranha plants and it's just like just a road to a town. It's not like a climactic moment of the game. And there's a chance there might be four piranha plants in a row that each do five damage. <laughs> yeah. So it's like all of a sudden I'm like taking 20 damage, which I wouldn't even take in the in the highest of difficulty boss fights up until this point. <laughs> right. So just stuff like that where it's like, why is this all of a sudden Dark Souls? I was going to um, I was going to say Bloodborne specifically. Yeah. Weirdly, it has <laughs> <laughs> same problem as Bloodborne where it's like oh shit I need to go back to Rogueport and buy a bunch to of items to get the blood vials so I can make it through yeah. this fucking part. Yeah. That happens a lot in this game. There's some stuff I'll get into later about things that I did in this game that you two did not that like difficulty spikes insane. Yeah. Um, so the combat uh, in this game unlike in Paper Mario 64 you have a choice between jumping and using your hammer and like defending i guess and your partner can do an attack as well and that's you also have this star summons that you get throughout the game so like uh that those give you like some extra abilities but they're kind of like slowly given to you over the course of each chapter and they're the star summons are completely static as well like they just happen when you use them yeah like a little animation Yeah. yeah exactly um and in and your partner has no hp and like no real agency outside of like attacking uh, like they get hit and they get like knocked out for a turn. That's it. Uh, in this game, so you have your jump and your hammer. You have these special moves, which you actually have to like do a quick time event for to be able to use. And some of those quick time events are pretty brutal. Uh, like uh, Steven, you were talking about sweet treat earlier sweet treat feels like punishment for not preparing properly for the like it feels like oh you didn't buy enough nectar or mushrooms (laughs) like now you have to play this cursed carnival game i eventually got really good at it which like gave me an evil joy like and then there's later on there's an upgraded version of it i can't believe they're making me do this again um but uh it it is like a, a lot of the star abilities so you know in the first game when it was about rescuing these star spirits that became summons basically and this game, you're getting the crystal shards that are part of this map that will open the thousand year door. And all of them are like kind of a risk reward scenario, which I think is really cool. It kind of gives like a because that's it kind of boils into the narrative where like later on in the game, you find out that like, well, the star spirits in in the first Super Mario are like benevolent, you know, gods, basically. Um, in this game, the the crystal shards are like pretty neutral. It it actually does remind me of Mother Three, where it's like the first being to pull all these needles. Like the fate of the world will be like reflective of like the soul of that person. Um, and similar here, it's like the person who opens the thousand year door first. It they don't recognize good or evil, so it's like either going to be a really good thing or a really bad thing. And for all the abilities to also be that <laughs> is very funny. Um, but yeah, oh, there's um. When I soup, I'm, I'll get into this later. I'm sorry. There's a bunch of abilities I really want to talk about because I love how much of little trolls they are. But back to the combat, the big changes in this game are that one, your partners have HP now and a Which lot more awesome. badges that they them they can use on their own. Yeah. Um. Two, you can parry now. In the first game, you used to only be able to block with A, and you would like lower the damage a little bit. In this game, if you time your time, if you do your timing even better. You can parry the move and do damage to the person trying to attack you or take no damage at all. Yeah, you have to press the B button instead of the A button. Yes, exactly. And if you parry a move that does like 15 damage to you, whereas if you blocked it, 
you would only like you would take 14 damage if you parry it you take none at all which yeah. is like parrying can save your life in this game and does many times later on again just like bloodborne <laughs> just <laughs> like bloodborne no uh, bloodborne honestly though like, like weirdly similar to my experience playing bloodborne uh when i played bloodborne for the first time and realized how important it was the like parry and repost situation with the gun i was like okay I'm going to just learn how to do this. And I just went to like a harder area in Bloodborne and just kind of like grinded out how to do that parry and repose in Bloodborne over and over again. And I did a very similar thing in this game where as soon as they taught me there was that parry mechanic, I was like, no more pressing A, only pressing B to block from now until the end of the game. And honestly, <laughs> doing that was super helpful. Like doing that really did save my ass more times than I think anything else that I did in the game. You know, what's funny is I actually I wasn't sure if you were talking about Bloodborne or Paper Mario. At that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think the biggest thing is that the first game similarly had a stage set up for every battle. But in this game, there's an audience. Yes, I love I love like there's the a audience. huge audience. They'll throw items or coins or rocks at you. They'll like cheer and their cheering is what replenishes your star power for an attack. Amazing. It's so I think I think this kind of says everything in in the first Paper Mario to recharge the star meter. It would just replenish over time or you could tell Mario to like pray to the star gods. In this game, you ham it up in front of the crowd to get star meter back. And like every character has their own pose that drives the crowd wild. It's so fun. I I love there's not really a way to like do this without just directly ripping it off. But I'm like, I want more audiences in turn based (laughs) combat. Like I I feel like Persona could do it in some way. Oh, my God. You know, it just feels like with an audience. Right. Like it just feels like that the combat is, is so theatrical already. Why not just make it a play? You know? Wow, I I am angry that I don't have that now. So thank you, Stephen. <laughs> um, Sorry. Oh, shout out Persona. Um, but yeah, and I a thing that the game doesn't explicitly tell you, like there's an NPC that'll like like hint towards it, is that there are stylish moves as opposed to just appealing to the crowd straight up. Yes. If you time your button presses, there is a you can do a stylish version of every move. Which means, for example, if Mario is doing a multi-bounce and jumping on a bunch of enemies, if you press A at the right time, on the last one, he will elbow drop them. Yeah. Like or like, like a Koops will like do a little break dance uh, when he comes back from sliding, which I love. Yeah. Uh, it's great when Koops is confident, you know, like when you ever see <laughs> you're like, yes. Oh, yeah, um, it's so cute. Yeah, I, I think the combat in this game is great. I think the only thing that may be like a step a little too far for me is the roulette that happens. Like, mm. I don't love the it almost never works. And when it did, it was poison. That's at the one time like <laughs> I've had it work for 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 poison and for stars. And, you know, it's like I don't hate an element of luck kind of thrown in for fun, but there's already enough going on that the roulette just feels like, okay, like it, it's not, it doesn't make it worse, but it doesn't add as much to it as like the audience already feels like the kind of third element that makes it feel really unique and really chaotic. Uh, just on the roulette, the, weirdly my, my feeling about it was that I wanted more options in the roulette. Like I, I think that, yeah. I think that it was actually a little bit too limited. Like it was a little bit underbaked as, as a concept. Like I, I understand wanting to remove it because there's a lot going on. And I think in the instance that they have created for it, like probably should have been removed. But if you had added more options of things that can happen in game, instead of just like, well, everything gets good or everything gets shitty. Um, I think that probably would have helped a lot. You know, if there was a version that was like, now the audience is full, you know, or everybody leaves or something. There is. Yeah. Uh, in the poison room, everyone leaves. And if you <laughs> shine bright, the audience fills up. You're right. That's a good point. Um, 
But, but I, I, I think you're on to something, Brendan, because I feel like the uh, it would it could have been an opportunity to be like, oh, this random effect on its own isn't that exciting, but it applies to exactly what I'm doing right mm-hmm. now. Like, oh, maybe like fire damage is twice as effective, and I have Vivian out or something like right, that. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, um and uh, I think. To your point about them adding that like roulette element of luck, they didn't really need that because there's already random stuff that'll happen on That's stage. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, like the a set will fall shy on guy you will walk to the back of the stage and drop a sandbag on you. Yeah. Like just yeah. Like, completely random stuff like that happens. Near the end of the game, constantly a light would fall on Mario's head and confuse him while I was trying to like, <laughs> do a final <laughs> boss battle. So and annoying. I'm like, did you really... And, like, in a lot of the bosses, it doesn't affect the boss. Yeah. So, like, you'll just have shit fall on your head and, like, get your whole plan sidetracked. Ugh. It's a little bit like the slipping in Super Smash Brothers Brawl, <laughs> where, like, there's, like, a constant chance you would just slip in that game. And, like, it's it's just not interesting <laughs> or fun. <laughs> yeah, I do think this game has more interesting ideas with that element of luck. And eventually, I think you can get the timing down where, like, if you, like hit a button at the right time where like the set falls on you you can block it so yeah. like it, that that all works to me it's just the roulette that i think is one step i, I think far. funnily enough this is a situation where it's like we you know we're three people who are uh adults but i think if i was 10 years old and like a sandbag fell on my head it'd be like oh darn you know and just like <laughs> you know move on uh but for some and reason we're like the implications of that mechanically <laughs> yeah, are, uh, no, there's, yeah. there's, some, there's something about like intellectualizing the the set falling on you that i'm like i i know that this this game i it reminds me that the game is made for children in a way um <laughs> sure but i totally agree like i felt the exact same way because so frequently i would completely forget those even like towards the latter half of the game i would always forget that that was even a possibility in combat <laughs> yeah i want to give a shout out to, to the moments where you like have an one enemy on their last hit of health and then something falls on their head and kills them and the battle ends. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I absolutely, like, lose it every time. That and that, that's what I want the roulette to feel like all the time. You know, like, I, I want the roulette to have moments where I'm like, oh, my God, like, this was already really cool, but I can't believe X happened, you know? Yeah. Um, this is the best. Like, if, like, lightning struck them, like, if there was, yeah. like, three little lightning bolts. Be, yeah. I, 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 I once you. got a game over with, like, a, a distant save <laughs> erased from a shy guy throwing a rock at me. That felt like... <laughs> That oh was like God. the most haunting finale. Like just seeing Mario like <laughs> slowly drop and the curtains close because an angry audience member was like, fuck off. Um, <laughs> haunting. It's haunting. It's a great game. The audience stuff is is so fun. And and again, I think it's there to like, it, it wants the battles to feel as fun as the story, yeah. you know, and, and make it feel like the battles are part of the production. Yeah. Quite literally. The one thing we haven't talked about is the, the, implementation of the party members um which i think is both one of the greatest strengths and i think my i i think my my biggest criticism of the game as a whole is i love the incorporation of the party members i specifically love how specific all of their abilities are how you start to get in time with the idea of if i see an enemy coming you know towards me i can pause the game swap to a party member that i know is going to be really effective against that enemy type like knowing which party member to have out at what time is really wonderful my biggest thing and i wanted to ask you about this specifically steven my biggest thing is that i think it detracts from the sense of ensemble that you can only have one out at any given time i so wish that i could have more than one party member at a given time because i frequently forget how many people there are around me 
that I that I'm technically traveling with because I have to make a decision of like who's the one person who's going to react to this moment or who is the one person who's going to help me in combat and there is that one badge that lets you quick swap um which is super helpful and is i think like maybe maybe the most overpowered badge in some Mm -hmm. like in some ways um but even with that i just think like if you're creating these characters that are so compelling and so cool i want to be able to like hang out with all of them i don't want to just like pick you know my top five on myspace yeah it's (laughs) the myspace jump scare um i uh i totally agree i mean it's kind of the byproduct of a good thing right because what we're saying is that all the characters are so good i can't just pick one um but it, it is like uh it, it does kind of accidentally sign sideline some characters. It's like, I, I don't usually have a reason to have Madame Fleury out, for example, but I always want to see what she's thinking yeah. or what she'll have to say about something. And it's also really fun to see the characters together. Like there are very few moments where you see them directly interact. Like I think uh, you see Gumbella and Coops early on. And then at the end of chapter four, you see them all together and it's like, it's like I'm like starstruck seeing them all on screen at the same time. Yeah. Um, Anytime that happens, I'm like, why isn't this always? Yeah. I think I think even just having a party of three, just like make it classic, you know, Final Fantasy three or four. Uh, if they ever do like a a follow up to this type of Paper Mario game, that would be a really, I, I don't think you have to be beholden to the one partner. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing preventing you from doing more. Yeah. I want it to be yeah. like Fire Emblem where you can just like cycle in. 1500 people and like they, and they can all die have and kids. it's whatever i got a hundred more <laughs> they all have kids. i want support scenes with yoshi kid being like sup you like hot dogs <laughs> anyway why don't we take a quick break here and then come back with uh the next few chapters yeah that sounds yeah. good chapter three is gonna sounds be big good. yeah that's that's what i figured like it's been an hour i think chapter three will probably be an hour so we'll see you soon <laughs> bye-bye bye-bye we're back talking about chapter three of the video game of glitz and glory it's called will i'll I'll let you take us in because uh you're the one with very strong feelings about this chapter not that not that everyone in the world who plays this game doesn't have strong feelings about this chapter (laughs) but uh, of the three of us i feel like i should give you the floor so we were talking like earlier about how the boggly woods feels like they tried to take like a big swing at like a unique game interaction mechanic and it didn't really work out with the it felt half-baked like you said with the punies and like the mini pikmin like trying to blow them all over the place the mechanics are kind of messy and the story there isn't all there uh glitz pit absolutely nails it in every possible way yeah. there's it's like you show up and you're signed up to be a wrestler named the great gonzalez which is like a the for me, it's really powerful that there's like a take that like maybe Mario's like actually Latino and not Italian. Like that's that's pretty huge. Mm. Um, and you have to fight your way up through a an arena gauntlet where there's an announcer and he's like hyping everyone up. There's a whole there's like an in-game, like in in the world audience cheering for you that becomes the audience in battles. And on top of that, like that was already excellent. Like having to fight my way up through an arena to get this crystal star. Or sign me up i'm good and then you get halfway through it and there's like a, a mystery you start getting like scary emails from people 
and like some are threats and some are guidance and like everyone's coming after you. There's like it feels like the whole we're like the whole wrestling world is coming down on you. And like the fact that they start the glitz pit and you're already like, oh, I'm in arena fight. Let's do this on a floating island in the sky. And then they were like, actually, let's take it a step further and put this like really potent intrigue in there. It's like it's magical. <laughs> like they yeah, nailed. Yeah, it's like. I, I don't I personally don't think that's the highest high of the game. I have like a few opinions about the rest of it, but I, I get uh, on my 11th or whatever playthrough of this game. I continue to understand why this is the chapter everyone talks about. Mm. Yeah, I feel like uh, my first feeling arriving, arriving in this island in the sky. That's like this big, essentially like carnival town. Like the whole town is this wrestling arena and a hot dog stand and like a juice <laughs> bar basically my first thought was oh shit it's gold saucer like it's yeah. it is uh if you've played ff7 uh gold saucer is like this casino area like a vegas type entertainment place on the world map that's also directly above a desert prison uh and it's actually like kind of a similar setup where you get here and you're like oh this is so fun this is gonna be like the mini game place and then you're like immediately arrested and thrown into the prison <laughs> and this game is like weirdly a subtle version of that like this this like you're right like it could it could have been enough to just have a chapter that was like a tournament arc like let's do a cell games real quick you see right away like the the champion of the arena has a crystal star on his belt and you're like okay so i had to like fight my way up and then i'll get the star but you're so right that like not only is there that intrigue of like you're getting these mysterious texts from people and like uh, there's all this kind of like mystery and you can even talk to some characters about like rumors and myths that have floated around. But like it's so effective the way they make it feels like it's such a purposeful slog to get to the top of this arena. Like basically every time you finish a match, it cuts back to the minor league like locker room that's like just like a pigsty it's filthy it's gross and like the manager of the arena this this woman jolene is like great your rank has improved one here's two coins see you next time and leaves yeah. and it's like the exact same thing over and over and over again and what i found really effective and really heartbreaking is like when you're in the minor league there's a koopa there named king k who's maybe the best character in the game <laughs> and he's like a, just a genuinely nice guy he's like making sure like everyone in that place feels welcome and and he's like he has no pretense he's like i know i'm like the the tier one like opponent in this whole system but like i'm gonna own it i want to make the most of it i want to make sure we all have each other's backs then when you slowly get to the major leagues everyone there is like kill kill like only win you know yeah, yeah. what i found really like honestly haunting is the way when you first arrive here you meet the like you know uh clearly like sleazy head of this whole place the announcer who's like the head of this whole you know business basically and when you show when you show up he's like hey look don't you want to live like this champion? Like, don't yes. you want to be him? Don't you want to have your own Game Boy Advance on the wall? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so they like dangle this carrot in front of you and it's such a slog to get there. And even when you get there, even when you're in the champion's room, it feels the same. It feels empty. It, you know, you're, you're talked to the same way. You're still on this conveyor belt that's only benefiting the guy on top. And like, it's, it's a really, like, it's not subtle, but it's a really effective and like, like biting just social satire like forget being a parody of mario this is like a really really thoughtful exploration of like 
the entertainment industry and just like exploitation in general, like promising, taking advantage of someone's dreams to the point where it's this conveyor belt of using up talent for one person's benefit. I, I thought it was brilliant. And and the fact that like the party member you get in this quest is the baby Yoshi, I thought was such a great, like even that is a commentary because all of this place is about consumption. You know, everything here is, is to be used up mm-hmm. and quite literally in the, in the last act reveal of the mission. Yeah. And the party member you get is the, it's at the hot dog stand. The person is trying to sell the egg as food, but you end up raising it and it becomes your Yoshi that you name and that, and that fights alongside you. And it's like the thing, this thing was made for consumption, but instead you chose to nurture it. And that is like the only reason you're able to win that fight. Like the fight was rigged from the start. And the only way you managed to break through was like through companionship and through like breaking this cycle of just like needing to consume and endlessly go through people. Uh, it, it's it's like it's that de- it's not my favorite chapter, but I think it's the most like thematically rich and like the most in- I'll think about it more than the other chapters after mm-hmm. I'm done playing this. That was Absolutely. all beautifully said. Wow, yeah. thank you. <laughs> um, it, it just honestly, not to make it too about me, but like it reminded me so much of how a lot of these comedy theaters are run. Like when I moved oh, to yeah. Chicago, like you walk in and like I don't regret going through there to be clear. Like I made a lot of great friends there. I love performing there. But like you walk in and someone's like, hey, do you want look at Tina Fey? She was here once. Do you want to be her? Do you want to be like every comedian who's ever set foot in here? We're going to put a framed picture of on the wall yeah. and charge you X amount of dollars per class. And like I remember going through that improv curriculum and basically almost every, like a few teachers were great, but almost every teacher was like, if you want to make it at this theater and it's like, hold on, I'm not trying to make it at one theater. Like I'm trying to make a career in this. Like, why would I just want to make it here for, you know, to perform for free at 2 AM on a weekday. That's yeah. the prize. Right. And right. like, you in know, the hope it, that maybe Lauren Michaels will remember it exists one day and go visit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just so it's so you can apply this glitz pit model to so many things. I mean, we talk about it a lot with the game industry, right? Where like all these mm-hmm. really huge names will be like, if you want to make it at this beloved studio, you've got to work every day for free for fun because <laughs> everyone else did. And like, yeah. it's just, it's sad that like a game as cartoonish as this and as like not subtle as this is like so effective at shining a light on what is so easily missed in our real life. I, I, I found this to be almost too effective. <laughs> it was like, it was like a horror movie playing through this chapter. Um, yeah. I loved it, but it was like deeply unsettling in a way the rest of the game is not. Yeah. It's um what <laughs> feels like insane to ask this after following up your really like beautiful interpretation of the chapter. But uh, what color was your Yoshi? <laughs> <laughs> my Yoshi, I I love my Yoshi. I, li- I they are my son. Uh, they are blue with the pink mohawk, and their name is Tony. Oh. And uh, yeah, that what, what color did you guys get? Oh, I'll go next. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mine was also blue. Uh, oh, hell yeah. I, I, <laughs> this is so dumb. But I tried, I, I was thinking at first that I'd name him Yoshi 2. And I was like, <laughs> I could be a little bit more clever than this. And then I named him Tushi, T W O S H I. And then I was like, that's oh, good. that's just, that's just Tushi. Tushy. I just named him Butt. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> I got a green one and named him after my late beloved dog, Rico. Oh. Who um, used to chew on my GameCube controllers. I love <laughs> that's that. That's perfect. Yeah. 
I had yeah. I had a beagle who chewed on my N64 controllers to the point where one of them the cap broke off. So it was just a stick. Ooh. So when we were, we played Mario Party, one person got the like thorn <laughs> controller and had to get stigmata when we did the like rotate the controller games. But um, I I I. I think it's so powerful too to have a companion in this game that you get to name. Yeah, it's like awesome. It, it's it's such a cool addition to the party, and like to make it Yoshi to like Mario's faithful companion. But it's like it's your Yoshi. It's it's the game giving the player a chance to like almost create their own character alongside everyone else. Yeah, um, and they're also really good. Like the Yoshi is like one of my go-to party members. Uh, they're incredible. Yeah, the ability to like swallow up anything. And in some cases, like bosses is uh, shocking. That was a, yeah. a shocking <laughs> revelation. I was like, I wonder if I could suck this guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> and also the ability to throw eggs that then weaken the enemy is yeah. really useful. And and just uh, they're out of combat abilities. You just ride them around and you go faster. I always feel bad, though, because they're so small and they're like in pain. It's like you become. Yes, it does look like they're in pain. Yes. Yeah. But I, I love the Yoshi. And uh, there are a lot of different colors you can get. I think it's determined by how much time they spend as an egg. Because I think they're like scripted to hatch at a certain point in the quest. Yeah. So if you like take a long time, uh, green, I think is the shortest amount of time. Blue is like a, <laughs> is the next one. Uh, and then like the last one is like a white Yoshi with like a pompadour. Uh, I wanted that one so bad. Wow. That's, yeah. that's very Yakuza weirdly. I don't know. Why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just feels like Yakuza Yoshi. Yakuza. Yeah, exactly. That's key to you. Uh, we'll get him eventually. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved Glitz Pit. Um, I also like that. I like this sort of twist that Jolene is on your side because I was like so suspicious of her. Mm. And then I was like, oh, I feel bad for not trusting this this woman. And uh, yeah, and uh, it, it's revealed at the end that the head of the arena is he actually has the real crystal star and he's using it to like suck the life and power out of all the wrestlers. So like one of the scariest things like truly is that wrestlers start to disappear as you play. So like King K is gone and like uh even even once the champ is is defeated like he's kind of used up too and and uh it's really sad like i I was genuinely relieved that when you defeat the boss everybody comes back because i'm like are they committing to this like are those people just gone yeah i think that would have been a little bit too heavy for a paper mario game but uh <laughs> this th- in addition to hooktail one of the better setups for the villain in this because i think they're they're really trying to set up uh rock hawk as the as the big bad and and right it's so obvious that it's gonna be the like vince mcmahon type producer <laughs> uh but you kind of you kind of just like you know don't see what's right in front of you right it's like the, it's like in plain it's in broad it's in the sky in actual broad daylight and you can't see it mm. i will say you saved my life will because for most of this chapter i didn't know you could sleep in the bed in the <laughs> in like the locker room so really? i was flying back that's probably why i didn't finish i was flying back <laughs> to rogueport which is like a cut scene it's like a blimp goes back yeah. and forth so like sleep pay and sleep at the inn when there was a free bed oh right in front God. of me but i think it's also like effective that there isn't just a place to sleep in this setting other than in the ring like the only way you can get kind of basic like human needs <laughs> quenched is if you're competing in this arena uh, or, you know, even and the only nourishment is hot dogs <laughs> if you buy at the stand. Like yeah. even the, like the juice bar, I kind of wish had a more direct purpose. Mm. Um, there isn't really much to do there. But yeah, yeah. I, I love I love this chapter. 
It's really, I, I really love the way it wraps up. I like uh, Grubba is a, a weirdly a fan favorite Paper Mario character. Like really? a lot of people really love him just because he says things Smash. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says things like, gotta lock this joint up tighter than a peanut butter jar at a squirrel convention. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, his, his lines are just so excellent throughout the game. I, I also like mechanically really love the way they like add elements to each battle like oh yeah you have to not use any flower points yeah it was or you awesome have to like beat it in five turns or less it's like i like i think it's really a, a really effective way to like make each accent the showboating nature of yeah this is almost like what i wish the roulette was going back to brendan's earlier point like i think it would have been too much to have like these restrictions <laughs> through the whole game but it does make every like only using Mario, only using your partner, not using items like all of those restrictions are are really fun and and do make it feel like you're like this is this is the first time it really feels like you're acknowledging the crowd is there. It almost makes me wonder if they like had the audience like for this chapter and we're like this is so fun we should just have it for the whole game. Oh yeah, you know because it feels like it, it makes the most logical sense here outside you know other than the other chapters. Yeah, but. absolutely. Uh, Shall we move on? Any other any other words on Glitzberg? Yeah, I don't I, I don't think I said it out loud, but this, is, this chapter rocks. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I just, I just want to that like, in. It was really good. <laughs> the fact that it follows chapter two, you're like, oh my god! You know what the thing is? Is like as soon as you walk into Glitzville, at least for me, the, as soon as I walked in there, I was like, this is a level that couldn't have existed in the first game. Like this is yeah. As soon as I walked in there, I was like, this is an environment and an idea that I don't think they would have been able to pull off on the N64. It's the first time in this game where I really felt like I was playing something that was a generation beyond what I played before. It's a great point. And even just the look of like the ride there is really beautiful. Like yeah. the, I like how they play with the foreground and the background in this game too. Um, yeah. It's fun. So one fun fact is that the theme when you're riding the blimp i never realized this until this playthrough it's a little interpolation of the super mario brothers 3 theme i love that it's, so it's much. really like cute it's like dainty and like you're it feels like you're flying in a blimp it really evokes that game um and <laughs> one thing we completely glossed over is that i completely glossed over my fault is the fact that to get to Glitzville, you have to work with the Mafia. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that. Which, that that is also very Gold Saucer, uh, back to <laughs> FF7. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you have to get involved. You have to find his daughter, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, like a, that's a story that weirdly stays relevant for, like, most of the latter half of the game. I, I It kind of worked for me in a way. I was a little bit nervous at first, but I ended up kind of liking those characters. I thought it was like a fun aside. I didn't mind it either. I thought I yeah. thought it was going to be a little bit problematic and it ended up being all right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's also the, like the only other game that Piantas appear in. It's yeah, like this in Sunshine, yeah. right? Yeah. And like Super Mario Baseball. Like this is not... <laughs> they don't really show up that often. Are they in Odyssey ever? I can't remember. I don't believe so. No. I also feel like the hot dogs are just a pretty good item. Like even even later on in the game, getting five FP and five HP is like helpful for a while. Uh, so yeah, you want to move on to chapter four? Yes, I Let's do. Go for it.
I think this is my favorite one, which I know is controversial because I know a lot of people love three. And this is like one of the more after the fact, I just looked up like, what does everyone feel about the chapters? Yeah. And this is like a very divisive one. I don't really I don't get why, to be honest, because I I just think it like is one another really cool setting. So this this chapter brings us to Twilight Town. What's it called again? For whom the bell pig tolls? Uh, for for pigs the bell tolls yeah that's <laughs> what it is it's like already like an alarming title um yeah and, and it's set in twilight town which is not the same one from kingdom hearts 2 unfortunately no but there is in chapter six when the train pulls into that station that reminded me a lot of twilight town yeah for real but at twilight town this game is very much like a uh, a spooky setting everyone there like uh will we were talking about this off the show i think everyone there's like a broken toy um like you pointed out which i didn't even realize until you mentioned that but they're all kind of heavily obscured by shadow like their their character sprites i guess are all kind of obscured and the town itself is like this haunted little town with this like eerily beautiful like starry sky and the next star is there and when you arrive everyone is turning into pigs and one it's a really funny reuse of the asset of the of the like the one of the few 3D things in the first game were these weird pigs <laughs> yes. that were like a gashapon machine where you would like get different colored pigs and that was like a little mini game you could do and in this game they're used purely for horror. It's like no everyone <laughs> is like becoming one of those pigs. Becoming a three-dimensional pig. The fact that they use the idea of a 3D object in the game as a way of eliciting horror is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. There's a there's a house in this town where you go in and it's it's a mother asking for food for her four children. And then once you give her food, she's like, oh, thank you. And as she's trying to thank you, she becomes a pig. And then all yes. her children are like, do we eat her now? And I'm like, this game is rated E. Like, what, <laughs> what am I playing? What is this? Um, so I, I do think like getting to Twilight Town is a little it's one of the harder like because between each chapter, you get a, a little vignette with Peach and the AI and like the X not base and with Bowser who shows up at the last area you were at. And then there's also like, you have to go back into the sewers by the thousand year door. Your map lights up and shows you where the next star is. Then you have to talk to professor Frankly, And he's like, I think it's on the moon, but don't ask me more. Uh, <laughs> so like to get to Twilight town, you have to find this warp pipe. that's kind of hard to reach. And then it also rejects you. Uh, and that's when you have to, it's a little like, that's where I think I can get why people maybe are turned off by this part of the game. But once you're there, I think it just takes off. And this is also where the uh, it's the shadow sirens, right? It's what they're called. Mm -hmm. They come back in full form and uh, you also meet. Uh, basically, you learn that the per you learn who is turning everyone in the town into pigs. It's this ominous villain named. We actually don't know their name right away, um, but his name is Duplis. <laughs> and uh, you go into this like haunted castle and you beat him. And honestly, I, I the game duped me. I thought the chapter was going to be over. I was like, that was like long enough that that could be it because it says like end of chapter. You get the star, and uh, in the fight, Duplis reveals that he can turn into anybody. So he actually turns into Mario in that fight, and you fight. Uh, your other self and you win and it's all good until it's revealed that you're actually like he switched bodies with you and you are now the shadow of your former self with none of your party members um and once that was revealed i i was so blown away by this chapter like i think that is such it reminds me a lot of actually of kingdom hearts where sora is temporarily a heartless like towards the end of the game mm -hmm. and there's a really hopeless feeling to that moment also um 
I don't want to spoil too many games, but <laughs> Shadow of the Colossus, spoiler, skip ahead a little bit. Uh, at the very end of the game, you become a Colossus for a bit. And like, I think that's really effective to like take away the character you're familiar with as a player and to show you like how weak the enemy is. It's really haunting. Like to be a Colossus is, is very powerless in that moment. And without it's kind of showing the player like Mario without your partner is so helpless. Like you can't do this alone. And eventually you stumble into Vivian who of the three sisters, the shadow sirens, uh, she is always picked on. They're always making fun of her. They're always being really mean to her. Um, and she kind of joins forces with you to help you find your name. Cause that's the other thing too. He stole Mario's name. So you're kind of left without a body and without a name. And there's something really effective about that for me. Like it reminds me a lot of like, I mean, Rumpelstiltskin is like the classic version of that, like the power of knowing someone's name and, or of losing it. And also spirited away with like Chihiro becoming Sen and temporarily befriending someone who was set up to be a villain while trying to find your identity again is just inherently fascinating. Like even if the chapter sucked mechanically, that is enough to chew on that I would, that I would enjoy on some level. But I think like this is one of the areas of the game where the backtracking actually works narratively Yes, because feeling the difference of having Vivian's help uh, and not is so effective. And, and really like, Vivian like immediately became my favorite character in this game and is also just a great party member. But I think this moment is it, it, it's even more attention. Like this game is already giving a lot of attention to the supporting cast. And here it feels like Vivian is like alongside Mario and like the leading role of this chapter. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought it was awesome. And the Duplass boss fight song is so good. <laughs> and like finding him again and all your party members think that you're evil. I, I refuse to attack Goombella or any of my other friends. I only attacked Mario when we had to fight. But th this this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Brendan, of like, it's frustrating to only pick one. And this is actually one of the rare moments where you see all of them on screen. Right. And it's so cool. Uh, yeah, I, I think this chapter is incredible. And I also think like the the mechanics are fun. Like having Vivian pull you underground so you temporarily are like invisible and invulnerable and also using that to hear birds talk to each other about global warming a plus all, a is all around incredible Which, chapter that is the thing that really happens that sounds like a joke that steven's making no, that is actually what the birds are talking about in the video game there's another crow who's like my little timmy did great on his sats and yeah like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, I'm like is there a standardized test in Japan that that would translate to? <laughs> like, I, like yeah, the SATs is such yeah. a niche thing. Yeah. But yeah. Steven, really, really excellent takes all around. I was pretty much like this used to be my least favorite chapter. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, when I was like the first 10 times I played this game, I would always be like, "Ugh, chapter four, let's get through this, etc. This time, like when the moment when it says end of ch end of chapter Mario like walks out to his bright future, which is what yeah. the credits of that chapter say. And then it pans over to shadow Mario. And you're like, wait, what? And you just have to like jump. And then you're like, what? What happened? How? Like it doesn't even I, I really appreciate the way it isn't even really explained how that happens. Like in the battle, you're on your side of the screen and Duplass is on his. And then he scans you and like you swapped and you had no idea. And I think that's why. Like you said, Stephen, it really like you had no idea. It's like so effective at throwing you for a complete loop. I really appreciate your point about feeling completely like the walk on the Twilight Trail all the way back to Twilight Town 
through all these enemies that can jack up their own power by like five yeah. points and kill you <laughs> in two hits is brutal. Like you just have to avoid them as best as you can or run as much as you can. Like narratively, that makes a lot of sense. And on top of that, Vivian's ability of Veil outside of battle lets you skip battles. So like all the backtracking that used to really bug me, I realized was both narratively compelling and also mechanically written around because like you're learning to use Vivian's new ability by playing the game as opposed to someone telling you you can jump across this ledge now you're like like you you're like I need this to get through the through here and you wouldn't really think to avoid a battle as like your modus operandi like you wouldn't think to avoid a battle specifically as part of the game yeah it's it's literally a whole chapter built around the idea of like tricks and and uh and swerves which i think is brilliant and and working that into the character that joins your party also deceiving you for a while as well like vivian is not like fully on your side at first uh which i think is interesting but also having her ability literally being like an inverse of the way combat should work is is amazing it's just like every every piece of this chapter works for me it is also my favorite yeah by the way i I love that moment in the final fight where it's like everyone thinks that Duplis is the real Mario and you're like the shadow Mario. And then Vivian finds out you're Mario and is like, oh, like all my sisters and I do is try to defeat Mario. I can't help you. And then her saying you're the only uh, uh, she says, I'm sorry, sis. He's you're the only person who's ever been nice to me. Yeah. Uh, and decides to fight with you is so heartbreaking. But like, so it, it, this is one of the more earned, like I'm joining the team moments, I think. Yeah. Because sometimes it kind of feels like, oh, it's sort of convenient to have a turtle with me right now. But this is like <laughs> for at least two other chapters, we've seen Vivian be like mocked and taken for granted by her sisters and seeing her like change sides just because and this is, I think, like if if tech, the AI fell in love with Peach because she showed him an act of kindness that whole story would work way more than an inciting event being I saw you naked. <laughs> in this case, like the the relationship between Vivian and Mario is rooted in like we're helping each other for no other for no gain. Like we're not going to get anything out of this other than our own name back. Yeah. And I think in some ways too, Vivian finds her identity as well with like she recognizes like all my sisters do is is mock me and and make light of me and like I'd rather help the person who helped me with expecting nothing in return. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. It's great. The, the other side of this that's interesting and unfortunate, I think in a lot of ways is that the, uh, localization between the Japanese version and the version that we got actually removes a like key part of Vivian's whole identity, which is that she is like canonically trans. And I, th- yep. I think, I think removing that from this game really kind of undercuts a lot of a lot of what she's going through. And I, I, I think I think there are a lot there are a lot of different ways that you can critique if you know if you know that about this game and you know that about Vivian as a character, there are a lot of ways that you can critique what's going on in the Japanese. And I think also the, the European version as well, if I'm not mistaken, also has her as trans. But there are a lot of ways you can critique that version of representation because a lot of it is rooted in like uh, honestly like uh like verbal abuse and 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 violence in a lot of ways you know and i think that that is not a thing you always want to see depicted on screen you know that is not the version of representation yeah. you want but there is also something to be said about the fact that like that is a game wouldn't this come out 2001 it's a game in 2001 that came out that has trans representation in it at all and i think that that's 
unfortunate to have removed uh in in localization because they just didn't think that like the american audience would like be cool with it and that sucks yeah, yeah. and this whole chapter is about claiming your identity yes, which that's perfectly exactly what i was know. gonna say yeah i i just i i think knowing that that is the undercurrent of where vivian is coming from and knowing that her sisters aren't accepting that about her is so brutal and it is so important to the arc of this chapter that I think it, re- it really undercuts a lot of what they're trying to go for thematically as a whole with this chapter. It could have been as resonant and as as powerful as all the stuff you talked about from chapter three. But unfortunately, the localization removes that. And what I do know about this game as well in terms of its development is that the localization teams were involved in the development. Like they were localizing the game as it was being developed instead of like, here's the final game now translate it, which is one of the reasons why the humor works so well. And you have things like the SATs getting brought up um, because, (laughs) because there, there are a lot of these moments where the localization team was able to actually have conversations with the people who were like on the ground writing the, the basic like format of the game and were able to, you know, translate things as it was happening but it's unfortunate that this that this happened i guess in 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 that interim like as much as you want that to be the case with all localization teams where they get to work hand in hand with the rest of the team as the game is being developed it's unfortunate that it resulted in this uh with vivian's character um who is also my favorite character in the game like definitely yeah she steals the show for sure I, um, I knew for a fact, uh steven i said i knew who your favorite partner is going to be really early on and i knew it was going to be vivian from like that's the, so I thought I thought because I was trying to guess like who you thought my favorite was going to be. And I, I, I assumed it was either Yoshi or Bobbery, uh, but I'm flattered that you knew it was Vivian. You yeah. called it. Yeah. It's yeah. just like she's a, a very uh, Bernadetta type, if anything, like, yeah. very, like <laughs> subject to the whims yeah. of like a terrifying world. The another big reason that chapter four resonated with me so hard was um, to the point of everything you said, Brendan, it, it really sucks that they like removed this in the localization. But even knowing that, like playing the game, like knowing that that's a fact about Vivian's character, regardless of whether they tried to erase it for the North American localization, makes all the scenes of abuse that Vivian suffers at the hands of her sister that much more potent and powerful. Yeah. Like even if it's not written in, just like knowing that like... That's the undercurrent of those She's constantly scenes. being yeah. like undercut and called ugly and like it's what used to bug me about like i was a a gamer and like oh the backtracking oh these battles are so annoying but like now like knowing all these things and like it makes it sting a little more in a way like it but it makes it sting but it also makes me so much happier that like for vivian as a character that she can finally be her true self with someone who she used to have to hate by command of her sisters yeah yeah and i think i think it's powerful too that going back to like mario's sense of character in this game a lot of the like moments of embracing vivian for who she is and for welcoming her to the party are out of the player's control like mario just like does it implicitly uh you know and and because there's a moment too where like after the battle the other party members are not sure if like she should join right away and having Mario kind of be like, no, that's she's coming with us, like no matter what. Yeah, he immediately <laughs> awesome. vouches for her. Like he comes yeah. up and like like tells him to back off. Basically, yeah, I think she's like, you want me to come with you? He goes, mm-hmm. like yeah. it's like immediately, yeah. like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's like that's so sick. I don't know that that whole chapter is just really resonates with me, especially as a non-binary person. <laughs> like finding yeah. that whole like finding identity, feeling really like lost and ambiguous, and like coming through with like new friends and like new purpose. It's just and like t- taking all your partners for granted. Like, yeah, you, you right? said earlier that like the the way back is really 
difficult without all your partners and you realize that like mario was like he's nothing without them like he'll get he'll get mopped if he doesn't have those extra hits those people backing him up like yeah. yoshi to like sprint past everyone or like hoops to like slap like smack them it's it's so excellent a couple uh fun thing to note is that Duplis is my favorite villain in the game like straight up oh yeah um he's great i really loved the way that even if you know his name is Duplis, you literally can't enter it because yeah. they take away the, the game takes away the letter p and hides it in a chest in his castle so you cannot <laughs> use the keyboard did either of you walk into the mayor's house when you got back to twilight town after you were shadow uh no i don't think i did no i didn't either <laughs> if you go into the mayor's house you can see Duplis talking to the mayor and all the party members are there like mario's being really pretentious like Mario's oh, not, really? you're not usually an, an asshole. <laughs> like everyone has like a comment about like, we liked that you were really like silent and stoic and like uh, meditative. And now you're this dude. And like the mayor's like thanking Duplis and Duplis is like, wahoo, it's a me, Super Mario. Like the, he's doing the whole bit, like the whole bit from other games, like the whole bit that we know Mario as, which lends further to your point, Brendan, that Paper Mario is a totally different character. Yeah. Like the fact that Duplis calls himself Super Mario every time, <laughs> it's it's so good. It's also effective with the game that Duplis is like a somewhat intimidating villain, and he's just like a cartoon ghost with like a party hat on. Like, how do they make this guy like actually kind of scary? <laughs> Something I've been waiting to say until we got to talking about this chapter is I know the next Super Mario Brothers movie they make is probably going to be the same like nonsense that they made this time to make a billion dollars off of. But something like this, like this story, like someone yeah. stealing Mario's identity, like someone like Duplis stealing Mario's identity could make for a really incredible film. Oh my That's God. the thing. I, 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 when, when the Mario movie was announced, my, my take has always been like, there's not really a reason to like give narrative to Mario, but like having like an animated movie or series in the Paper Mario world would be so good. I would watch that in a heartbeat. Like it would be so fun. Honestly, that like might be a better future for this series than even being games <laughs> in some ways. Uh, but yeah, I, th this is a... This, this is my favorite chapter. I'm glad we're all in unison on that. Um, more fun Easter eggs. Uh, did you two fight the atomic boo? No, I don't believe I did. I didn't. Um, did you? So, Brendan, you got to the end of the game. You know how Flurry was like on stage fighting this big boo that you don't see in the game? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. If well, you um, like if you do like the, the hammer swing on all the boos that are trying to pick you up and like bring you out of the house. All of them. All of them. If you like get them all off of you, they yeah. form into an atomic boo and it's like a secret boss battle. Oh wow. That's awesome. What do you what and do you get for beating atomic boo? Anything You get the lucky day badge. Oh, that's how you get the lucky day badge. Oh no, the lucky start badge. Sorry. Oh. Uh, the lucky day badge is something we could talk about later. But yeah. the lucky start badge is ha uh it makes something good happen at the start of every battle. Like you can become like dodgy or electrified when you walk in. Whoa. It's like off the bat you're doing you're doing great. See, this is why I want to replay this game already. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i didn't know that the first like three times i played the game i just avoided the booze wow. and then i found this out like i was like what happens if i swing the hammer on these guys as a kid and then i got my ass beat by a giant boo yeah so, good stuff uh the badges alone add so much variety and, and the ones too that are kind of like a trade-off like there are multiple that i think stack that lower mario's defense but raises attack stuff like that is so interesting yeah. to me okay so that's that's that chapter
I think actually, even though we've uh, been uh, like one hour per chapter so far, I actually <laughs> think the next couple are going to go by much faster. Yeah, there's totally. not as, as much to three and four are like like we said before, like they're kind of the 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 meat of the game narratively i think yeah you know um yeah. although well we'll talk about chapter six when we get to but i wish that chapter six was one that we liked enough to talk about for an hour uh which, <laughs> but we can talk about that later uh for now we're on chapter five which is um like you can tell that they were also excited about uh pirates of the caribbean and the curse of the black girl coming out. <laughs> they also saw it four times in theaters yeah but it's a, it's a whole chapter about pirates <laughs> this this chapter is really I think it comes at the perfect time because like three and four are like kind of more out there like three feels like its own little narrative that happens like literally in the sky it's like sort of a self-contained thing and four is like a sort of plot twist almost so it's five it's just like a nice like we're just gonna go somewhere cool and it's gonna be awesome there's pirates there's like a nautical sean connery babam <laughs> that joins you and i really like this chapter i i think the boss is my favorite one of my favorite boss fights it just Me looks too. so cool yeah whenever they have like 3d crafted like hook tails like this too yeah where they take 2d planes and make a 3d figure out of it it was a lot of fun because it was like the risk reward of like going after the various limbs that would respawn and also i just love bobbery like actually throwing bombs into the enemy part of the part of the battle is so fun um this is just like a it's a good time from start to finish and i do like the little arc that uh is it flavio the like arrogant guy i, I like that he sort of becomes more heroic by the end of it uh that was a nice little twist as well going back to like there's this constant theme of like redemption and like thinking one thing about a character and seeing another side to them yeah. you know it was, it was a nice little redemption i think yeah i agree uh, all the problems that I used to have with chapter four, I have now with chapter five. <laughs> I, really, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, so there is like a lot of like backtracking through a bunch of piranhas that can poison you and like oh, a whole yeah. bunch, like a whole mess of dumb enemies. And like in Twilight Town, all that backtracking really serves the narrative. But in chapter five it can be written away by like one like a flick of the pen like oh flavio's with you when you do this and then bam that's like four trips in and out of the jungle gone mm -hmm. i honestly wonder because i feel like especially when we were doing the ds episode i read a lot of reviews for games around that time and obviously that's a little bit later than this but like every review before like 2014 would be like the game's too short that was like a constant refrain and like a lot of game reviews and i just wonder if maybe there's a little bit pressure to kind of lengthen some moments mm. by adding stuff like that. Interesting. I'm not sure. Yeah. I just, I just I, it was on my mind during this, but I agree. Like, I, I think at this point you have enough party members to choose from. Like you have Yoshi, you have Vivian. I enjoyed kind of using Vivian's like big fire blasts and all the poison piranhas. So like, yeah, I, this, this chapter makes you feel strong in a way that I appreciate, <laughs> but I totally agree. It, it doesn't really serve anything to have to like, especially because you have to do the Yoshi jump up the ledge and that like it, oh, it's i have a 30 percent chance of doing it so like i'm constantly falling <laughs> down and that just gets old really quickly yeah this is the point so chapter four was the end of my struggle with my bp only run uh for the audience yeah uh, we haven't talked about this at all yeah. i do want to talk about this so this is like the point i wanted to get into it a little bit as you know by, by this point i think you can uh upgrade your hp flower points or badge points uh, at each level literally calls you a coward if you want to upgrade your health points <laughs> the game says use this if you lack confidence which yeah. is absolutely a wild thing to say to a child um <laughs> but what i've been doing for the past few runs is i buff flower points once 
and then I go all BP for the rest of the game. And at chapter four, when you're going through all the enemies that can like power themselves up and kill you in two hits, that was the last point at which the game was at all difficult. After chapter four, I am like walking through enemies, basically. I'm like tearing them apart. Like I don't I barely take damage. A lot of times I don't take damage at all and because of damage dodges and defend pluses and which are both badges, to be clear. And you have so many different badges at this point in the game that you can build Mario however you want. Like there are like dozens of different ways to build Paper Mario into your personal killing machine. <laughs> it's actually what the back of the box says. It's kind of weird. It's it really is. This game's rated. It should be E10. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is like one thing I, I, I am not crazy about the chapter except for the final battles like the end of it it ends like with a big the like, bosses are yeah, the, the Cortez yeah. fight fucking rocks and the way they like use the stage in the Cortez Cortez fight like the curtain comes down and like Cortez like does a quick change and then it comes back up yes so excellent and then after that you get like a navy battle which is yeah just like the the finale of the chapter is like magic but yeah throughout the I I really noticed that like this was where the game lost me a little bit like the mm the latter chapters which is uh it's it remains one of my favorite games of all time i still love playing it uh i love the sailboat ability and yeah this is something we also haven't brought up at all is the curse chests oh yeah. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but yeah the reason i like avoided bringing it up really is because like mario there are four curse chests in the game that you meet throughout and they curse you by giving you abilities that make you realize that you're paper, which is like an like an existential horror in its own right. <laughs> but by the end of the game, Mario is so jaded about the curse chest thing that he like explains to the chest like, dude, I've been through this three times already. I know you're going to come out and say boogly woogly woo and curse me and call me stupid. Like, I don't give a shit, dude. Just get it over with. <laughs> and like Mario doesn't say all that. But that is what he's saying to the chest functionally. And I I really love the idea of a jaded Mario. Like Mario who's been through it so many times that like he's just like, just get your, just do your little dance and get out of here. And the, the chest is like, I prepared this speech and everything. Can I please just like curse you? And Mario's like, whatever. Like it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> I love Mario surrounded by villains that are like antsy for their big moment and Bowser yes. being the biggest example of that yeah I, I love the curse chests there's such again it's such a fun way to have a spin on like you know uh getting traversal abilities right like it could have been like the blessing of the stars or something but it's just getting progressively more cursed and the sailboat ability they really signpost early so I was like so antsy to get it it reminded me so much of Metroid Prime with the, gra yeah. with the, with the grapple points the grappling where it's hook. like you yeah. see the grapple points throughout the entire entirety of that game it's the last thing you unlock yeah yeah but it, it, it was worth it because there's a point in the rogue port sewers where like uh you just sail for like most of the width of the entire sewers and in one room there are like three shines and like a star piece and like oh hell yeah uh it's it's i, I love sailing but yeah i i can see what you mean about the the earlier beats of this chapter i do like the narrative thread of the journal like the updates of like what's happening with the crew and everything. And Bobby is a cool character too, or Bobbery, Bobbery excuse me. Yeah. Um, Admiral, I should say. Admiral Bobbery. Uh, yeah, his, his story is uh, like specifically really fucking sad. Uh, yeah. He's like, he like wants to kind of like drink himself into a stupor because he's so sad about the loss of his wife. And, and you have to, you have to bring him, I mean, you know, you bring him a soda, but we all know what that means. Come on. Uh, yeah. Uh, but he kind he comes around and realizes that he has something to live for. You know, he like decides to un 
unstrand himself from an island and come along and like help save the world. And I just think that that I was so surprised again is just another situation where it's like so surprising that they go there with a character that turns around and becomes such like a nice moment that does feel emblematic of Paper Mario, but it starts in such a darker place than I would have expected this game to go. Yeah, he feels like this is just could have been someone in Final Fantasy VI. You know, like <laughs> I feel like be, like you could take the same script and apply it, and yeah. like uh, if he wasn't like a bomb which are already one of like the harsher they're walking bombs it's like the lesser cartoony designs yeah, yeah I, I really liked him and I, I just love his look like one of my favorite like character designs in the cast yeah the big mustache and i love like one of his abilities he's he's like meant to be like a, a tank basically um and he has an ability where when any enemy attacks him he like does damage to them and he's just like standing guard like red and fuming I mean, this is so cool i love this guy so much yeah. Yeah. he's very like cool in a way that isn't like 90s cool you know what i mean like i, I love <laughs> he's his look. actually I exactly cool. what you mean yeah he's actually yeah. cool yeah it's like such a such a wild like jump off to have the chapter start with you giving him a letter from his dead wife like that's how yeah. the chapter begins which is what a choice and what a good one uh I, it also adds so much to the to the like energy of Rogueport. going back to us talking about like how that place kind of grows over the course of the game the fact that someone like admiral bob bobbery is just like in this place and the innkeeper's like yeah i know him like he comes in all the time but like i haven't had the heart to give him this letter like i think that in addition to all the tattles it just makes it feel like every character is thought of on such a intricate level in this game it's so cool yeah uh to your point earlier steven about like I, or or brendan one of you two made the great point because you're both <laughs> making great points about uh vivian being like kind of present for the whole game and like only joining you at chapter four like the fact that bobbery has been in that house directly next door to professor frankly like the whole time just like mm. shut away and like you you walk past that house throughout the game and you're like i can't i wonder who lives there and when you finally get the chance, it's like this, like broke. I find a broken man. It's like that. Like <laughs> that. There's. I don't think there's another experience in Rogueport of like actually seeing someone who's like defeated. Yeah. Yeah, and like in a very real way, right? Like it's about like the the death of a loved one, and the letter is so beautiful. It's like don't give up on yeah. on life. Yeah. Basically, don't lose both of your loves. That's yeah. Like, I believe that's oh what it says. God. Which is like yeah. I, 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 do they actually give you the option to skip the story? That must have been like the qualifier for E over T because the bartender's <laughs> like, it's a really sad story. Are you sure you yeah. want to hear it? Uh, I wonder if there is a way to actually skip it. But regardless, <laughs> yeah, I, I find in RPGs, it's usually hard for a character who joins late to feel of like the same like caliber as the rest of the cast. And Bobbery is so strong that it, it works. And you also have like, at least three more chapters after him so it's not like it's always a pet peeve of mine when someone joins and you can only use them for like an hour mm -hmm. and then the game ends <laughs> yeah. so i'm glad bobbery had a chance to shine yeah nice and that's that chapter <laughs> <laughs> ahoy uh, well actually, actually before the chapter ends you have to you have to go back uh and talk to the mob again to get a train ticket Right. That, that, that happens before the next chapter starts. Right. Yeah. yeah basically between every chapter, there's like a weird you either have to like find the warp pipe or like do some kind of strange task yeah. to like get access to a place. And two of them involve trying to win over the mob. 
Um, I, I love them. I love in the beginning of the game when you're talking to Goombella in the background, like at in the prologue, in the background, you can see the Piantas beating up some of the East Side people. Oh, yeah. That's it's, right. Yeah. I totally forgot yeah, about that. Right when the yeah. game it's like that's how the game begins. <laughs> Ugh. And you're like, I'm gonna ask them for two tickets later <laughs> on. <laughs> I also forget, can you can you get um Miss Mouse before Bobbery or is it after? Yes. You can, right? Uh, yeah. I believe Miss Mouse becomes available after chapter four. Oh wow. Yeah, I, that yeah. early. I her help appears. I actually I stumbled into her by accident, which I couldn't believe. But on the help board, there's like a bunch of question marks and then you have to go back to hooktail castle to find her a badge mm. i love that i love that this game has an optional character i do i did find her a little bit underwhelming like yeah, i feel same. like she's set up so much like you run into her every now and then and there's like sort of this like Catwoman relationship with mario and then she finally joins and she's like the second worst party <laughs> member in the game <laughs> yeah, she's useful for like, finding badges but that's no she's like, like great as a character and like out of combat but I, I don't find her super helpful like in in the heat of battle though she has a couple interesting moves but i digress So do you two want to get into chapter seven or chapter six? Sorry. Chapter six. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. How do you two feel about this chapter? I thought it was pretty good. It definitely wasn't one of my favorites, but it wasn't like a chapter two scenario where I, like, I hated it. Um, I liked, I wish they leaned into it just being a big mystery because I thought like they kind of dropped that halfway through. And I liked the like being on a train, getting to know everybody and like using uh, Vivian's ability specifically to like, catch someone walking in the room thinking it was empty yeah. like all of that i loved then when it becomes like there's a bunch of goombas on the train or whatever they are like the, yes. the flurries smorgs that all felt kind of like it kind of defeated the purpose of the whole mystery it's like they didn't have the confidence to see the idea through yeah i did love navigating the like museum at the very end where the real crystal shard was in the painting and like using all your abilities to get there. And then that's also where the Luigi emblem is. So like I liked the the very last moment and I liked the setup. But yeah, the the middle and the boss fight kind of lost me in this chapter. Yeah, I, I just wanted it to be better. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, agree. I, I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, we're doing Poirot. You know, we're doing Sherlock Holmes. We're on the train. Murder on the Orient Express. So excited about it. And then it just kind of like gives that up uh, to be a big boss fight. And that was a little bit disappointing, I think. Uh, which is there's also bad Metroid Prime at one point where you have to roll up and <laughs> do that little thing. Yes, uh, and, bad Pikmin and, and bad Metroid Prime all in one game. <laughs> yeah, 2004. What a year. Um, I found myself rooting for the Smorgs because everyone on the train was a rich <laughs> asshole, and that I feel like that's not a place you want to be in. Like much like my feelings on Goombella earlier, like this chapter like really felt different to me because all these people were like really rich and pretentious, and yeah. I was like, ah, I don't, you can, you can smorgas, you can have them. I don't want to, I don't want to save these it's guys. It's also in this chapter is in stark contrast to the murder mystery in the first Paper Mario, which is awesome. That's like the best chapter <laughs> yeah. in the first game, where everyone uh, in the town hates you. 
Yeah, that's like like there are like I think overall this game is much better, but there are some chapters in in the first game that are like all timers, and that's one of them. So I was like, I'm like, oh, we're doing penguin mysteries again. I am all, I'm literally all on board. And then it was then it then they dropped it. Yeah, but it was okay. It it was like kind of middle of the road for me. Do you two want to hear my pitch for a better chapter six? <laughs> sure. Please let's let's rewrite it. I I thought of this this playthrough because I got Miss Mouse so early. My pitch for a better chapter six is first of all miss mouse is not an optional partner she's like an actual partner that joins you in the story yeah i wanted her to like get more of a spotlight when she joined kind of the same way vivian did you know what i mean exactly totally and you have to work with miss mouse to steal the final crystal star from the poshly sanctum and it's like a heist like that would have been because they did like so many weird narrative you things. You said my like, magic word, Will. I'm yeah. I'm, in, I'm on board. <laughs> like the final, the chapter six being like a heist that you like. There's a terrible, like grumpy, poshly sanctum owner who has some kind of I don't know a robot that tries to stop you from whatever. But like just like ha- using Ms. Mouse in that way would have been so. Like, I would have felt more about her joining my party if she, like, had a story. And the fact that that chapter, when every chapter before it was built around partners, that chapter has no partner that you get. It's, like, kind yeah, of a letdown. Yeah, that's down. very true. Yeah. So, yeah. I really love the vibes at Riverside Station, though. It's, like, this beautiful, like, yeah. sunset thing, and you're walking through just... I also like the penguin character. I think he's fun. He's kind of like a Herlock Sholmes, like, <laughs> not very good at his job, detective. Yeah, that was, I, I think, the best swerve of that whole chapter uh, is it, just, like... How much you think he is going to be the the crux of of the the solution, and it turns out that Mario just solves the entire case, like <laughs> by, kind of by accident, as a silent protagonist over and over again. Uh, that that's a good bit. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I do like the ultra jump too. You get a fun ability from this chapter. That is true. So, yeah. yeah, and the actual smorg fight I thought was pretty cool. Like the actual boss was fun. So not not a total loss. Just lost. I will say it has my favorite name of all of the chapters. It's called Three Days of Excess, which I think is like <laughs> an incredible name for literally anything. Like I like just tell me that something is called Three Days of Excess and I, I, I'm in. I will check that thing out. Absolutely. It's a great name. All, all the chapter names are great. Yeah. That was chapter six. moving on to chapter seven mario shoots the moon this is this is where i played up to (laughs) (laughs) there's a there's a revelation give mario a gun (laughs) come on (laughs) you bastard tries to shoot it out of the sky um yeah there's a there's a revelation i think in between chapters five and six or between six and seven i don't really remember where uh you find out that the place that peach has been held is in the x knots uh moon base specifically um, so when Mario and, and party realize that they need to go to the moon, uh, that's, that's the chapter Mario shoots the moon. It's a, it's another, like the thing is about chapter seven and eight is it just feels like the end of the game to me. Like, I don't think of them as two separate chapters. It's all just kind of mm-hmm. like one thing that all blends together. So especially cause there's no like rogue port in between, like you yeah. go, you go right to the sewer and you go right to the door and like, yeah. that's. Uh, so I, I don't even really have anything to say about it outside of like, we should just talk about the end really. It's like, Oh yeah, you go, you go to the the moon and then you make your way to the final <laughs> boss. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
guess what? There's a dungeon before the final boss. I, I will say one thing in the in the Peach interlude where you learn that she's on the moon. I, even though we've criticized the tech storyline, I did find his death to be pretty shocking. Oh, like, yeah. Seeing uh, the X-Nots be ordered to delete the hard drive and then him saying like really quickly between like a bunch of static, I love you. That that actually like really gut punched me, even though like it was rooted in horniness. I thought it was an effective moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, and it's frustrating. So if, if it didn't lead with what it did, that would have been like so heartbreaking. Like if we were more on board with that like connection, mm-hmm. uh, that would have been like an all time moment. Yeah. But um, it was still like they got very killed. Effective. This crime was being too horny. <laughs> <laughs> he deserved it. Um, can I give you two an aside about my time uh, in between chapters six and seven? Yeah. Please. Oh, yes. <laughs> Please do. So um, last week I made like a schedule of how I would play through Paper Mario to finish it in time. And my schedule for Thursday evening was finish chapter six and then do the pit of 100 trials. Yes. I was really terrified going into it because uh i think the past two or three times i've played this game i've done the pit and it's always taken me like seven hours it is a gauntlet of 100 battles and in the beginning you're like oh because you're at chapter six so you're like pretty decently leveled you're like oh this is fine i'm just jumping on a bunch of goomba heads and like you get the level 50 by the way to anyone planning on playing this game and in this deep in the spoiler section first of all what are you doing second of all (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you can, maybe between chapters six and seven, go through the pit, get to level 50. You will get an item that doubles your carrying capacity of items called the Strange Sack, which is a terrible name for an item. But do that. Strongly recommend. It makes the end of the game not a disaster in terms of difficulty curves. But after chap- like level 60, the difficulty quadruples. I built myself to be an invincible Mario killing machine, and I was getting like hit for 15 damage by things constantly to the point where I was like, am I going to have to do all Cause there's no save point at all throughout the entire pit. So I was like, am I going to have to do all this shit again? Like, is this going to like eat into my, into the aether game time? What am I do- <laughs> like, what am I? And it made me think of all the past times I've played through it where I was like, what am I, why am I doing this? Like when you get to level 60 or so and you're four hours in, you're like, what am I thinking? Why am I like I could have been outside. I could have been going for a walk, but I'm literally (laughs) in a pit. But yeah, they give you a bunch of badges that are really like necessary. (laughs) Like Lucky Day, for example, you get on level 90 of the pit. And it's like, that's that's kind of messed up. It's like the it's where the game is most cruel. And I think you two should experience it the next time. Yeah, I definitely will. To be clear, I'm definitely going to like see it through. Like I'm, I'm right at the end. So it's actually maybe helpful that I have a little bit more time to like prepare for that because i'm at the point where you get to the babam village and they're like you've got to talk to two other babams that are in two different towns and once you get to those towns <laughs> we're going to tell you they're in another town i'm like man you're really pushing me on my i don't think the backtracking is that bad point <laughs> um, it's, it's bad well the reason i wanted to bring up the pit right before this is because yeah. in the pit you get a badge called bump attack which means that i was telling brendan this last night and his eyes got so wide when I told them that it lets you just walk through enemies. Oh, wow. Like, no battle, no nothing. You can just walk right through them. Steven, what, what game is that that we played that the, it, was, it was an RPG where if you're a high enough level, if you walk into an enemy, they just die immediately? Yeah. Uh, I think it might have been Earthbound. Was yeah, that Mother Earthbound? Three, Mother that? 3 and Earthbound. Both oh, yeah, that. it is Mother 3. But you 3. have yes. to be running. <laughs> <Mother 3. laughs> My kind of game. I think there might I be another one. 
Yeah, um, but definitely those two. But yeah, it. Uh, I would complain about the backtracking in that last segment and all the frost piranhas and all that, but I was walking through them. I uh, I had two badges. One prevented first strike from the enemy, which was really helpful. Uh, and one let me jump on spikes, which those two like at least alleviated some of the pain there. But that sounds incredible. I'm going to the pit the minute we're done yeah. with this call. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I, it, it is... It takes a long time, but it's worth like it. my this is the fastest I've ever done it, and it was like two and a half hours. So it's like <laughs> there's a similar thing in Wind Waker. There's an island where there's just like a never like you keep going further and further down, like every level in like this cave, you fight a bunch of enemies, and then you go down a hole, and there's another one. And I remember being a kid, being like, "This might just never end." I think I felt like a glitch. Like, it took <laughs> so long. I don't even know what you get at the end, but I did the whole thing. Yeah, that's like one of the few games I've like 100 percented. I think the terror of that uh, thing in Wind Waker is the fact that it's on Outset Island. Yeah, yeah, like it's on right your next home. to where you were a yeah. baby and your little sister lived. There's this pit of <laughs> infinite monsters. It's kind of similar with Rogueport, right? The the pit of a hundred trials is like next to the thousand year door, uh, and the game kind of makes you walk by it a few times, which is it almost taunts you. It's, it's, it's like this is here whenever you want. didn't even talk about this really but the, we're at the point now where the game is like revealing what's going on with the thousand year door and what's back there which is uh apparently what happened was there was uh a, an entity called the shadow queen who is like this big evil demonic force and the last time she was released essentially created an apocalyptic cataclysm that took the entire city that rogueport is built upon and and just kind of like threw it into disarray. Like it was literally an apocalyptic event and Rogueport is built on top of what you've been traveling through as the sewers is this city that was decimated by the shadow queen. And the whole plot of the game has been you getting all of the crystal stars. Cause it's going to be so exciting to get the cool treasure that's behind the <laughs> thousand year door. And in reality, it turns out that, uh, actually you've been, you've been, uh, putting together essentially the key to release this, horrible cataclysmic uh, cataclysmic being um and i love the conversations that you have in the game between all the party members where they're like talking about is should we actually be continuing to collect the stars or not like that that moment where the game asks itself like is it a good thing for you to get all these stars or should you leave them where they are and the and the realization that like it's actually better for us to collect them and to know where they are so we can hide them effectively instead of just like letting them all hang out wherever they might be. So somebody else, because like we've been having an easy enough time collecting them, somebody else who's equally motivated or more motivated might be able to get them uh, as well is a, is a wild thing for a game to ask at all, much less a paper Mario game. Like I was blown, I was blown away by that plot beat. Like that by itself, I think is one of the most compelling moments of the entire game for me. Cause as soon as I learned what was behind the thousand year door, I was like, we have to stop absolutely not like no no more stars we're good all good gonna go back to the mushroom kingdom thanks though yeah it's brilliant it's brilliant writing that's excellent like it really moved me this time playing through 
because uh, it's like a, when you're I mean, granted, the last time I played it was like six years ago. I was in my early 20s, so still pretty dumb. But when you're <laughs> playing through it, like <laughs> like they wrote also, it. I just realized I like the whole time Brendan was talking, I was just smiling, frozen, <laughs> like in agreement with what you're saying. Like, why does my face hurt so badly? <laughs> that was that was me with with you two during Twilight Town. I was just pointing at the camera like silently (laughs) yeah no continue please keep going continue going yeah they're on one um the game really did a great job of writing mario into a complete like terrible like trolley problem corner because uh either you do collect all the stars and open the door you don't collect all the stars and someone else gets them and opens the door like Bowser. Like Bowser. Example, yeah, Bowser's them, totally yeah. going to do it. I'm rooting for him. Or <laughs> you collect like four of them and then fuck off. But even if Mario were to do that, the seal in the door is weakening. That's why it was called the thousand year door. That's yes, like the exactly. whole crux of the game is that the door is going to fucking open anyway. So you have to do something. And oh, I, I just like such excellent. Yeah. Like the I, I know we're kind of like mixed on chapters five and six, but the and the beginning of chapter seven but like the like the whole like sprint to the end of the game is so like well written and well executed i thought the exnot fortress was like an okay palace they make you do a quiz again but (laughs) (laughs) and there's like this really annoying factory you fight grotus again it's like not yeah it's not all that exciting but then you got to the palace of shadow which is like what's behind the thousand year door and everything that happens in there is like excellent yeah it's awesome yeah. Brendan, do you want to talk about your experience with the Palace of Shadow? I mean, it was it was good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love. OK, so the the thing we talked about this yesterday, but the thing that really stuck out to me about about the Palace of Shadow specifically is Gloomtale, uh, mm. which is like one of the big boss fights before the end of the game. Um, essentially, the eighth chapter is just like a lot of boss fights. Thankfully, you can like save and heal after this one, <laughs> which we'll talk about later. But the Gloomtail fight in particular is really fun just because I having not done the the pit of a hundred trials or whatever it's <laughs> called, which which ends with uh Bone Tail, right? Yes, Bone Tail. Not knowing that Hooktail is like part of a lineage of dragons, like there's like a whole family of dragons throughout the game was really silly. Uh and, and Gloomtail is the older sister. Older brother. Older brother. Yeah, yes, Hooktail's old, the younger sister. Older brother of Hooktail. So when you when you walk in, um, oh fuck, I forget who I had out at the time. But when you walk in and you run into Gloomtail, the, whoever it was, the party member that I had out, says something to the effect of, "I thought we already beat this person. <laughs> like, I thought we already <laughs> beat them." And they're like, "No, I am Gloomtail. I'm d- I'm d- recolors." Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I like the game lampshading the fact that they just like reused an asset. Yeah. It's awesome. But that fight was was great i love i loved fighting gloomtail weirdly um and uh what f- what follows that is i don't know it's like the it's the end of the game did, did you have anything from the palace specifically that you wanted to shout out um so i gloomtail specifically that whole beat is oh, great yeah. uh fun fact again if you're this deep in spoilers but i haven't played the game uh when you beat gloomtail go use bobbery right behind gloomtail there's a crack in the wall you get an ultra shroom and a jam and jelly fun fact Ooh. i didn't do that yeah it, it, it helps for <laughs> oh the end oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i'm honestly like maybe after this or if they announce the remake or something or the like the re-release like we should just have a conversation where you could just like tell me all this stuff and i could write it all down <laughs> just for the next <laughs> like the th- i i i was so torn on that specifically because i wanted to be like here's every like easter egg and fun fact like i i yeah. 
I'm glad, Stephen, that you went and got Miss Mouse as an optional partner. I was worried that like neither of you would do it. I was like, ah, oh, it's there's so much stuff really that's so to. easy to miss in yeah. this game. Yeah, I I knew that she was recruitable. I didn't know how, so I was happy. I just sort of walked into it. Um, and there's actually like I I do like that the game, even though we've criticized some of the backtracking. I like that all of the dungeons have a reason to revisit them. It sort of does a lot to make the place feel lived in. And it's like, well, that place didn't cease to exist because you did the one thing there. Like, There's also other mysteries there you can find. Yeah. My favorite, too, was going back to the hotel castle to get the up arrow <laughs> to show the fortune teller that there was something in his attic. And he's like, oh, yeah, now I can power people up to the second degree. Brilliant. Uh, but yeah, I miss Mouse. Like, I, I think it's cool. I, I love uh, I love secret characters in games. And I think it's it, it's kind of nice that she is like a very niche use. Like, you know, she's not the best character, but she has a purpose. And and I also like that she's sort of the thief. Like some of the characters kind of have a nice mapping to like the, the very classic like roles in an RPG, like the thief, the the tank, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, it helps that Bobbery has like 50 HP too or something stupid yeah. like that. Yeah. Like he's ridiculous. Um, yeah. The Palace of Shadow. I so like. The whole thing, or the the first half of it, I'm kind of like meh about. I like the Gloomtail fight, mm-hmm. but in the middle of the Palace of Shadow, there's this giant tower that you like walk into, and there's like eight rooms that each have like their own little puzzle to solve. And it the reason you solve them all is to get a bunch of keys, and you defeat Gloomtail to get another key to like get this observatory moving around, and peppered throughout each of the rooms is like there's instructions on like what you're like what you should do to solve the room's puzzle but in between each of the instructions there's like a little a little morsel of like lore about why the crystal stars were created yeah. which is like, how much do you know that how, how much do you know of that this time i read about so there's a guy on Merlon's roof yeah I you can him. go and pay to like tell you the lore of the game and it's like you'd think that it's like myth and like a skeezy dude just lying to you but like you learn, for example, that the cursed chests were the were four legendary heroes who sealed away the Shadow Queen originally. Yes. And became so jaded from being in, cursed in a chest for a thousand years that they decide to curse other people, which is really wow. powerfully dark. Yeah. Yeah, that's very that's very from soft, yeah. honestly. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. a Goomba and a Koopa and a bomb and I forget what the fourth one is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I I heard and picked up some of this lore but it was a thing i really wanted to look up before recording and and, and just didn't so i i'm curious like do you do you know anything else I'm, i just want to know so the like you steven were alluding to the fact that the crystal stars are kind of like a neutral force as opposed to the yeah. star spirits at like similar to the needles and mother three they were literally created by the shadow queen like they were oh, her wow. tools and then it's tur- like when she was like defeated by the four heroes of the legend they used her own tools against her to seal her away hell yeah and i really love the way that is accented by things like steven you were saying earlier sweet treat how like sometimes it'll just poison you or the way grubba was like the ability you get from beating grubba and getting his crystal star is power lift which was literally what grubba was using to like absorb people's power Mm. like stuff like little notes like that like peppered in throughout it's it's really excellent yeah the the rest of the rest of the stuff that happens in chapter eight is why I mean, you know, you run into Bedlam and Duplis has now replaced Vivian, uh, which is <laughs> why I'm freaking a sheet. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're just like as mean to Vivian. I mean, to, to Duplis as they were to Vivian, uh, which is a bummer. But yeah. the big the big one two punch for me is 
fighting Grotus, which is like a whole fight, and it's pretty tough. It's pretty hard. And then as soon as you're done fighting Grotus, Bowser falls through the ceiling and lands on Grotus and <laughs> knocks Grotus out. And and there is a moment, there was a moment at least for me where I was like, is that just how Grotus dies? Like Grotus just gets like <laughs> accidentally ground pounded by Bowser and then dies. But then you have to fight Bowser, who is so upset that he wasn't part of the story that he's like, I'm going to fight you and figure out what's going on. here. <laughs> um, he just like really wants to insert himself into the story. And you have to do both of these fights back to back. Like you, you have to go from one to the other and there's no like healing. There's no saving. Like you're just, you just have to do these two fights and this shout out again to my cousins. This is why they never beat this game. And I, I understand why now. Cause though those two fights back to back fucked up that they make you do that. That is like, that is like <laughs> absolutely the meanest thing that this game does. I think <laughs> again, even as playing as, invincible death machine mario i i like almost I, if i didn't i stocked up on like 10 life shrooms before going into the palace of shadow and i burned through like four of them in that fight like yeah. it was because it's like he has poison breath he jumps on you he jumps on you and makes you lose a move if he jumps on you like your partner <laughs> cannot attack if he jumps on them which is like awful very sick that, and cammy koopa is like buffing him the whole time and healing yes. herself because she's there too <laughs> It's like the fight in the original game, but that fight was at least split in two and you get healed in between. Like, it's, yeah. it's <laughs> insane. Following that is when you actually get like the big reveal of, of the Shadow Queen, which I think is the most shocking moment of the game for me, because the reveal of the Shadow Queen, first of all, the character design of the Shadow Queen is horrifying. Like like mm -hmm. her. She's just kind of these like tendrils of like dark cosmos with a with a crown and uh oh my god how did i just read his name grotus um grotus having revived the shadow queen is like yes you're gonna do my bidding we're gonna take over the world it's gonna be fucking sick we're gonna have the best time ever and the shadow queen is like who the fuck are you i don't give a shit about you zaps him with lightning and he just gets incinerated immediately he just, <laughs> he di just dies like narratively i love how you just got your ass beat by grotus before yes like and like he's like uh, before Bowser lands on you on Grotus, uh, Grotus is actually like beating the hell out of Mario yeah. while Peach watches. It's a whole terrible scene. Um, and watching the Shadow Queen one shot Grotus yeah. with like an errant bolt of lightning, it, it's like, oh, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like what I, can I can I do this? It's like brutal. you as a player are like, <laughs> what the fuck am I supposed? It's like. It's like a Bokoblin against Link in Tears of the Kingdom. Like, what am I supposed to do against that? Yeah, it's uh, it's really hardcore. Uh, and the Shadow Queen then, I just forgot the word for it. What does she do to Peach? Uh, she uses Peach as a vessel. Yes. The Shadow and vesselizes. Uses, she, she, she vesselizes Peach. Uh, the Shadow Queen uh, uses Peach as a vessel because she has a pure heart, which is why she was able to open the chest in the beginning of the game, as it turns out, to unlock the map, which she ended up giving to Mario. So the whole thing, the whole setup of this game where Peach gets this map from like a random person in Rogueport, uh, the whole thing was that Bedlam is actually the person under the hood in the beginning. And Bedlam and, and the oh. Shadow Sisters have been working to uh, revive and release the Shadow Queen the entire game by spreading rumors that the Thousand Year Door is actually holding a bunch of treasure so it would lure a bunch of people in to find all the crystal stars. So the idea of the game is that all of these evil 
like malefactors, both Grotus and the Shadow Queen, are using this rumor about the Crystal Stars to just have somebody else put them all together so they can then release the Shadow Queen, which is brilliant. Like genius level shit. Um, Yeah. And you sure did it. And you you aligned you got all the crystal stars, uh, and obviously then you have to you have to fight the shadow queen, uh, which is uh, that's a tough fight. Do you get healed between that at least? Like, do you get healed after you get healed uh, after Bowser, Bowser, right? And then yeah, you, you don't get your star power back, but yeah. you get like there's a heal block right after the Bowser fight. Yeah. Uh, uh, one thing I want to remark on is the music in the Grotus fight and the Bowser fight and the Shadow Queen fight are all like top notch it's good stuff like they're all it's like some of the all these mario rpgs like did you two get to the end of bowser's inside story uh pretty close i, I don't recall exactly where i, I did off, not though the final boss theme in that game was composed by yoko shimomura and it's like some of the best final boss music out there straight up <laughs> wow that's awesome uh, uh aj i'm gonna interject here i need the people to hear the shadow queen's like final theme because like oh it's like i i remember like th- i think it was this saturday like when i finished the game yesterday i absolutely cr- like i had my gamecube's av cables plugged into my speaker system and i absolutely cranked my whole speaker system to like blast <laughs> the shadow queen's music because of how hard it goes It's great. Um, <laughs> it's also an extremely hard fight. It is a really hard fight. It's you, you got two phases going on. Uh, one where it's the Shadow Queen as Peach and then realizes that Peach is not enough, a strong enough vessel to contain all of her power, which is an interesting choice. And then she's like, OK, I'm going to release Peach. But now it's just going to be you versus me as the actual Shadow Queen. And uh, that fight is fucking brutal, man. Uh, and I didn't I didn't die thankfully which was good but what i did learn uh in doing some of the research for this episode is that if you do die you do have to watch the entire 12 minute cutscene again um you sure do which for all the people pointing at uh the backtracking at this game being the big problem let's all realign our spirit to and point at the, <laughs> the fact that you can't skip cutscenes in this game because that's brutal that's it's, that's awful especially the like there's a cutscene a, a really beautiful cutscene cut that like made me tear up um when you're like there's a part where the shadow queen's like piecing up mario and his partner and like it's completely hopeless and she's like are you going to be my slave again and then at that moment the crystal stars all go out to each of the places where they were like found like each of the locations of the chapters and like beckon much like uh the end of earthbound uh, aj spoilers for the end of earthbound uh sorry about that um much like the end of earthbound beckon everyone to like pray for mario's success and like the music during that scene is so like beautiful and it it really really got me this like i i used to watch that like oh here we go again like i press a like mash a trying to get through it but this time i don't know what i don't know what it is about turning 30 this year but i'm really emotional now (laughs) and this time that cutscene got me like sobbing Mm. like i was i was pathetic no i mean it's it's literally like 
all the moments we've talked about, like getting the emails, like getting the party members, like all, all the all the detail put into making all these places feel lived in and feel real, despite being a cartoony world, it leads to that moment, right? It leads to that moment of like all these places and people recognize you and want you to succeed. So I, I don't think it's pathetic to cry at that. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> no, I, I meant more the way I looked less than the crying itself. <laughs> Like right, puffy fair. face and all that. I wasn't that. there, so I can't comment. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, and then you get into the battle, the aforementioned incredible music plays, and like the Shadow Queen's like, wait, you can hit me? What the hell? The um, fun fact, Brendan, about, I don't know if you read this, but that you got three shine sprites, right? Mm -hmm. That's uh, automatic. Like it happens every time. Mm. It's like a confirmed roulette thing. That's interesting. And yeah. And it like the whole, like right before that point, the Shadow Queen eats the entire audience which is very terrifying and gets all her health back like much to brendan saying that her design is really scary the fact that she kills the audience and granted that's not the first time the audience has been entirely killed in this game there's yeah. one point where the audience is used as ammunition against mario but really freaky and they all come back like the, everyone's That's cheering good. for you. You like get a big power boost. Or is that a friends. new audience, Will? Yeah. <laughs> they all come back from the dead, right? Yeah. No, nah, the audience is the stuff they do to the audience in this game is freaky. Like Hooktail eats them. That's the first yeah. big boss yeah. battle in the game. Hooktail eats half of your audience to gain her health back. I love that. Um, Cortez, I believe, eats your audience to get his health back as well, which he is does, weird because yeah. then he helps you, but he also killed like fifty toads. So really <laughs> weird situation there. Um the Magnus Grapple 2.0, which is the boss of Chapter 7, uh, inhales the audience with a machine gun to fire them at Mario. And I had seven, I had like seven pretty lucky badges stacked and also had two defend pluses on. So all of those hits either didn't do anything or like missed me and it said lucky like seven times. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear the audience go like best seat in the house <laughs> 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 um, anyway sorry about the tangent no no, no it's it, it's exciting to hear all this because I, I haven't gotten to the, the finale yet so I'm, I'm like both terrified and also excited to play through it myself i almost don't want to spoil the epilogue for steven yeah it's it's good yeah it has it has like a breakfast club ending where you just get to see what what happens to the rest of the party like after the game is over and i feel like Maybe it'll make the, this episode just 1% worse, but I think if it means saving that cutscene for you, uh, it's worth it. I fully agree. That and the the right before that cutscene, like the end of the game, is just re a really precious moment. Yeah. But Brendan, I, well, you know what? Yeah. I, you saw the ending, and yes. it's like, it's you got, you got to see it for yourself. There's a, you, you might even cry. I don't know. I don't know if you cry at video games anymore, but... I, I cry like it, I start tearing up if something it's just like a good payoff like even if it's not even sad or or, or, or happy I'm just like oh that's good writing <laughs> it's like what like Ryan doing doing Ten Ten Field Lane yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when I they when I line the vat of acid and then they put the guy's body in it <laughs> um, I also like I, I'll like get a lip quiver when I think something just has a good ending like even if it's not like a spe like if I'm not that invested I'm just like, oh that was good I, I get a little a little weird. See, so yeah, I I no judgment here. Yeah, yeah. If you, if we want to save, I'm very excited for the epilogue, and and uh, I really really enjoyed exploring this story with both of you. Do you want to maybe break here and then go to listener? Yeah, questions? that sounds good, good idea. Let's do it. Cool. All right. See we'll you see soon. you soon. Bye bye.
And we are back with listener questions. We got some good ones. Very excited to do these with you too. Let's do it. Here's the first one. This is from Chase Allhart at Chase Allhart on Twitter. Thousand Year Door feels like it is interested in subverting the expectations of RPG players of the time with the locations and events it's portraying. If there was a similar game made in 2023, what tropes of RPGs would you love to see turned on their head? Thanks. You're welcome. Mm. yeah no problem anyway uh if i was a goomba um anything jump out to anybody right off the top well i'm trying to think like i i definitely think this is a uh insightful question um but i'm also trying to think about see like when i think about what thousand year door is kind of subverting i don't necessarily think about mid-aughts rpgs like i don't know if it's like necessarily tied to an era mm. of, of rpgs i think in general though it's it's interested in kind of subverting like i think that moment you mentioned in the last section brendan about like talking about like is what we've been doing like the the right thing yeah that like that to me is kind of what stands out more than like specifically like oh it's a pirate town what does that imply for like 2000s <laughs> video games mm. um but to answer the question if, if something came out like now and was specifically trying to parody like or or comment on rpgs of of this era i I mean it's kind of hard to say because i don't know like if we're talking like very traditional like final fantasy dragon quest mother like these types of rpgs where there's like a linear set story with some degree of freedom and turn-based combat i don't know if they've really changed all that much to have like a different sense of if anything, I feel like the self-awareness has become the mainstream, you know, like a game like mm. Shane Echoes and Dragon Quest XI. I feel like a lot of those games do a lot to sort of like set up and and defy expectations. Yeah. Dragon Quest XI, weirdly similar to this game. No, I think yeah. in terms of like the hunt for the MacGuffins. Yeah. I got to play that. Uh, it's it's really good. Yeah. I, I think um, if we're branching out a little bit, I I feel like there's room if if this type of sort of satirical RPG wanted to tackle games like outside of this scope. Like I'm thinking about like what does a paper Elden Ring look like? You know, like if you had an open world approach <laughs> or like yeah um yeah I don't know I I mean nothing immediately comes to mind. Does anything come to either of your heads regarding this question it's kind of a t- it's kind of a tough one honestly. the weird the weird answer that i'll give um not not a game i can fully endorse but a game that is very interested in this is south park and the stick of truth weirdly um <laughs> it is it, weirdly similar to paper mario in it some is ways. Yeah, yeah and and is you know at, at the end of the day like a, a satire of a lot of things but i, I would say more fundamentally turn-based rpgs and is also like paper mario a, a, a fucking good one surprisingly yeah. um, and also paper like it's also Park pretty much made of paper like yeah paper yeah but i'm just thinking of like tropes in particular i i can't think of any like modern tropes i'm trying to think of the the like modern lineage of turn-based rpgs and like what what we could point at and be like that's a trope of the current day because i the all all the all the like modern day tropes I'm thinking of are ones that are relegated specifically to film. Um, you know, the, the classic like person you thought was good turns out to be the villain thing uh, is it has eventually gotten flipped on its head to person you thought was good turns out to be the villain turns out to be good. That that se- that seems to be the trend. But in games, I don't know. I think because turn based RPGs are inherently retro, like I think a lot of the modern ones are kind of I think like, uh, again, Chain Deco's is like. I think really successfully challenging a lot of tropes of those games and like yeah. 
kind of embracing ones that are considered tradition and pushing against ones that are maybe more problematic or like, why is this stuck around and how can we explore that? Mm-hmm. See, so, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, <laughs> this is kind of a weird answer, but it, it's what's coming to mind. Um, but I kind of love almost messing with play expectations in terms of like what you're going to get out of the quest. Like I think about in breath of the wilds where like, if you go out of your way to get every Korok seed, like you do get more inventory space, but the final thing you get is basically something that looks like poop and yeah. smells bad. <laughs> and like that to me is so funny and is so in character with like Koroks being tricksters. Like I think quest rewards being like more grounded in the reality of the game and not necessarily like gamified in a way like, Oh, you're going to get the best sword for doing this. Like mm-hmm. it might just be an experience that to me is kind of interesting and I feel like it's sort of in line with what these games do. Yeah. Uh, I think I have something. So Let's hear it. Um, it's like a little, it's already technically been done, but one thing I'm thinking about is in Final Fantasy VII, believe it or not, listener, I have not played it, uh, but I do know that throughout you the game... You got me so excited, Will. Just <laughs> and, and like earlier, you were talking about jump scaring that you watched the Mario movie. Yeah, this I know, I know. You paid me back, I get it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, throughout that game... Uh, I've heard that Sephiroth kind of like menaces you like subtly, either in the background or overtly over totally. the course of it. Absolutely. But Earthbound does the opposite thing, uh, wherein throughout the entire game, this <laughs> you stop pathet- Sephiroth. Yeah, you stop Sephiroth <laughs> in Earthbound. <laughs> throughout the entire game, Porky is like there being a little shit and like just kind of being like secretly pathetic in the background. Yeah. And I really, and Paper Mario does this as well. Is like one of the main henchmen is like this just bumbling idiot who can't do anything right and like relies on Mario to do all the work for him and then fails at taking advantage of that anyway. Yeah. I really appreciate the idea of a bumbling, pathetic villain. You know what game does that frighteningly well is Final Fantasy VI. Like the main villain of that game is actually a clown. Like it's <laughs> it's one of the generals, his name is Kefka, and one of the generals of like the evil empire. Like he's terrible from the start like he's set up as a villain but like he is almost like a fool like in the way he behaves in the way people respect him and it's even more frightening when he ends up getting godlike powers like how did this person stumble into this position you know and that i mean i think that you're onto something because i think sometimes rpgs tend to fall into the classic like last act there's this grand reveal of like a cosmic being and that's kind of what thousand year door does i think it's effective though or at least based on what you've told me but it is like <laughs> yeah it is it is kind of a plot twist in a way that that makes it makes sense and it, it it works but i do think there's something about like really considering like what is the story saying with the final battle like what is actually the final test like is it yeah. just a powerful force or is it like we're actually saying something by this being the the last ask of the game yeah, right you know and like persona 5 nails that yeah like final fantasy Royal 7 nails that yeah. i think final fantasy 7 remake also nails that absolutely uh um, yeah earthbound nails that and uh, mother 3 and too, mother yeah. 3 specifically it's yeah. like the big like the crux of that pathetic villain like bumbling throughout the entirety of the game is that in the end it is people like this who make the world worse. Right. And I think that yeah. like message is really potent and powerful, especially these days. Now. Yeah, yeah, for real. Like failing upward can be very dangerous. And I think that's like, uh, actually now I think we're seeing a lot more media that like shows that, but like in the past few years, maybe it wasn't as prevalent, but 
I have not played that many RPGs lately. So yeah, yeah. Get fucked, Desantis. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, next well, actually, question. I'll just say one more thing. I like. Yeah. Uh, I, I like. It. This is so so silly. After that, really good point. But I just really appreciate how much of this game uh, makes you spend so much time in the sewers, which is such an <laughs> RPG trope. It's oh, just yeah. like fucking being a little like sewer rat for a while uh this game is like what if the sewers were actually the thing that connects the entirety of the video game together and it's also like kind of tragic it's it's a good subtle world building that this is like that it's this city it's very like full metal alchemist almost yeah this game really took the sewers from the first game and ran really hard with it because yeah. the sewers are like oh you can go to that other town from here but like in this game it's like a whole yeah, I story. Feel like the underground was like it was just sort of a RPGifying warp pipes, and yeah. here it's like let's let's make uh, the Forgotten City happen real quick, <laughs> <laughs> just, just for funsies, just for fun on the side, just for fun next, twenty years in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, next question at Hassling the Hoff. I love the humor in this game. It's such a uniquely surreal fourth wall breaking brand that I haven't really seen replicated. What do you think makes the sense of humor so unique? And also, do you have a favorite bit that stands out in your mind? Mm. I mean, I think the sense of humor, I, one of the reasons it works is because there are a couple moments where they do break the fourth wall when they're like, hey, you at the TV, which I think is kind of funny. But overall, the game has such a fully realized world that like, I think the goofiness and the humor works because like at its core, it's a pretty like sad and tragic worlds. You know, yeah. I think there's a, a really nice compliment between like the colorful nature of the character design and the dialogue, but the actual like plot is pretty bleak. Mm. Um, and I think that if it was all flashy and goofy, I think it wouldn't, we wouldn't really be talking about it for as long as we have. I think there's something inherently immersive with this game. And like, it feels like a fully realized fictional world that happens to have these funny characters in it. Yeah. And I think like I, this feels very like I think there's a whole genre of RPGs that kind of go for this like kind of quirky but tragic tone like Undertale is the first one that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't played much of Omori, but that's, you know, significantly darker. But I imagine that kind of has a similar like quirkiness with an undercurrent of darkness. Uh, although in that case, much more of that, much more yeah, of the latter. It's like 75% dark, 25% quirky. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's maybe I would, flipped yeah, a little I would bit. say that game isn't even quirky as much as it is like saccharine to the point of being also scary <laughs> like yeah right it, yeah yeah omori uh, i have to finish that game um first of all shout out to my friend john who who submitted this question second of all i noticed again this time around how much the humor still lands yeah in a way that people say this about things like uh puss in boots the last wish versus the mario movie but how the jokes in a game for children are respectful of like the intellect of a child like they sure they have stuff in there that's like a little bit like pushing on the t border but most of the jokes aren't like kids think farts are funny even though there is one really good fart joke in the game but like for the most part the humor's like i don't know it, it respects your intelligence and isn't like pandering to any kind of youth i think yeah the humor is well. like mostly kind of just absurd you know i think and and it kind of lets you like there aren't many like set up and punch lines it just sort of like characters behave in a humorous way like seeing bowser bowser just the act of him like 
being like basically also playing thousand year door but like a chapter <laughs> behind it's just inherently funny even yeah. though all he's doing is like bossing people around like whenever he shows up it's an, it's inherently silly i would argue that the setup and payoff of the humor is your own interpretations of the mario characters and the way they break type in this game like any yeah. any like bowser by himself being the butt end of the joke is funny because you know that bowser is the big bad guy from every other mario game coming into this and i think just like nintendo's courage or at least this team at intelligent systems their courage to break type as often as possible is what makes the humor work so well for me you know and anytime you see a toad that says something like extremely fucked up that's funny it's always <laughs> gonna be funny um, yeah I, I also think that works in favor when it comes to the drama as well like I, I think the the idea of these characters breaking type works on 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 a dramatic end uh as much as it does on a on a humor end but i i just think like you know when, when i think about undertale for example it's a very similar thing. I, I feel like, you know, you, you go see a flower and it's like, oh, dude, what if the flower was fucked up? Like, that's as, <laughs> as scary as that is at the beginning of the game. Like, it is also a little funny to be like, oh, yeah, I just like landed in this weird, scary place. And uh, the flower is the villain. OK, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Um, right. You know, you, using using your history with flowers with smiley faces on them to the advantage of the writers to elicit some kind of reaction in you. Or skeletons. So, or you skeletons, know, like, yeah. yeah. So when you see Mario say, shut up, nerd, to somebody, <laughs> that's, that's playing on every interaction you've ever had with Mario as like an IP before that. And I think, again, not to keep hammering this point home, but I mean, it is the one point that you can keep hammering home about this game and this franchise it's why it's so sad that the franchise has taken the direction that it has, because this, I think, is one of the strengths of of Paper Mario. And it's not that the games have gotten less funny over time. Like, I still think they have a sense of humor and it still works for the most part, but it doesn't work as well as it does in Paper Mario and in Thousand Year Door. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the humor, I remember the there are some really funny moments in Origami King, but like there's a moment where you have like a whole musical number and it's like that, that sort of is the big difference where it's like, yeah, there's never going to be a big musical number like directed at the player in thousand year door. If there is a musical number, it's like going horribly wrong. <laughs> and like characters are like in it at their own expense. <laughs> I mean, that might right. be every battle really if the audience there, yeah. um, just in <laughs> terms of favorite bits though, I think the Luigi stuff is always, I was funny. also going to say the Luigi stuff. Um, yeah. I also really love when Hooktail tries to trick you like in the first boss fight and they're like, wait, uh, actually, I I'm really sorry. Yeah, I take back everything. And then they like offer you feet picks like a few. They're like, All right, yes. this, might, this like might be your thing. Like people go crazy for this one. <laughs> I that was because it was also it was that that fight is so hard that it's genuinely tense when you answer them. You're like, do I just <laughs> fold here and say, yeah, I'll take feet picks. Like, fold. what do I do? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love that. And it's also like so classically like that's how dragons are in like myth and folklore. They're like devious and sinister. Yeah. You know? Both of what you both said is like, it's just magic straight up. Um, <laughs> earlier and many times throughout the episode, Brendan has alluded to the guess again nerd, which is the context is you are you meet like the first puny and the puny thinks you're going to kick its ass. And yeah. then like the Coops is trying to be like, no, no, don't worry. We're here to protect you. Right. And then Mario has the speech options of, yeah, totally. And guess again, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's just like chef's kiss. Like, like, why would Mario say that? And that's exactly to your point of like it really like subverts your expectation expectation of 
Mario as a person. What happens if you pick that? Like whoever, like Coops or Goombella will be like, Mario, what the fuck is wrong with you? That's awesome. Obviously they don't say fuck, <laughs> but they do say what's wrong with you. I just love the idea of like Goombella being like, we got to hold Mario back. We got, we like Mario's like, don't let me at him. Don't let me at him. The, the honestly, funny thing is, uh, if you, I don't, I don't think these are connected, but if you do that multiple times throughout the game with your speech options, the characters are like, you've been acting like really weird lately. Like they still, like, it's like a, Oh, that's awesome. They acknowledge they that keep it's track like of a it? recurring it's thing. Amazing. Oh my <laughs> you God. keep picking the bully option. It's just mass effect was what we're realizing <laughs> the, the further we get into this. I, I think what's also kind of cool to see is like, Thinking about the like Mario dialogue dialogue options where you have guess again nerd and just like the the goofiness of NPCs and like the absurdity of it all. What's funny is like all of this stuff is also in a lot of the older Final Fantasies. Like I think we talked about this, Brendan, when we when we talked about four on the show. But like like one through four, there's always someone in town who just like dances and tells you secrets about yeah. the world. And like <laughs> it's always been like a small piece of Final Fantasy to have that sense of humor and have that like kind of self-awareness that it is a game i mean and even in ff7 which is like one of the darker ones like characters will sometimes recognize that they have to like walk into cloud when a cutscene is over like mm-hmm. they the and just having that like be a, a genuine piece of of rpgs and have paper mars like what if we just dialed that up to 11 like that thing that's always been part of final fantasy what if that was just every every scene yeah um and that that's such a brilliant decision yeah i i just wanted to highlight earlier and understandably you said that origami king doesn't really have the this like rich wealth of like little bits there is one moment in what i played of origami king that actually like had me on the floor which is when you're you mentioned the colored pencil like box boss there's a moment where you're trying to climb a tower and it's firing missiles at you and you're like trying to avoid these missiles constantly and then you get into an area and you press a button to lower a ladder while the missile is like repeatedly firing at you and the ladder starts coming down like inch by tiny inch while like and like while missiles are constantly firing at you like an unbreakable pace like that like situational humor moment really worked for me oh in yeah that game. and yeah, like i'm excited to play more of it because i feel like there's there's no way that that's the last joke they'll ever make in that game no you know? i've heard like there that's like the the new paper mario game people kind of rally behind like i think that is like it's got more of what we want to see also in in terms of just talking about the humor i i genuinely think like the funniest game like pound for pound where I laughed the whole time is Superstar Saga. I was going to say, yeah, if we, if we so can, funny. If we can branch out into Mario and Luigi stuff. Superstar Saga is hilarious. That game is so <laughs> yeah. fucking good. It, it honestly feels, it's kind of cool to see. I mean, it's, it's, we keep saying it's like disappointing the, the paper Mario dropped the RPG stuff, but like, it's cool to see a splinter in the path of inspiration. And Mario and Luigi's like, what if we really just did full comedy? Um, and, yeah. and it really works in those games. Like, it's a different tone, but like, Superstar Saga is such a funny game. Unfortunately, uh, that team, I think, is gone, though, at this point, right? So, like, yeah. we really yeah. only have Paper Mario at this point. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I imagine having your series named Mario and Luigi gives you even less freedom to, like, mess with the IP, <laughs> Probably, you know? Yeah. Like, at least Paper Mario has that distance. It's like, you're just saying Mario and Luigi. Yeah. yeah, but they do let Mario and Luigi speak in Italian gibberish, which is, like, yeah, a huge thing. And, and a great thing, uh, you know, you can play Superstar Saga on Switch because it's in the Game Boy Advance library, which I was so surprised. I was pleasantly surprised to see they included it. Yeah. Because like 
again, like I don't think these are really prioritized on Nintendo. So I was really happy that there's a way to play that game. Um, I want to give a shout out to our friend Pablo, who many times over the past few months has said, hey, can you do Mario for Mario and Luigi again? And asked me to do this. Because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's almost simlish. Yeah, exactly. it's very close. Seek a fool. Uh, he, also, he also goes, let's go. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like a little bit compressed on the Game Boy Vance. Let's go. Uh, next question. At N. McNallan. What are your go-to badges? Ooh. We talked about this a little bit, but I, I thought it'd be fun to kind of have a section for it. My stuff was like really the lucky and close call stuff was uh, as soon as as soon as I would uh, unlock those, they would just get permanently affixed there. And everything else was I was kind of messing around with. I, I also just generally like the jumps. <laughs> I just like all the, the jumps. jumps. Are great. Yeah. The jumps are so fun. I, uh, I really prioritize getting all the regenerating ones, so like the ones that kind of mm. slowly give you back health and flower power over time. Um, and I also I didn't go quite as badge centric as you will, but <laughs> I would say most of my upgrades were badges. So I, I made sure to have the like increase health, increase flower power uh, options as well. But the more fun ones, like, I just I liked having the ability to regenerate every turn because I usually use Vivian and having like her ability to do damage over time plus regenerating like made her uh, veil move even more effective mm. because it kind of gave us like a leg up if we got a, a turn to like rest from whatever was happening. Mm. But yeah, the jumps are good. I uh, I also like the ice hammer quite a bit because it would just prevent one of the enemies from moving. Steven, do you remember our joke about talking about Mario on the show? Is like, what are we going to say? The jumps are good? And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> now you're like, yeah, I like the jumps. I like the, the jumps, jumps are good. <laughs> Tornado like jump? Jumps. You kidding me? Sign me the fuck up. Yeah. No, for yeah, real. What were, you, what were yours, Will? Any, um, anyone, anyone you haven't said already? Speaking of jumping. So by the time that I got the spike shield and ice power badges, which are bikes, uh, badges that let you like jump on spiked enemies and jump on fire enemies without an issue, I would turn on jump man, which would mean that like I can't use the hammer at all, but my, all my jump attacks go up by one. On top of that, I'm a big fan of return postage, which you can only get from completing the pit of 100 trials. <laughs> but every time an enemy attacks you, half the damage they do gets done to them. Oh, that's what? Great. Yeah. Yeah. Man, <laughs> it's 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 like the, go the, the badges you get in the pit are why I do it. Like uh. Lucky Day, or is a like pretty lucky, but basically doubled. Like the percent chance of an enemy not hitting you is doubled. And if and you can get a lot of pretty lucky badges with Miss Mouse's stealing ability. So like you can stack a, a really dumb amount of pretty luckies and basically never get hit. Mm. Like with Defend Plus, which I love, Power Plus, which I love. And pretty lucky, I was basically not getting hit by anything anymore. That's amazing. Bump attack I, lets you walk through whoever you want. It's just, there's there's just such a wealth of like badges that make the game truly broken that I can't pick one really. But I do have a soft spot for jump man. I never really put together that some of them stacked. Like I I, I saw that, but never like fully registered that as a as a strategy. But uh, I did like there was another one I found in deep in the sewers that lets you use two items in one turn. Uh, that was really good as well. Mm -hmm. um, I also was like I I made sure I always had like, a full inventory of items in this game, yeah. especially towards the end. I'm like I need at least one life shroom because I don't know if I'm just gonna run into six piranhas that I can't <laughs> run away from. Uh, you know, and just have to expect to take thirty damage in one turn. But yeah, and then jumping on spikes was also like. That saved up a lot of room because a lot of the hammer ones I had, like 
hammer throw were like to to get around like uh, enemies I couldn't jump on. So once I could jump on spikes, I, I, it freed up even more space. So, yeah, there is an enemy in the game. I don't remember exactly where it is, but it's a para buzzy with a spike on it. It's immune to fire and explosions and has like seven defense and has a spike on the top. So like you, it's one of those situations where you like can't do anything except use a special move and spike shield helps with unwinnable scenarios like that one. Yeah, I was happy I had that because that those guys are in the weird bad Metroid Prime part where like you like, <laughs> had to like hide in a box from them. Yeah. Uh, um. Anyway, moving on. Oh wait, you guys had anything I else. do have one more. Uh. Yeah. Quick, quick change is I think like oh right. Oh my god. If you I don't have, oh yeah. I think if you don't have quick change you can't beat the game i don't know if that's true but it just feels that way so quick change makes it so it when you're in combat you can switch your partner if you want to but that counts as a turn for your partner so they can't attack if you have quick change as as a badge that you have equipped that means that you can switch to a partner and also have them attack in the same move uh which is the only way to survive a lot of encounters that i was in i think yeah there's a similar move in Persona 5 where like you would only get it if you get to like a certain level in the star confidant, but it lets you switch party members out every turn. Oh, um, but why wouldn't which, you get to a certain level in the star confidant? That's Fumi's true. He's like the best character <laughs> in the game. That's true. But it's like there, there are some confidant perks where it's like, how would you play this <laughs> if you didn't know this person? Yeah. Quick change is I can't believe I forgot that one. Thank you, Brendan. It's it is welcome, so integral. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> in the final battle like being able to swap out to vivian whenever and use a veil is like a huge deal oh yeah yeah okay move on to the penultimate question here rob in discord if you were a party member which enemy slash character would you be based on and what would your battle ability be gubella is a pro at head bonking she looks up enemy stats etc so basically if you were a party member in, in mario what would you be based on and what would your ability be oh my god Listener, I agonized over this for Stephen <laughs> sent over the like listener question sheet like seven hours ago. And I looked at that and I've been thinking about it ever since because I it was I came up with something, but it's so here comes Will with the best answer we've ever heard on an episode of the show before. <laughs> you had seven hours to think about it. <laughs> I really did. Uh, I think I would be a chain chomp. Ooh, oh, hell yeah. Okay. There should be yeah. a chain chomp partner. That is a great answer, Will. <laughs> and I think my ability would be i don't know something like you know how chain chomps are always locked up to like a chain uh, yes like my, <laughs> I like you made sure we knew <laughs> we like left the I, I realized and ne never mind i would chain the enemy so that they oh, would be I able love to that. attack me oh that's a really turn. good idea yeah that's so cool that's what i came up with i would be one of the spikes oh like steven i was like i I'm so, sorry for cutting you off. No, I, I was thinking like, should I tell Steven? I think he's he's a spike. Because like I, when you I like you know how they like vomit big spike balls. Yeah, and I just like, like me. It was, it was your voice memos. Like I immediately thought <laughs> Steven throws a voice memo at you. I was thinking uh, I'll be a spike and I'll kind of be like a bard type character. So a lot of my abilities would be like to buff mario or whoever else is in the party because i feel like that's kind of my that's kind of my energy like i like talking up my friends and i feel like that would lend itself well to paper mario damn i'll probably have sunglasses too maybe like a spike a spike with sunglasses rollerblades and a big megaphone uh that's sort of, <laughs> i'm basically just an elite beat agent in paper mario basically uh i think i'd be a boo with glasses on 
so I don't. I, Brendan, I, you're I already a boo with glasses on. I know. That's hey. The question is, who would you be? <laughs> who better than who I already am? Will uh, I just feel like it'd be really funny if a boo couldn't tell if somebody was looking at them or not, <laughs> considering that's their whole thing. <laughs> that's amazing. Maybe they don't know they're a boo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not here. Like I love I, having a body. Yeah. <laughs> who's who's up in corporeal? Yeah. The best part about being a chain chomp is I don't have to have a character. I can just go arf arf and that's the end of it. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> in parentheses though it says everything you mean like <laughs> arf arf. The implications of this upset me. Um, are we the bad guys? Yeah. <laughs> arf, arf, are we the bad? I do love the like a, a chain chomp that's like throwing chains at an enemy, especially given like placement is so important in this game. Having the ability to like pull an enemy to the front would be so cool. Oh, wow. um, that's awesome. Uh, what would your ability be, Brendan? We know you're a boo with glasses, but what, <laughs> what's your power? Uh, I don't know. I guess I kind of like what boos do in Mario Kart, just being able to steal items. Oh, yeah. Or maybe you could be kind of a blue mage where like you steal the enemy's ability. Like, yeah. You can kind of scan what they do and, and do that. I love that. Yeah. A boo mage. <laughs> Brendan, you're dupless. <laughs> Like what can I say? Friendly, you're a friendly. Hey, slick, people. I'm Super Mario. Yeah, <laughs> I love that he called Mario Slick. I I love that so much. Yeah, calling Slick is is his canon name. <laughs> slick is well, so 2000. That was that was a a, a a much more concise time than I was expecting. <laughs> Blasting through these things. I feel like we have to make art of the three of us as these characters now with yeah, Mario. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll think of names too, but I, I definitely would love to do that. And if, if you're inspired, dear listener, please, we'd love to see that. That'd be fun. Um, okay, final question. And this will probably take three hours. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited. Meets, I cannot wait. Uh, I Okay. At Haint Blue. This isn't even a question. This is a demand, but I so <laughs> respect it. They just said, a tournament bracket of party members from Thousand Year Door and the original N64 entry to determine... The ultimate Mario companion. I was so inspired by this. I genuinely made a tournament bracket. Uh, so there are eight characters, eight party members, eight partners in the original Paper Mario. There are seven, including Miss Mouse from Thousand Year Door. So it, it sort of works as a 16 entry tournament. Uh, and I think we're just going to go through. I've, I've seeded the first round here. I've paired people up against their counterpart. So I have like the first one is Goombario versus Goombella, which we'll get to in a moment. But in our decision, I want us to think about like how how do we feel about the character design? How do we feel about the sense of character? How useful are they in and out of combat? And just like personal gut feeling, because um, this is not this will not be a ranking. This will be to determine who is the number one. So I'm sure there, there are going to be lots of people we feel strongly about that may not advance, but we're looking for the best of the best here. So, Will, you mentioned this before we started recording, but th these matchups in particular are so brutal. Yeah, it's it's painful. I, I expect there was one I was expecting that we'll like get to. And Stephen, you picked like the opposite, like you flipped my expectation of who would be lined up against who. And because of that, I am powerfully sad. I feel like I have to choose between <laughs> my children. Just to kind of, I know we've been recording for a while. AJ, give us a quick tournament intro music just to kind of lead us in and then we'll, <laughs> we'll begin here. 
I thought it would be helpful. In some ways, it's more difficult, but I thought it would be fair to pair everyone kind of against their counterpart. It doesn't always work one to one, but for some it does. So here we are in round one. We're going to go down the list and choose who advances. Gumbario versus Gumbella. This is so brutal. If you had asked me this five years ago, it would have been Gumbella easy, like easy mode, 100%, no contest. But after everything I've felt and said earlier today, <laughs> I can't in good conscience make that decision again. Yeah, you kind of dug a hole for yourself uh, on this one. You you, you made your decision uh, about four hours ago. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> like, I, I think Gumbella is a fantastic character. But she gives me such an ick based on the way she like not like even beyond Rogueport, the way she just shits on everyone she sees that like I, I don't know. Gumbario is such a pure soul. He's just a fan of Mario. He just loves his family. And so he likes I. hanging out. Yeah, I really like Gumbario and I'm open to hearing his defense. I, I think it's Gumbella still. I don't want to totally dismiss what you're <laughs> saying, but like she is so much better in combat for one. That's the big thing for me right now is like. She gets the ability to make Mario go twice, which is like Fire Emblem dancer levels of helpful. <laughs> uh, and also Tattle is just always helpful. And Multibonk is surprisingly effective. I was going to say, like, there's something about Multibonk. It's my, yeah. my favorite Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> I also, I don't, I didn't really perceive her being as negative as you did. Like, again, I'm not trying to make light of what you're saying, but like, especially as the game continues, like, I don't, I don't think it's like always a roast to the degree that you're commenting on, but I get where you're coming from, especially in Rogueport in the early Yeah, Rogueport so. specifically. There, there's, def yeah. there's definitely, I like will a not be bummed if Goombella advances because I do think she's a fantastic character. I'm also like, I would love to give Gumbario a fair shot because I feel like he he's asking for nothing in this in this world. He, he's just <laughs> yeah. like a helpful. He's just a he helpful got everything guy. he wanted. Yeah, that, he like, got to hang the, out with Mario. The curious thing about Gumbario is he is kind of a blank slate of a character, but I don't think he's not not to be extremely dismissive, but I don't think he's like nothing in the way that other Paper Mario no, partners we, are. We actually talked a lot about this in our Paper Mario bonus. I had this like unhinged ranking system. I don't know what led to that, but I made it. And uh, Goombario, uh, was, I think, is actually one of the better characters in that game. Like, I think he he joins in a way that is kind of exciting. He's your first party member, which is all is like he's introducing the idea that Mario is going to have companions, which I think is, is a job in and of itself. You know, it's a new yeah. gameplay thing. Yeah, like turning so, on the game and having a, Koop, a Goomba as a friend is like such an interesting subversion for like when you're six and you play this game for the first time. I, I want it to be, I guess it should be unanimous, right? I think the three of us have to agree I, on who advances. I, I think it can be two out of three. Two I, out of three. I think that's oh, right. Yeah, I think it's got to yeah, be two right, out of three. Right. I, here's the thing to say my piece. Uh, Will, I, I agree with you about a lot of the Goombella stuff, specifically in Rogueport. Bad takes all around for the most part. But I did have Goombella out in most of the game because honestly, she lives for drama and so do I. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. I was I was all about it. I, I, lo I loved having Goombella just like hanging out the whole time. I, I got I got to pick Goombella for round Yeah, one. I I. I also have to vote for Gumbella for similar reasons. I think she was like, whenever I had someone else out, I needed to know what Gumbella had to say about the place. Even if it, even if it sucked, I just had to know. Yeah. One shout out I'll give to Gumbella is that she found something interesting to say about every part of the moon that you're on before you get to the x <laughs> fortress, even though they all looked exactly the same. She had a different take on each one. Yeah, I just right. think like removing ourselves from 
who is this person, et cetera, et cetera. Just like the the game design chops and the commitment to the bit of having a, a unique line of dialogue for every place you are and every person you talk to and every enemy you fight is such an overwhelmingly like Herculean task to have completed as a thing that a player could completely ignore if they wanted to as soon as <laughs> they were done with chapter one. That's like, yeah, it's unbelievable that they went to those lengths with Gambella. It's like yeah. my my negativity is based way more in the first chapter than any sort of profound love for Goombario, even though I do think he's a good kid. And yeah, he's I, like I one like... of the better partners in the first game. These are both great first companions. I, I think I think Goombella just has a stronger voice and is more useful in combat. Uh, which which gives her a lead for me. So yeah, wins. I think she's going to have to advance this one. I'm really curious about. So similar deal. This is one of the other kind of one to one ones. We got Cooper and Coops. This is it, brutal. It's it's. Uh, sorry, Cooper. It's <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like you're the you're the 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 second best Cooper to have come out of the second generation <laughs> of 3D video games. The thing about Cooper is that I I love his design. I love the the neck handkerchief. The ascot, yeah. I feel like the levels of confidence on display here are night and day. Uh, like Cooper is ready for adventure, and Coops is ready to go home. <laughs> but I think because of that, Coops is it, Coops has more story. Like Cooper, I always really wanted to have more going on because i just love i love his look and i and he's also really good like he's very i I think he might even be better than coops in combat if i'm remembering correctly because he gets the ability to make a fire shell which is just really good yeah yeah but coops is like i like the i i love the like cowardly lion kind of arc to him so i i would say i'm leaning towards coops but i i I could go either way with these two honestly the original not I don't want to dunk too hard on the original, but the original barely gives you a chance to get to know Cooper before Bombette shows up. Mm. Like yeah, and you, then you have then like Bombette's four... like never mentioned again. Yeah, and not, honestly, <laughs> neither of them are ever really mentioned again. No, not really. Just Cooper's whole thing is that he really wants to be an archaeologist, which I think is like I don't know that doesn't really play out, and or is that interesting? Like I, I know they have the whole Colorado thing, um, but I just feel like. Coops is built from the ground up to be a character upon which like so much emotional and thematic stuff. He's just shouldering like the entirety of the game uh, and does it beautifully and is also good in combat. Um, So I think I have to go with Coops. I like I like Cooper a lot. Uh, He was, I think, maybe my most used party member in the first game, if I am remembering correctly. But I, I still think Coops wins here. Yeah, I'm also gonna vote for Coops. Yeah, so that's I, that's a that's a unanimous vote for for a guy Coops. Wow, is it gonna be a thousand year door across the across the board? Uh, I I think it, I think it might be. <laughs> uh, mm, <laughs> we'll see. I, There's I'm a gonna, couple where it might not be, but you're you're gonna you're gonna get me fighting, my friends. Okay, next up we have Bombette versus Admiral Bobbery. the The thing is, they're both really good. Like they're both really strong characters. Bombette is really given nothing in terms of narrative. Like I, that was actually the the thing I was most disappointed by when revisiting that game was like, I feel like I'm I'm meeting this cool bomb in prison, <laughs> and then you just forget she exists, and it's a huge bummer. Whereas Admiral Bobbery, you know, we have that whole thing we talked about of like giving him a, a second chance at life. Basically, there's there's no comparison in terms of narrative. Mm, absolutely, um, they have the same exact ability. Yeah. Out of combat and in combat, they're 
I would say Bobbery also might take the lead just because he has a he has sort of two purposes. You can either use him to like dish out damage or be a tank. So I, I think it's got to be Bobbery. And he's got a ship steering wheel affixed yeah. to his back. <laughs> so funnily Combat enough, does not. <laughs> that, that's true. Let it be known. Um, funnily enough, even though I fully agree that Bobbery is the, the better choice, I remember it when I was playing the original and in the end game, like in the final dungeon, like Bombette just kind of pops out of your pocket and is like, hey, I can blast these walls if you want. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're here. Like <laughs> after not speaking for like yeah. the entire game. And then there's this whole weird like subplot where this bomb is like obsessed with her and keeps sending her mail. And it's it's just like very weird choices made both in and around her character. But I do prefer her design to Bob. You like her design? More? Yeah. I love that her like she has like her pigtail as a fuse. And that she's that is pink, cool. like a very cute shade of pink. Like, I think that that's it's very typical, like the bi-gendered blue pink design. But I like the fact that her fuse is a little pigtail. It's like really cute. And I love that. I really admire the simplicity of the design of the original cast. Like, I think it, it is like really it's actually in some ways harder to make characters stand out when it's like this bomb is just a different color with a slightly different fuse. <laughs> and yet she has so much like that's the reason why it's so disappointing. She isn't really used properly because she's like immediately intriguing. But yeah, I, I think uh, are we are we all going for Bobbery? Yeah, here? yeah, it's got to yeah. be Bobbery. Got to be Bob. Oh, this next one. Wow. Two characters present in the thousand year door. Yeah. yeah. So the next one we have Perry Carey versus Yoshi Kid. In terms of design, I think they're both incredible. Like I love the I love the like early airplane pilot look of Perry Carey, like the mail carrier yeah. vibe. Um, and Yoshi Kid is just like '90s. I I drink and eat gogurt every I, night. Uh, Stephen, I was gonna say he's a gogurt commercial. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> um, both really good in combat. Weirdly, kind of similar. Uh, which is why I pair them against each other. They they're both like very well. Different uh is all about like air enemies, but I feel like they're both very physically strong characters that do like a lot of damage to a lot of different enemies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they both help you hover across gaps. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Believe it or not, I gotta go paracarry here. I love Really? Yes. I love the Yoshi kid so much. I love that he has like a variety of colors and like he's like a Deus Ex Machina in the Glitz Pit. But I unlike every other character in Thousand Year Door, I feel like he doesn't have much going on for him aside from being rough and tough go-gurt commercial kid meanwhile paracarry not only is like present throughout the entirety of the game in paper he's one of the few partners who actually gets to do things in the rest yeah, of the yeah there's game. the whole mm -hmm. mail quest yeah where you're delivering and that mail quest everybody. gives you the lucky day badge which is a huge deal Ooh. um he's great in combat uh his <laughs> His hover across gaps ability makes me a little less paranoid than Yoshi's does. I feel much more secure in his arms yeah. than on the back of a child Yoshi. Even yeah. though his whole deal is that he's bad at delivering mail. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he is an enduring good. character in the Paper Mario series. Yeah. That's true. Like he appears I, I, across multiple games. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. When, when he first showed up in Thousand Year Door, I thought that that was alluding to the fact that we were going to like see everybody from the first game again, which was uh, not the case. But... Uh, will, I have to agree with you. I was also going to go with Paracarry. I really thought I was going to have to fight over this, but it doesn't seem like I will. Yeah, I think Paracarry is is the winner here for me. I, I feel the same way about Yoshi Kid, where it's like really great in-game vibe being able to name a Yoshi Kid myself. Um, but Paracarry, I don't know. It's just like the most classic energy in Paper Mario. Like, I just I love that character design. I love 
his vibe. I love his story. He j- he just feels more well-rounded in my head than Yoshi Kid does. Also, big time nostalgia because, like I said earlier, I would always get up to only dry, dry desert and like Paracarry's the, <laughs> the part. I, I would love getting to like be like, oh, yeah, I'm getting to Paracarry again and then I have to stop playing and return the game. And it was always like kind of like a bittersweet thing. Mm. And getting to see the game through with him was really nice. Uh, Steven, do you have a hardcore defense of Yoshi Kid ready? I'm kind of sold. I mean, Paracarry was my favorite as a kid. So there's a lot of nostalgia to him on my end, too. And I think he's. I kind of I am sort of rooting for like at least one of the original cast to advance to the next round. <laughs> I think the event of getting Yoshi Kid is like second to none. Uh, yeah. But I think that's that might be what I'm thinking about more than the character overall. And yeah, I, I think the I think Paracarry because he can attack air and ground enemies, whereas Yoshi is sort of beholden to to ground. Yeah, often. So, yeah, I mean, it, I I like these are this is maybe the most even match we've had so far I think uh, but I think Paracarry I was originally like got all Yoshi Kid and I I've kind of been swayed so let's do Paracarry I think it's Paracarry oh. more like first uh, Paper Mario character to make it through yeah or- carrying the entire <laughs> N sixty four uh, with him Paracarry <laughs> so this this next one is is excruciating this one is uh, actually tough for me also uh, fun yeah. fact both characters that appear in Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door. Uh, next up, we have Lady Bo and Vivian. When did Lady Bo show up at Thousand Year Door? Um, after you beat the game, if you go back to Poshley Heights, she's hanging out with a bootler outside of Poshley Sanctum. What the fuck? Oh, and then Goombella so gets cool. really jealous that you went on a whole adventure with her and is oh, like upset about it. I love that. Yeah. Oh my God, that's oh, awesome. Oh man. Lady Bo is like by far the most developed character of the original cast. So like... I think if we were if we were just ranking all of them, she would be like in the top tier for sure. But Vivian is the best character in a game of best characters. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think if the bracket I'm, was set up like N64 characters, let's do all those first GameCube characters. Let's do all those first. And then, you know, then we do the matchups. I think Lady Bo probably would win against everybody in the N64 game. Absolutely. But in this matchup in particular, I think it's probably Vivian. Yeah, this is yeah. this was brutal, Steven. This was painful to look at. <laughs> like it makes sense. Also, they both like hide They're both spooky characters, but oh boy, this and they both start as villains. But this really hurt my heart. <laughs> I I mean, we love them both, but yeah, I think uh, I was just thinking in terms of their variety in combat. Like Lady Bo can actually do a surprising amount of damage and hide but Vivian has that damage over time ability, which is honestly really cool and. Later, if you fully upgrade her, she can confuse all the enemies with Infatuate, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So there's just she just has more utility in battle, and I just think is is one of the more developed characters in this series. Uh, so it just it has to be. It's, it has it's to be not a question. It's 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 really sad that it's not a question, but it's not a question. Yeah. Vivian is like um, one of my favorite characters in fiction. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, shout out to Lady Bo for being being a sign of what was to come because i feel like lady bow feels like a thousand year door character in paper mario you know agreed this isn't even a contest for me uh lack of lester versus madame flurry who is it not a contest regarding i think madame flurry like completely demolishes lack of lester in this in this fight uh interesting I, I don't think madame flurry is like I think she's probably the weakest character or one of the weaker characters in Thousand Year Door. And it's kind of frustrating because, again, I love her build up. Like, I love her personality. Yeah. But I, I, 
always kind of was annoyed when I had to switch to her to like blow a thing away. Um, and I feel like her use in combat is like, okay. There's never really like a clear reason where I'm like, Oh, I got to switch to flurry. Yeah. The same way I would to anyone else. And there's also just like a feeling where I feel like the game is like kind of making fun of her in a way that feels a little mean. Like I, I I'm glad they give her a lot of moments of just like pure confidence and like people love her and she like, I, I like her character, but I think the way she's treated by the game and the way the moments she's given, she definitely feels like less developed than the rest of the cast. That being said, Lackluster is just like actually nothing. Like he's just a guy with sunglasses. Uh, so maybe that's a hot take, but I just, I think Flurry is the better of the two here. I, I got to disagree with you here, Steven. Um, yeah. Just, I, I'm a little biased because I played the original very, very recently, but uh, while Lackluster does come out of nowhere and his name literally is lackluster i really loved his like yo what's up i'm spike i'm gonna kick your ass and then his name is lackluster and it's like no no i'm i'm spike guys like that like trying to like completely overhaul your identity and into someone who's not a complete dweeb and like the the similar thing to coops of like having this like <laughs> partner who's just way more capable than you in every way and like confident and kind of ends up like babying you is really funny i think that flurry's introduction is one of the best moments in the game yeah and then we talked about this earlier but the way she gets like sidelined in favor of the diet pikmin plot is really like <laughs> heartbreaking it's a bummer like she yeah. gets to like pop up every once in a while and if you have her out uh, which no one ever does her dialogue is really good for the most part mm. but like i <laughs> I found Lackluster's ability of like carrying Mario around like it's really awesome. quickly was yeah. fantastic. And I really loved like his little tiny character arc of trying to be this cool dude who stops Mario. All I wish for him is that he was established earlier, earlier. in the chapter. Yeah. But that's like the the issue with every partner in that game. So it's kind of hard yeah. to like, weigh it heavier against him in particular. I think my bias is like I hate the chapter he's in. That was like where <laughs> I got stuck in as a kid. And just his look makes me feel bored because it reminds me of like Garfield posters like hang in there buddy like it's just like what who is this like why do why is he joining me in this chapter that I will be stuck at for most of my childhood so like I might be projecting a lot onto our guy lackluster so for that I apologize so good I love I just, the way he's a dweeb like he's a total yeah. dweeb, but he's like dressed like the archetypal 90s cool guy I still would go with Flurry, but I think this is a question of like character potential versus what we actually get in the game. I'm curious where you land, Brendan. Yes, it's time for me, the tiebreaker. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Lackluster's whole vibe is exactly what Yoshi Kid's vibe is. The difference being that Yoshi Kid's vibe is actually that unironically and Lackluster is putting on a facade to try and pretend to be somebody he's not. So there, there's something about being like, I don't like Lackluster's whole vibe, which kind of, uh, sorry, th there's a whole thing about saying like, I don't like Yoshi Kid's vibe as like a Go-Gurt kid. Lackluster's doing that for like thematically resonant reasons. And I think that that's really strong. On top of that, I was maybe gonna go Madame Flurry originally, but weirdly, Stephen, your your defense of her actually made me want to go the other way because you're right. Like, I just I just never used her in combat like ever. Yeah. Uh, I always found Flurry's uh, action commands really difficult in a way that. I yeah, did not the they are. Runners. They are tricky, especially like in her the like the body slam move is like weirdly yeah. hard to pull off. Yeah, uh, I, I will say, though, there is a 
piece of me, you know, thinking that I will probably replay this game eventually that will probably invest more time in having Flurry as somebody I'm playing as in combat and somebody I have out in the field more frequently just to hear her reactions to things. That's my defense for Flurry is I feel like she she kind of makes you like I want to know her character better. Yeah. Whereas I don't care about like she leaves you wanting more like all good thespians like all good actors yeah, yeah exactly but it sounds like you're both going lackluster I am going so. lackluster yeah I like that he has a girlfriend who uh, can call him lackluster <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't get mad I love I love and when you're fighting him it says Spike with a question mark Spike <laughs> like that's just such a good little detail. This next one, I think, will probably be... I mean, I don't know. I feel like my expectation is already off, so we'll see what happens. But next up, we got Sushi versus Miss Mouse. Um, this is the most, like, they are not at all the same type of character, but yeah. this is who was left. Has Brendan gone first yet? I think I want to hear Brendan go first for a... Uh, yeah, like, let's hear it. I think it's got to be Miss Mouse for me. I think, I think even though, as we all agree... Miss Mouse's usefulness, I think, as a as a character is a little bit less than and there's a lot of buildup for for her as as a party member uh, that doesn't super pan out. I loved Miss Mouse as a character in the game before she even became a party member. And when I realized that that's what was happening, it was like one of the most exhilarating moments of the entire game when I was like, oh, my God, she's joining my team. Yeah. was great realizing later that she was optional and I had lucked into finding her like you did, Stephen, was even more exciting. And uh, I don't know. Sushi just yells at the top of a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Sushi is one of those characters that you just got because you needed to swim. Like yeah. you were on Yoshi's Island and you needed a fish to help you out. Yeah. I mean, Sushi is good. Like they're one of the better party members. Like their water abilities. And they can also they introduce the idea of buffing, I believe. So like their their use is to like boost Mario's defense. But outside of combat, there's really not much going on with Sushi. Mm. And yeah, so I would also go with Miss Mouse for this yeah. one easily. I think both of these characters suffer from being like having a really set, like a good build up. Mm. And then once they join you, kind of like fizzling out, which yeah, makes it totally. difficult for me to even choose weirdly. Like, I actually really loved the way Sushi was like this, like mother figure to all the Yoshi kids in the yeah. village. Yeah. And like, it is a really obnoxious side quest when you have to go hunt them all down. And it did take me like three hours to find them all. But I don't know. The way she was taking care of everyone is like, I'm going to take care of you too, Mario. is like, really great. Uh, and then she disappears for the rest of the game and doesn't. Yeah, speak that's the thing again. I'm commenting on. Is yeah. I do also like that that intro, but then it's just sort of dropped like it is with everybody in that game. I think <laughs> the, part of the reason I defended Lackalester so hard is that there wasn't time for him to disappear for the rest of the game and not speak anymore because he shows up at the end of the game. Basically, I do think riding around his cloud, though, is like such a great quality of life ability. So I, I, I'm feeling better about his placement, although I, I, my heart aches for Flurry a little bit. I feel like she deserves better across the board. Um, I agree. But is, is Miss Mao is the one here? I, I, I love the way that she's jumping out the window in Hooktail ca Castle and Coops is like, whoa, is that legal? Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, she's great. I, I love her character. I, and for the dream of my earlier pitch to redo chapter six into a heist movie, uh, that alone like wins Ms. Mouse for me. Even though it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, Mouse Ma is a... I, I, I love when a game has like an in-canon celebrity and it like actually works, yeah. you know? Like she has star power for sure. Absolutely. And also she's kind of emblematic of the design of the original Paper Mario cast. Like she's just a mouse with, with like burglar heist <laughs> goggles on, yeah. like the cat mask. Yeah. 
Um, also really useful in battle when you want an enemy to not use an item or you want the badge that one of the enemies has. I never, I never put the two and two together. That's genius. Yeah, like, yeah I, I, that's amazing. That's why I had so many pretty lucky badges because I kept stealing them from enemies. She is like, I feel like if you got her second, she would be great. I just think you get her a little bit too late and she is kind of inherently niche, but that also fits her character. She wouldn't be like someone Mario relies on yeah. in the heat of battle. Wow. Yeah. Well, what's um, the earliest you can get her, Will? Uh, I believe right after chapter four is when her trouble unlocks. Okay. Next next time I play the game, I'm going to get her in chapter four. And I think that will probably dramatically increase her standing in, in my eyes. I really like using her in Rogue Port specifically because she'll actually like her character will start sniffing if there is treasure nearby, even before you hit square or X. Yeah. I, I did think it was funny, though, because her whole thing is like if you use her ability out of combat, she says if there's treasure nearby and i was in the pirate ship full of chess and gold she's like there's nothing here sweetie i'm like come on mouse. uh next up we have Watt, the little baby uh just because they're a baby i gave them a head start uh and also there there wasn't someone to pit them against so they're gonna auto advance against uh mouse the next let's round pit, let's pit the uh pit Watt against luigi <laughs> <laughs> who uh, didn't didn't even have the the gall to join us on our adventure God, imagine that by be, that's that's gonna be the, what they change in the remake of thousand year door is like at the very end of the game luigi actually joins you oh and it God. becomes a mario and luigi game ready for round two let's yeah. do it uh going back up the bracket we got gumbella versus coops this is Ooh. also very difficult i think i have my vote but i i want i don't want to go first here. i'll go first i i think everything i said about why coops is coops should have won against cooper stands in terms of why coops should win against goombella i i just i think although i i enjoy uh goombella's vibe i enjoy goombella uh in terms of like her usefulness in combat i think multi-bonk is amazing i think tattle is amazing um i think just the like the thematic and and like emotional hinge that coops is puts him one step ahead in my eyes i, I just i just think like everything about coops works for me um, in a way, not everything about Gumbella works for me. Uh, Brendan, I not only fully agree with you, um, I so I I cried at the finale of this game. So um, this isn't a, a spoiler for the like, how's everyone doing Breakfast Club montage that you should see yourself, Stephen. But at like after the you beat the final boss is like an ending where Mario leaves and uh, ooh, I'm getting a little <laughs> choked up. <laughs> But uh, every partner has like a little thing they say to Mario before he leaves. And Coop says, and I quote, I don't know how to say this, but I think I like myself more since I've known you. And that oh like actually made me sob. Like I, I sobbed. And it's the, I, it's, it's Coop's for me. Like in term, in this matchup, it's, it's gotta be Coop's. I feel like I was about to make a, a plea for Goombella, but I can't. I feel like it's bullying to make a plea for Gumbella <laughs> after you share that. I mean, I think the, the the big difference here is that Gumbella is who she is at the beginning of the game the whole time. Yep. Like, I think she's, uh, I love her kind of like Hilda energy. Like, I, I love hearing her uh, tattles. And, you know, I think she's just like really a fun character to have around. Um, and in some ways, I feel like it's kind of emblematic of like this game, like the ga the tone of the game and, you know, her link to the map and the crystal shards and everything. I think you're right. Like overall, 
I would still vote Goombella here, but I I am I understand and appreciate why Coops is going to advance to the semifinals. <laughs> Steven, when you said uh, the Hilda comparison, it immediately it immediately made me think you're making me bonk. Yeah, <laughs> in that moment, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> I just think it's like I I, I think uh, yeah I Goombella's great, but I'm 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 genuinely it warms my heart that seeing Coops under the semifinals font here kind of looking like nervously proud is is warming my soul uh so i'm I'm glad he is advancing um okay next up we got admiral bobbery versus pericary oh i'll go first here because because uh gumbella lost i i think the goal here is to find the ultimate mario party member the ultimate companion the ultimate partner Mm -hmm. for mario paper mario Paracary has like an inherent like Atlas quality to him. I feel like he's he is the mailman. He's the one that carries us over the the short gaps. Bobbery like kind of needs our help and by extension Mario's help more than than like necessarily we need his for the bulk of the experience. But he's so good and he's so cool. Uh, <laughs> these are both like some of the best designs. Like I love the way both these characters look. Yeah. By a hair, I'm gonna go Bobbery. I think. But I, I can really be convinced either way. I didn't expect this to be the toughest one. <laughs> it's similar to Goombella and Coops, where it's like they're they're great for very different reasons. Um, and I think, you know, Bobbery is, I mean, definitely more narratively interesting for sure. That's a constant thread with all the Thousand Year Door characters. But Bobbery has like a, Bobbery joining you is is a very like emotional moment, I think, you know, helping him find reason again. And also like the fact that the, that he becomes the tank is really inspiring too. You know, like he's, he's sort of the captain, but Pericary is also just like our guy. So like, it's, it's really hard. You're choosing between best friends here. I think you swayed me, Steven. I think, I think I might have to go with Bobbery too. Unless Will, do you feel strongly as Pericary? Uh, I've been, I don't, I've been like kind of lost in thought here. Cause I like, I want to agree with Steven and the thing that has pushed me, like I love Pericary a lot. Um, I'm not as wild about his overworld ability though. Like both the hovering in both games is a little rough and I don't like I, it's kind of sucks to like bring this down to basic mechanics, but the fact that you can like when I was in the pit and there would be, uh, enemies called Arantulas, which is like the stronger version of the Piter from Boggly Woods, they would come down and you would be basically forced to jump into them to start the battle without a first strike, unless you threw Bobbery at them. And like blew them up to start the battle, which is like something that you like actually ended up being really useful for me. That on top of the the whole story of getting him and how the game kind of teases him becoming a partner for a while until they eventually do let him be one. The fact that he loves cola, just like me, <laughs> like all in all, I got to go Bobbery too. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's also kind of similar to Coop. So there's a lot of emotion in him becoming a hero, like finding the will to fight. And he's just really yeah. Cool. I, th- I think your point um, specifically that like he needs saving, but then becomes the tank is so powerful and so interesting. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's so cool. If yeah, you hadn't he, said exactly that sentence, I think I would have gone with Paracarry. But he, <laughs> he has a similar uh, in like the very end of the game. He has a similar thing. Like if uh, Bobbery says to Mario, "If I hadn't met you, I'd still be a broken bum." And now I oh. think Scarlet's looking down on a better man because of you. It's like real, like no need to go that hard in terms of emotion <laughs> at the end, but they unreal. really do. It's unreal. And yeah, I got to go Bobbery as well. Bobbery advances to the semifinals. 
Uh, I think this will be a quick one. That, that's not, uh, this isn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we got Vivian versus Lackluster. <laughs> I I don't. Next I, up, we got Ms. Mouse <laughs> versus what? <laughs> Vivian advances. That, that, I, like, there's nothing. Like I I I took the stand and I defended the hell out of. I was I was arms outstretched for Lackluster in the previous round, but there's nothing I can say here. Like it's, Vivian, it's Vivian's the one to watch. Yeah. Like Vivian. We'll see who it comes down to, but I, I, I hadn't like this has already gone very differently than I expected, which is exciting. But there were a few characters that I kind of figured would advance pretty far, and Vivian was one of them. Um, and I'm glad she's doing so well. Uh, but yeah, uh, Watt versus Mouse. I mean, Watt's like actually just the baby, uh, <laughs> cute. and you use them to light up areas. Very cute. Uh, you get them in the Shy Guy toy box, which is a great. That's a great chapter. I like that area a lot. It's got to be Mouse again, though. I just think Mouse is is a star. And Watt is a baby. My issue so. with Watt is that he comes out of nowhere. Like there's no no kind of setup at all for his like any kind of character even like him appearing in the game. I think he's based on like the electric like the sun from Super Mario Brothers 3 is I'm pretty sure what he's based on. I think but, it's the, it's a little electric things that go around like circuits in uh Super Mario World, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like a little bit too abstract. It's sort of like you made a character out of like a platform. Like, <laughs> okay. I made a baby platform. <laughs> yeah. But I, made I, a, I made a character out of the flag Mario jumps on at the very end of a level. That would be In sick. <laughs> that, wow. <laughs> Maybe that's who I am. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, like as a partner, he shows up out of nowhere and then is never brought up again. And that's the end of what? Like pretty much. And he gets a it's letter from his mom at one point. And, and that's that's it. So it's like there's nothing there to even compare it to Miss Mouse, really. Yeah, Unless, Mouse, Brendan, Mouse, you have a staunch uh, defense of Watt ready. Excuse uh, me, Watt Jr. Sorry. I was going to go with Watt initially, but then I saw that if Watt made it through, they'd have to go up against Vivian. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that's a less interesting conversation. <laughs> Wait, what do you uh, what do you feel about Watt? I don't know. He's, he's, he's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> he's just a little guy. <laughs> I kind of wish people rubbed it in Bowser's face. Like, dude, you lost to, you a, lost baby. to a fucking <laughs> baby, man. Your whole scheme kind of got ruined by a, a glowing baby. <laughs> Mario spends half the game beating a baby and Bowser couldn't. <laughs> That's true. We're on the semifinals, if you can believe it. Oh, man, this is. Oh, this, this sucks. Uh, Coops versus Bobbery. These are these are very similar arcs, right? I mean, very different tonally, but these are both characters who find their confidence through joining the team. Both have great out of combat abilities and are great in combat. I actually really love the defensive shell Coops gets. We didn't really talk about that, but like some of the some of the later abilities Coop get Coops gets are very helpful. Um, Bobbery, of course, has the tank stuff and just throwing bombs into the crowd and then blowing up, affecting everybody. Uh, so Bobbery's definitely, I think, a little bit better in combat, but they serve different roles. Uh, and Coops also, I, I think both their out-of-combat abilities are kind of equally helpful and also equally fun to pull off. Like blowing up walls and hitting switches are both good. Narratively, I think they're they're both really solid. I uh, If it makes it easier, I, I can maybe try to vote here first unless you guys feel one way already i do 
Yeah, it's Coops for me. <gasps> it. I don't know why it comes down to this, but this is the thing that keeps going through my head is that uh, Coops needed to find himself and Bobbery needed to find himself again. And I think that there's mm. I think that there is in, in terms of the the like the weight of Mario's presence and our I guess our presence through Mario in the game. Bobbery, I think w- maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think Bobbery would have been able to to find himself at a certain point. I think something would have happened in his life, even removed from the fact that Mario, you know, came and helped uh, where he would have he would have uh, found his love of the sea again at some point. And I think watching watching Coops find himself throughout the course of the game is uh, I don't know, that just that just works for me. I, th- I think it's Coops. Also, like I loved going back to town and seeing what uh, his girlfriend Koopy Koo and his dad uh, would have to say about stuff. Yeah. Like getting to see his like family rooting for him is really beautiful. I mean, you get that in a more abstract way with Bobbery, with you know the letter from yeah. from Scarlet, right? Yeah. Um, I have a knot in my throat, like a, a knot in my throat of emotion from what Brendan just said about a paper Koopa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I um. The the prompt is to determine the ultimate Mario companion, and that is very open to interpretation. What ultimate companion means? Hey gang, yeah, Coops break dances. <laughs> Are you also voting for Coops? Um, like I like in terms of narrative, I think they're perfectly tied. Um, yeah, but the fact that I love Coops' stylish moves so it's like such a such a basic reason to like after what everything brendan said me being like i he does a little spin like it's it feels like the asinine but the fact that's what that, it comes down to with these yeah, two though you like coops has that one point of defense which is huge especially that early in the game um like if you do a, a like a an a block uh, coops takes no damage from a goomba for example uh, which is I, also, I always I always love the way he looks like all the characters look up at the battle menu and I always loved his facial expression when he's looking <laughs> at the moves. He's always like, huh. Yeah. Yeah. This this is tr- like they are tied in like every way, basically. But I I will fold to Coops if that's what you're both feeling. I, I think he's I think he deserves to move on to the final. Do you, do you I, have a do you have an argument for Bobbery, though? I'd um, like to hear it. I, I just. I think they're different. I think Bobbery has higher highs for me. Mm. Um, you know, I think that Bobbery uh, also just feels like a bigger deal when he joins. It's sort of like, uh, I feel like Coops is like your best friend and Bobbery is like you met a celebrity that you really hit it off with. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, honestly Eric and Silvando. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Well, you got to play Dragon Quest Eleven. <laughs> I just feel like, I feel like Coops and this is maybe a little bit out of what the game is providing us with, but Coops, I could easily imagine being there for Mario, like whenever, yes, like whenever Mario is on the next adventure, Coops is there. I don't know if Bobbery would be that available. I think Bobbery might be like a little bit too old. This might have been like his last hurrah. Yeah. Whereas Coops is like his adventure is beginning. So I think, I think it's Coops for me too. I agree. I also, uh, Stephen, when you get to the like where are they at post credits thing uh you'll you'll be happy what you chose yes yeah i i think uh i just think he's he's a great friend uh, bobbery's they're both incredible yeah i think coops bite by a hair uh okay and now we have uh vivian versus mouse um miss mouse so the interesting thing is um i'm once again inclined to not even talk about it and just vote vivian because i really want to <laughs> save all of like 
we haven't spoken about Vivian at all. We've just said it's Vivian, it's Vivian, it's Vivian over and over I feel again. Like at least an hour of the three hours we recorded previously were basically about Vivian. And I will have so much to say when we get to the inevitable, it's going to happen, get over it, Vivian versus Coops. That like <sighs> I want I kinda wanna like save it all for for that. Yeah, that makes sense. But I, I think Miss Mouse is great. I, I think that like you know, again, this the star factor uh, being a secret character is is already really fun, especially given her like thief role. Yeah, um, she's our Vincent. Uh, she's our exactly. Uh, but I feel Dirt like Vivian. Mouse. <laughs> 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 oh no! And Miss Mouse Vivian, wins it, and that's it. Yeah, Vivian is just like I think like Vivian is is my favorite character in this game. And also just like a really like I, I I consider her now like amongst my favorite characters like in an RPG. So I, it has to be Vivian for me, uh, unfortunately, for Mess Mouse. Yeah. You were cool while it lasted. Yeah. I, I don't really have a lot to say here outside of I, I think Ms. Mouse is pretty cool, but I mean, it's not a contest at all here. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Final round. Coops versus Vivian. This sucks. I don't like looking at it. I don't like thinking about it. Can they both win? <laughs> I mean, they both got this far. Yeah. And, and in some ways, they both won. But if we're thinking the ultimate Mario companion, here's here's the thing that I'll say. Um, I, I think it's Vivian. Uh, I, I love Coops for all the reasons we said. But I think Vivian is great for many reasons we've already said and are about to say. The thing that really stands out in this contest specifically is like Vivian helps mario at his very lowest like vivian is like the reason mario gets out of like the lowest point in the game in some ways like that whole chapter is kind of mirroring how vivian is feeling in her current position position you know like vivian is alone too up until this point with her sisters constantly mocking her and you know just kind of going along for what she is told she has to do and this moment of like genuine connection where they both figure out like who they really are and who they want to be and want to fight for. There's nothing like it in, in this whole game. There's there's nothing like that in a lot of games just in general. Uh, so I think like as much as I like Coops, it's it's Vivian. No question for me. Yeah, they uh, one thing like outside. We've talked so much about her character, which is fantastic and fascinating. The fact that, like you said, even when Mario is at his lowest, she puts aside like the the abuse she's suffering just to help someone out. Yeah. Like even though she's supposed to be a villain, she's literally working with a terrorist cell. Like she decides, eh, you know what? Why not help this person? That's what happened to you is terrible, even though she's the one suffering at the hands of her sisters constantly. Like the fact that exactly. in a way she's like projecting what she wants for herself onto this like uh, non-identity figure is really just incredible. I just remembered a moment with her where like, uh, she's like, oh, you found you, someone took your name. Oh, don't worry. That happens all the time. And then she goes, wait, no, it doesn't. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she's so like, she wants to be like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. It's like, oh no, wait, that's actually horrifying. Let's help you out. Uh, yeah. I love her design, which unlike most yeah. of the other partners, uh, seems to have been pulled from nowhere. Like, I don't think there's an example it's fully unique. of a yeah, it's just, shadow character. Yeah. Uh, which is really excellent. I love the hat, love the hair. I've never really been sure if the two little dots are her cheeks or her eyes, and I <gasps> still don't know. 
Oh my what god. What did you I always read them as her cheeks. I thought so too. But but I, yeah. Yeah. I've never no I I mean I think she's a little cutie either way, but what I if? I was I was never sure. But yeah, just like really good, really great. I I love coops, but th- like when you bring Vivian with you throughout the game and like have her out for the most part and she's dealing with anything that involves her sisters, she has like specific reactions to the trouble her sisters are causing that she's not a part of anymore which is not really a a thing that you can say for any other character in the game like the fact that like i usually like to have her out with anything involving the shadow sirens because she'll comment on it and be like i can't believe my terrible sisters are doing this and that's not something you get with the others really hmm yeah i I'm probably going to go with Vivian also, but there is a there is a piece of me that's like if I'm picking the ultimate Mario companion for an RPG, there is something beautiful about it being a a Koopa. There's some like yeah. there's something about like the enemy you squash at the beginning of the game in Super Mario Brothers or even in just non Super Mario Brothers uh, becoming the ultimate companion. But I think it's got to be Vivian because again, there's, there's another angle you could take on that question. The ultimate Mario RPG companion is, is uh, somebody wholly unique to Mario RPGs, you know, who, who is right. Who is born divorced from the expectations of what Nintendo wants to be managing intellectual property wise, you know, saying like, we have a wholly unique character that is better than anything uh, based on that, based on anything that we've, we've created before this uh, is, is really powerful. And is a trans woman. Yeah. Which is pretty like unbelievable. And it's pride month Absolutely. as we're recording this. It's uh, all the stars are aligning. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's gotta be Vivian. I, I think you're right that like it could like coops. There's something beautiful about that too. But I think for the purposes of, of this conversation and like, the criteria here. yeah because uh, i mean a, a lot of this to me is considering in uh, a lot of this episode for me and a lot of the experience of playing this game having any conversations about paper mario or mario and luigi is all about the way nintendo handles its property and the way nintendo has handled this franchise specifically and i just think there's something poetic about the fact that the wholly unique original character is the best one that's yeah, that that couldn't be a better bow for this episode, honestly. I feel wow, like. Lady Bo wins? That's fucked up, Steven. We, we did the whole vote. Yoshi Kid's back! Psych! <laughs> I actually won the last few rounds. No big deal. I was just born. <laughs> you want to get some mod sticks and go to the roller rink? You want to get some some hot dogs? I, did you I was two born know near that them. you can, uh, when you leave chapter three and come back, your whole file gets erased and you have to fight through it again to be the champion again? Really? Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> And Rockhawk comes uh, I, back and is stronger. I always thought about going back there, but I was like almost haunted by it. I was like, oh, I don't, don't want <laughs> to step foot in really, that like, yeah. locker room again. It's really cute because like this time Jolene is the one who like gives you your assignments and all that because she takes. Oh, that's over. cool. It's really just that's great. Stuff. A little aside for the Yoshi Kid fans. I do. I mean, all, all these characters are great, but yeah, I think uh, I feel really good about how this played out. I had a feeling it was going to be Vivian. I'll be honest. I had a I had a bit there where I I thought it was going to be Coops. Yeah. After, during round two, when we talked about Coop's first Gambella, I was like, is Coop's going to take this whole thing? <laughs> it, it's really funny because uh, when we were talking about Coop's versus Bobbery, I thought Bobbery was going to take it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, we all- I kind of I was expecting Gumbella and Yoshi to do better, but I think it made sense for who they were pitted up against. Yeah, Yoshi got fucking rocked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad. <laughs> I'm really glad OG characters, each it tushy, OG characters <laughs> made it into this like the second round. Yeah, I was really the worried there was swept. a jump scare for me, but I, I'm glad Perry Carey got through because he he's one of the best. And uh, Lady Bo, a tragic loss, but you know what are you gonna do? You can't stop the queen. Damn, we did it. We did it. Wow, that was wow. way more emotional than I was expecting. Yeah, <laughs> this is gonna be like a fun bit, but it was like we all just. We gave like uh, congratulatory speeches for every one of these fictional characters. (laughs) There were a few moments in there where I got actually choked up, which I was not expecting. And that speaks to the power of of these games and and the love for them and the strength of the characters. You know, I uh, I'm just I'm just so glad I finally got to play this. I I do still need to finish it. I know. Uh, But like I I always am really grateful when we do one of these bonuses where I walk away being like, that's going to just be part of my life now. Like this game is now just going to be something I think about and revisit every so often, which is like the best thing you can ask for in a game really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This I think is really going to just kind of light a fire under my ass to finally do a thing. I've been wondering if I was going to do for a long time, which is buy a Nintendo Wii U, uh, so I can, play some Wii stuff as well including super paper mario yeah that's that's i can't wait to play that one uh for many reasons but that's that's next on my list and i do want to eventually see through i've never gotten like that far in super mario rpg and i'd like to see like how that game kind of develops further in but this is this is the one for me i mean this one is kind of the closest like this is doing things that i just love seeing rpgs do never mind like the mario of it all you know again that goes back to vivian winning like vivian makes this game feel like its own universe and not like a mario parody yeah totally i I, I, sorry go for it i was gonna say i'm so happy you two resonated with chapter four as much as i did this playthrough yeah especially considering how i was coming into it so negatively like this time like (laughs) like my whole world was flipped upside down this playthrough i don't know what happened to me over the past like six years but it's it's like it's really doing it for me you just like pigs a lot yeah that's that's exactly it i stopped eating bacon and that's when i started loving twilight town wow I'm going to call both of you at like three in the morning, sweating, being like, I was so wrong about chapter two. It's like, it's like my whole, my whole deal. I'm puny. He said, (laughs) I'm puny. Um, I love the chunky puny too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I do think that, so this is, uh, the last episode we're releasing before our hiatus. And one of my, my goals now for the hiatus is to play a lot more origami King, which I downloaded on my switch while we were recording this. Cause I do, I do want to see more of that game and see just how much they get right. Cause I, I will be curious if a thousand year door remake comes out and that really is kind of like the end of the line for whatever that experimental version of paper Mario could have been. So then in 10 years time, we can do another episode like this where we talk about origami King and say, man, I wish they'd go back to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, But I just, I really hope this series stays alive and I'm, I'm, I'm really open to see where they take it because I I think, you know, there's usually I appreciate the Nintendo mantra of like not just being beholden to what worked, but I think there's there's so much room for growth and iteration on what was established a thousand year door that I'm excited to see what's next. Uh, On the flip side, I really think so. There's like a couple of quality of life improvements you can make to this game, like a few like little changes here and there. But I really think they nailed it 
with this one in such a way that all I really want is I don't really care if like the series continues and they make more, et cetera, et cetera. It'd be great if they did. I'm really excited to go revisit Origami King and actually play through more of it. Uh, sorry, I couldn't finish it for this app. But as long as they make Thousand Year Door playable, like by people, like accessible to people now, that yeah. would be like yeah. enough for me. I really think that game is like, it's not perfect, but it's close. <laughs> Absolutely. All, all the things we kind of critiqued stand out because the, the, the bulk of the experience is so amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm right with you, Will. Like, I feel like I just want this game to be more easily playable, for sure. Yeah. I think a remake would be important specifically just for accessibility, because so much of this game is about like mashing buttons and like timing that like, I think you could, you could do a lot to make that more accessible to people. But unfortunately, that's kind of a weak area of Nintendo's, yeah, but you know, that much. is an opportunity. Uh, if, you're, if you are going to remake this game, that's a huge opportunity to pursue. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, should we wrap up? Nice. Yeah, let's wrap up. Uh, wow, this I don't even know how long this was, uh, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, Into the Cast that online is our hub for everything. Um, I am. It's kind of bittersweet. Like I almost don't want to stop this because then the break is real. You know, like uh, ever since we announced we're taking a hiatus, people have been really supportive and been like, you know, enjoy, uh, get some rest. And I'm like, I'm still playing a lot of Paper Mario. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what this rest thing is. But now it's now it's hitting me. And you know, we'll be back soon enough. It's only like six weeks, but. It, this show has been our norm for for so long that it's kind of hitting me now that that it will be an adjustment. But yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to resetting and coming back with with an even more enthusiastic energy. We're already like talking about what we're going to be talking about when we come back. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just am so grateful to have played this game and talked about it with both of you and to do this show I'm just feeling very grateful for all of this. So thank you for listening and thank you for supporting the show for all these years. Yeah. Uh, ditto everything that Stephen just said. Uh, I also, can we, can we announce this? I'm going to say it. And if we don't want to announce it, I'll, I'll cut it out. But I think, okay. I think it's poetic that we have Will on this episode, considering Will is composing the new theme song for when we return, which is so yes. exciting. Hey, uh, yeah, it's a me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited for everybody to hear that. Um, that'll be really fun. I just think in general, uh, and I, I said this in a tweet, but it's just the, the longest we've gone without doing the show also means it's the, it's the first time that we can really like sit back and look at it and be like, Hey, what's, what's the future of this thing look like? Uh, and that's, that's really exciting. But also we yeah. got a lot of Dreamcast games to play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will, where can people find you on the internet? Pretty much the big Venn diagram of where all my little links and accounts are is, uh, ghost down photo on instagram that's uh should i spell it i don't know well, it'll be in the show can... notes yeah oh yeah yeah it's in the show notes uh get hecked but yeah uh, <laughs> i do uh music and music commissions and amateur photography and poetry and other stuff in a bunch of bands etc it the grind never stops the grind never stops <laughs> except for right that's now that's right glitzville baby it stops for you too it does yeah a little bit uh cool well thank you so much for joining us for this one will anytime what's, was... what's the next game that uh makes you emotionally rot deep down to your core and we can bring you on for that one <laughs> fallout new vegas that's, that's not happening i'm sorry i know that's not happening <laughs> for you maybe i'm gonna hijack your yeah. rss feed actually i would love that come on the show steven you and will <laughs> talk about fallout new vegas i have given yeah. that game so many tries 
I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's bad, but it's it's good. It's God, like it's, it's, it's my oblivion. It's great. I know it's great. That's the thing. I know it's great. I just it just has never worked for me, unfortunately. Uh, One day we'll we'll talk about the mission where you can send the ghouls to space, <laughs> and uh, we'll have a good. Sick. I want to know the about moon. sending the ghouls to space. <laughs> anyway. Um, the actually though earthbound is the i'm i'm still yeah, that's utterly shit. shocked you two have never finished that game me not finishing earthbound has actually negatively affected our friendship <laughs> cuz i feel like every now and then i'll be like there should be more stuff like earthbound you're like you didn't finish the game steve <laughs> you could get more things like earthbound by playing earthbound you idiot and i call you steve then you call me Steve, yeah. and then I turn into Yoshi. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Teach. <laughs> I was late on purpose. Strawberry banana is my favorite yogurt. <laughs> no. Oh no. What do you have for breakfast? Sour. Oh, this is the, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> the second time I have gagged from Stephen talking about dairy on the show. Is yogurt dairy? Does it count as that? I don't think so. I I think legally, if you called yogurt dairy, like you have to pay a fine <laughs> from for someone. <laughs> It's like Briars can't call their ice cream ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> Gogurt is is like legally coined like food appliance. It's like, what does this mean? <laughs> it's like, it means you can't sue us when your tongue stays green. Uh, <laughs> Believe me, I tried. <laughs> Believe me, I tried. Anyway, I'm late for wrestling. I'm almost rank five. <clears throat> All right. Uh, why don't we wrap up? <laughs> because... I th that actually was turning into who I thought I was for a second. Like Yoshi Kid, this fits so naturally for me. You are a Yoshi Kid. You said you were a Spike, but you're a Yoshi Kid at heart. Yeah, that means I, I ranked like eleventh in in the eyes of both of my closest friends. Yeah, Brendan and I are both Vivians, and you're you're a lackluster. Oh no! Well, on that on that note, I can't wait to think about that for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye everybody come, we love you goodbye everybody we Bye. love you <laughs> see you in twilight town Garbage. The online.